It's not our place to uh, discuss other people's. It's only our place to judge. <laughs> judge yeah. and judge harshly. Yes. <laughs> That's what a podcast is all about. I hope so. I hope so. It makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> Welcome to Sneaky Dragon. It is episode, hold it, hold it, don't tell me, 564. Don't tell me, it's wow. 564. When we don't get older, doing a cast, many podcasts from now. Yeah, and the guy that uh, wrote that is uh, 16 years older than 64. <laughs> He's made it. Well, that's good. Yeah, back then, 64 was as old as you got. And then mm. they would do a thing they called in England, carousel. Where they would take you to a carousel and spin it really quickly till you flew off, and that's how they sent all the elderly people into the Thames. And then they, yeah, yeah that's, that's, how they exactly that's how they got rid of it. That's what they called rationing. Okay, it was oh, rationing yeah. know of what it the meant. elderly. I didn't know what it meant. Yeah, yeah. Ask your grandparents. It's about Cockney it. rhyming slang, which they yeah called drowning. Yeah, this is what they. Yeah, they say red nosing it, red nosing it, <laughs> clowning, clowning, drowning. I see what you're saying, yeah. and that's why they have Red Nose Day oh. for the children's uh, charity. Yes, because it's the, the orphans. Op- yeah, because it's the opposite of. Yeah, it's the orphans of the people that got uh, drowned, but also it's the opposite <laughs> wow. of the elderly as children. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, they like opposites. They there. celebrate. That's all about opposites. Yeah. Nice, I like, I like Because that. right now they have a king, mm-hmm. which is the opposite of a queen, which mm, they had before, because they right. like opposites. Sure. And everyone knows the king is less powerful than the queen. Except in cards. He can only go one step, one square at a time. Yeah, he's really lame in chess, but <laughs> he's, he's really, really, he's better in poker. I guess, that's true. Which is interesting. Like, it feels like but when they were making... He's not as good as an ace. Right, which we, in the hole. <laughs> in the sleeve. Yeah, up the sleeve, yeah. in the hole, wherever you want to keep your cards. Uh, Sundance. <laughs> um, it, it feels like when they were inventing chess, they were more scared of the queen. And they were like, let's make the queen really powerful. And they did that. But then when they were inventing uh, cards, yeah. like poker, they yeah. went, like, we're more scared of the king. Let's make them uh, more powerful. <laughs> and then uh, they were, uh, you know, uh, scared of the jack, well, which we've since gotten rid of because there's no jacks anymore in uh, royalty. Yeah, because cards are about status and chess is about power. Oh. And so the queen is, you know, obviously the power behind the right. throne. It recognized as like being the person with the king's ear mm-hmm. and probably with the most power. And in cards, it's a status. It's just a state of who has a better, you know, who is highest in status in quotation marks. Right. But really, we know who the power is in that situation. Right. And chess is also now about anal beads. Chess is about anal beads? Have you heard about this? I have not read Fifty Shades of Grey. No, 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 no. This is a, this is a news story that was a oh. big deal. Okay. Uh, the, yeah, it was like a major uh, chess tournament. And uh, one of the players was accused of having anal beads that uh, were giving him Morse code signals uh, because he had like a friend yeah. who was like on a computer, yeah. uh, and the computer was uh, figuring out the best moves. Oh, it was, and so and so would send yeah. like a little zippity boo of mm-hmm. the vippity bam, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, this was a scandal. Wow. Uh, wow. This is actually a big scandal. Sure, sure. Uh, and uh, and so the guy has said, like, I will play nude <laughs> should it come down to it. And it's like, that doesn't really help. It it's, make, not, it's, 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 it's a buzzing, It's a buzzing thing, yeah. Yeah. It's a, what yeah. you should do is, you yeah, you could add, add, like, a microphone or something yeah. like that. 
Uh, but yeah, that's the big scandal in the chess world right now is the uh, is the anal beads uh, sending out signals. Wow. But basically, though, my feeling on that is yeah. then you want it more. <laughs> so you you deserve it. Yeah, you deserve it. Like yeah, if, yeah. You, if you've worked up a system of Morse codes and computers yeah, that involves yeah. you putting anal beads sure, sure. up and getting the vibrations, and that's <laughs> making you a chess champ. You should be a chess champ because I think you have yeah. uh, out uh, maneuvered the other person completely. That is really a strategizing. That is strategizing to an yeah. real extent. And I didn't know that Big Blue was so kinky. Mm-hmm. Now we know. Is it Big Blue? It's something blue. It's Big Blue. Is I'm it? pretty sure that's the name of uh, the computer that beat that Kasparov. Yeah. Gary oh boy. Okay. All right. You can look it up. You gotta I'm look going, it up. I'm going to look. So I don't think it's big blue. It's not big blue. No, but Deep some, blue? blue is correct. Deep blue. Something like that. Yes, that's right. Blue's clues. Yeah, that's the right. correct answer. Yeah. One second. I've got to check this. Because IBM is is big blue, right? Deep is blue. Oh my! My second guess. Like, Which sorry. does make more sense for the beads. <laughs> that's how it likes it. Yeah. And that was the, the only problem. The thing that like uh, signaled that uh, it may have been cheating was uh, he had to get an Adobe update halfway through his uh, game. You're gen- you're genderizing the computer. Okay. No, no, I'm not saying him. I'm saying him as in the oh the, the, the player player. Yeah, had to get an up- update. An Adobe update. <laughs> That's right. Okay, I'm sorry. Didn't Deep Blue go on Jeopardy as well? Did Deep Blue go on Jeopardy? Oh, it was one computer. It was some computer Deep went Blue. on Jeopardy. Yeah, and it and it <laughs> did all right. Check its wiki page. Yeah. I, think I think this is a picture of it. It's a really bad picture. They couldn't get a couldn't get a nice picture of Big Blue. That's Watson. Not... Sorry, IBM uh, Watson was IBM's the computer. Watson. I okay. wonder if Watson and Deep Blue ever got together and like just shared notes and what? just went. What Deep is Blue. with Watson? Why is that a name for the computer? Why not? Because Watson's the second run character in two famous things: Sherlock Holmes and Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone. Hmm? Watson is this his guy who's like doing his taxes for him or whatever. He so did. what should what? you call him? You should call him Bell. Call him Graham. <laughs> Computer named Graham's not bad, <laughs> but sh- call him Sherlock. Yeah, call him Holmes. Yeah, Watson's call it Holmes. Better. Holmes is better. I mean, look, you say that Sherlock Holmes is. Are like, you saying then that Watson is not? I guess what they're actually saying is that Deep Blue is the Sherlock to Watson. Oh, that could be. Or, I also or if you prefer like, the Alexander Graham Bell. I think to you're Watson. underestimating Watson in the Sherlock Holmes stories because you know the guy. Is a little bit of like unless you're talking about now maybe you're talking about this maybe you're talking about the movie version. <laughs> I'm not talking about the because the movie version, version is oh like the guy go <laughs> I stepped in a murder. It's like that's a dumb. He's a dumb uh, guy. Yeah, right? yeah. He's a dumb doctor of all things. Yeah, he's a dumb doctor. That's yeah, right. Yeah. But like in the books, yeah. And uh, no, he's, other, not, he's not a dummy, but he is no Sherlock Holmes. No, but he's also a doctor, and Sherlock yeah, yeah. Holmes is no doctor. Like you, no, no, you know, that's true. You get shot. You don't want yeah, Sherlock yeah. Holmes there because sure. he'll be like, "That's neat," and uh, take some cocaine and then play the fiddle, and <laughs> no good. But like uh, you know, Watson yeah. uh, is an army doctor. Mm-hmm. He, I'm sure he can fight. He's, uh, he's he's got all this stuff, and also yeah. he's not a bad deducer. You know, later on, he's just not as good as yeah. the best in the world. Yeah, exactly. My point. You know. You're like best friends with Michael Phelps, and you're feels, an amazing swimmer. Yeah, but you're next to Michael Phelps. That's right. So if you invented like a great swimming machine, you don't you call it the Phelps. You don't call it the the Watson, his his friend, who's also a good swimmer. Right. I guess I just I'm 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 used to like in Canada we'd always have like the silver medalists and whatever uh, do ads for McCain products. 
You know, it'd be like... Uh, we, well, the reason we had the silver medalists is because we weren't good enough to have gold medalists. That's fine. Sell McLean products. But we were totally fine with that. Like, we went yeah, like, yeah. oh, she's a silver okay. medalist, sure. and she's selling us, yep. like, you know, hash browns or a Mr. Juicy bar. We're talking Karen Magnuson here. There course. you go. Karen Magnuson. That's right. And also, the the the, the cereals were a good source of Magnuson. <laughs> yeah, we were fine with it. Yeah. Like, silver medal, silver medal to Canada is a gold medal. Silver is Canadian gold. I wouldn't say that. Oh, right? I think... It, I think uh, hockey fans would uh, die in their die in their in their graves. Yeah, they're already cool. dead, but they're dying again. Yeah, it's a little different with hockey, though. Yeah, it's true. I, so you're saying we're willing to take second best. I think it's just that we're willing. You know, we recognize our place in the world as you know. We're like, well, we're a tenth as good as the, as America. Hooray for silver! All right. So say you're a gunfighter in the old timey West. Okay, I'm a and gunfighter. And you're the second best gunfighter. Yeah. In the old timey West. Yeah. That's good. Like, if you're the best, there's always going to be a jerk who's going, hey, you think you're a real <laughs> And you got to, like, now go on the street yeah, yeah, yeah. and shoot them. Yeah. And a lot of paperwork afterwards. <laughs> you have to fill out insurance papers. A lot of insurance papers. Yeah. But second best guy. Well, there's a lot of stuff to fill out before it as well. Because there's a lot of, you want to avoid any liabilities. Mm. So the guy has to sign over. You know, I agree that I'm yeah. entering into a competition, a shooting competition with a person who's a world-famous murderer. And yeah. I'm, I am prepared to die in this. Yeah, and so on and so forth, blam, blam, blam. But then second place guy's <laughs> yeah. uh, gone through three drinks, and he's fine. He's over there. He's in the brothel sure. uh, getting a little bit of business upstairs. But isn't second place guy wanting to fight first place guy? No, he's an idiot if he does that. <laughs> if you're second place uh, person, yeah. uh, then I, then you get to just relax. No, like second no. place is where you want to be in the Old West. you got the <laughs> reputation, right? No, you know, yeah, yeah. no regular jerks are going to mess with you because they know you're amazing. But the top jerk yeah, yeah. isn't going to mess with you because you're not worth it. Sure. So you get the best of both worlds. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you, but I'm not very competitive. Whereas I think a person who would like be so competitive that he's willing to like die to prove yeah. how good he is is not going to like want to just sit around and happy with second best. And then the and then if you do win, if you are the guy that wins, yeah, yeah. like. You know, oh, I beat this the best. This is a he- big headache. Yeah, right. If, yeah, then you're the one who has mm-hmm. the jerks now around them. Yeah, yeah, sure. What, what, what good does that do you? No, <laughs> right? Like you don't get, you don't get yeah. like you know free stuff. Sure. Or maybe you do. Mm. Maybe you do get free uh, things. I was going free things at the brothel. I don't know what you do in old timey West towns. Like, do you get more beans? Like. What's the range of food? Do you get better food? I don't know what you'd get. Like, what's the what's the big thing? I never understood. We watched uh, Butch Casting and the Sundance Kid, and I had we so did. many questions, like uh, <laughs> about just like, oh, uh, oh, we're running out of money for what? What are you spending your money on? Like real fancy, yeah, you know, old west stuff. Like what? He bought a bicycle. He did that before. Oh, yeah, that's right. He did. He did uh, bicycle. But it seemed like they were always like busting open trains full of like. <laughs> Tons of cash. Seemed like it. And they were burning through it on Literally what? at the site of taking it, they were also burning through it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but like, what <laughs> they kind of blew it there. What are you spending your money on? Like, you, yeah. you got the same horse. Like, what's your expenses? Mm. Mm. You know, your uh, well, girlfriend. You got a lot of employees. Your girlfriend has her own house. You have a lot of employees. You got to do health care. You, you have a benefits package for your, for your henchmen. Right. And then. One of them is Lurch. <laughs> One of them was literally Lurch, yes. Did a good job in that role as well. Actually, mm-hmm. and didn't do his lurch voice. No, and uh, though it would have been funny, like because he does get punched in the balls. It would have been funny after like uh, Paul Newman punches him in the balls if he he then went you rang and then like, passed out. <laughs> That'd be a good line. Yeah, 
I wonder, was that, I wonder if that was done simultaneously with his role on The Addams Family. It seems like they were about the same same time period. Could have been. Or maybe not, because Addams Family was in black and white, right? So that would have made it earlier than than 69. Because by that point, they were, everything was in color. Now, the problem with saying Addams Family TV series is... <laughs> yes, which one? Yeah, 1964 was the start of it. Oh, okay. And uh, I think it went, uh, I think it went like two seasons, something like that. Mm. Uh, yeah, now I've got. But they never did it in color. I've never no, seen a they color. Did monsters it. Although they did do a Christmas special in color for the for that cast, but I don't know if that was much later. Did you ever see the uh, Adams Family set in color? Like the pictures? yes, it's crazy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but that it's not just for that show. It's for two, every show. Would have two had seasons? Yeah, yeah, two seasons. Every show would have had that because it and movie sets as well would have been decorated like that. Because it showed it better for black and white, I guess. Or was it just for black and white video? I don't know. Okay. So the, here's this. Okay. This is just an interesting thing. But okay. first of all, let me just find out when he was in... Uh, uh, oh, he was in The Incredible Hulk. Oh, he narrated The Incredible Hulk. Oh. TV series. Okay. That's so. neat. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was also in Star Trek and I Dream of Genie. Yeah, of course he was. Why wouldn't he be? Uh, let's see. When was... He must have spent his whole life competing against Thoral Ravenscroft for... <laughs> <laughs> Parts with deep voices. Exactly. You were a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid was 1969. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so he was already, he was already uh, well past his Adam's Family days. Right. Huh, well, good, good but he was him. also, let's never forget, in the Donnie and Marie movie, Going Coconuts. Never, never forget. Never forget, never forgive. <laughs> R.I.P. Going Coconuts. Oh, okay. All right. There was also, by the way, there was a, um, all right. In 1965, he released a seven-inch vinyl record on Capitol Records with two songs on it. Yes. You know this? No, I'm just All right. saying, okay. Very good. Uh, one was uh, by uh, Cliffy Stone and Scott Turner called Wesley. Okay. And the other was The Lurch, ah. uh, which was written by Gary S. Paxton. And okay. uh, he introduced the dance and performed the song uh, on September 11th, the worst thing that ever happened on September 11th, on Chivalry. And also on Shindig. Mm. All right, but here was... A cash-in. Like Gary Paxton was a, a big-time so- songster, songwriter and producer in L.A. in those days. So did a lot of... I knew you'd have a fact <laughs> about that. Did a lot of stuff. Okay, but here was something that uh, just interested me on that. Do uh, you, you know Storybook Squares? Nope. Okay. Uh, this is something I had a vague memory of. Okay. And uh, he was on this. So... They wanted to do a version of Hollywood Squares that wasn't a bunch of sexy, risque jokes. Because kids liked Hollywood Squares because it was tic-tac-toe. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so uh, in 1976... We also they, liked the sexy, risque jokes. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I, I, was, I was down I'm not going to say they. Me. I did. Very good. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, it was the same setup as Hollywood Squares, but it was called Storybook Squares. Okay. And it was storybook characters. And so, it was famous actors <laughs> okay. playing these characters, including uh, the fellow who played Lurch. Yeah. And he was Tarzan. And he had... Uh, and so, okay. he, he was there, you know, with the, the he's Tarzan He's broad-chested and big, big guy. Yeah. yeah. And he would do uh, do it with a Cheetah, the, oh. the chimp. Okay. So, yeah. The two of them would uh, would answer uh, answer questions. The original Cheetah. At this point, he was in a wheelchair. Was he solving mysteries? <laughs> yes, he was. That's Ironside. Cheetah Wolf. Yeah. So you got oh, Ironside. To... Yes, he was in a. I was thinking Nero Wolf. But that's he was in a wheelchair. I don't think. Okay, so here we go. Here are the panelists. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you know the panelists. Okay. Okay. Oh, here was one that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, so they're not all like storybook characters. They're not all storybook characters. So some of them. They're are... all fictional characters. I see. 
So uh, you had Leslie Uggams as Snow White. Bob Crane uh, played his Hogan character. What? Uh, William Shatner was Kirk. Okay. And he was, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, and this was like, you know, after Star Trek was off the air. Like, sure. considerably. So if this you, is where you wash up. When you would turn it, yeah, you would turn it on and it was like, what the hell's going on? Is Kirk <laughs> stuck in a thing? Uh, yeah, Barbara Eden was uh, I Dream of Genie. I like that you said that kind of Kirk-like. Yes. Is Kirk, Kirk stuck in a thing? So, yeah, Ted Cassidy was Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but Marty Allen also played Tarzan. I see. And he also played Cupid. Uh-huh. Jim Backus played one of his favorite ca- famous characters. Mr. Magoo, gonna, I suppose. Mr. Magoo, yeah. that's right. Uh, Wally Cox uh, was Davy Crockett. He also played Paul Revere. But not uh, Mr. Peepers. No. Uh, uh, Paul Lynn yeah. uh, was Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> That's great. And also the evil queen from Snow White. Love it. Paul Winchell was Romeo. He also played Dr. Jekyll. Yeah. Uh, with uh, Jerry Mahoney as Mr. Hyde. So occasionally would change into Mr. Hyde, you know, during the, during the questions. Rosemary... <laughs> Was Annie Oakley and Pocahontas, <laughs> oh, and uh, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans were there as Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Oh, and you would like this, okay? Soupy Sales. Well, he was Henry the Eighth. That's fine, fine, sure. But also Thomas Edison. Yeah, hmm. He was an inventor. Oh wait, you like Bell? You yeah, like uh, Alexander Graham Bell. Alexander anyway, Graham. I thought that I like him. I just don't mm, seem to really, don't like, understand. Him. <laughs> I seem really this, like that. Well, it's like a celebration of of his uh, his aide de camp. Yeah, that is so Watson. weird. Oh, Vincent Price was Captain Hook. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rip Taylor was General Custer. Valerie Bertinelli was Little Miss Muffet. Big Bird was there. Okay. Jesus Christ, this sounds. Who like did a Big good Bird show. play? Uh, Big Bird. Yeah. Uh, Blue Bird of Happiness. Oh, nice. No, you just played Big Bird. <laughs> the Yellow Bird of Happiness. Uh, Milton Berle was Old Mother Hubbard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Artie Johnson was Beethoven. John Biner was Long John Silver. Roddy McDowell was here. Yeah, you'd like this, Sherlock Holmes. Your favorite, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> my favorite. Just... <laughs> okay. Also, also Pinocchio. And Charo. Uh, oh, very nice. Uh, so Charo was Lady Godiva. Oh. Yeah, there's something for the kids. This is a kid's show, right? <laughs> That's right. Kid's well, show want, for the kids. You want dad to watch it too. Yeah, dad is watching the show. <laughs> and so it was all, it all looked like medieval style. And, uh, and oh, yeah. That's fun. the show. That's fine, and not a not a single double entendre in the entire uh, show. Well, they, and they did I'm two sure. versions. Okay, this makes sense. Okay, because they did sixteen episodes in nineteen sixty nine. Okay. Nice, yeah. and then um, thirty episodes from nineteen seventy six to nineteen seventy seven, uh, and that's the one I remember. Yeah, staying yeah. home sick from school and watching this and going, "What? <laughs> what madness yeah. is this?" Yeah. Why? Hey, there's a uh, why there's would they have been That that kids character we all like. That yeah, guy yeah. from the. <laughs> Nazi camp. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I wonder if he's got problems with Artie Johnson over there, because he did play a German soldier, but he's not playing it today, so... Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. He seemed to get along all right with Schultz anyway. He did. What do you think happened to Schultz and Klink after the war? Nuremberg. Yeah, so what happens to them? I don't know. I guess they went to jail. Yeah, I guess it's jail. Well, I, well not uh, not Schultz, though, because he's like just a sergeant. He couldn't have done nothing, right? Just taking orders? I think so. Yeah, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think that, yeah, was, a, I think, I don't think that was a, a. I don't think that was a. Well, you didn't a, arrest uh, everybody. Like, you no, didn't, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I think just the, the just the stand. I think the low level, you yeah. know, uh, people get a slap on the wrist and a. Mm. Oh, that's terrible! What you did. Yeah. We're gonna make a sitcom out of it. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll make a Billy Wilder movie first. That'll be really good, and then we'll make a sitcom out of it. Yeah. That's no. Cool. 
That is so strange that you know, at, when you've seen Hogan's Heroes first, seeing Starlock 13 is, is very odd. 17, I think. 17. Is yeah. it? Was Starlock yeah. 13 getting the older Hogan's Heroes? Year. What's that, sir? Was Starlock 13 the Hogan's Heroes? I'm not sure what that was. I was wondering that myself, what, this, what Starlock they are in. Wow. But I'm pretty sure the film is uh, Starlock 17 with William Holden. Starlock 13 and Hogan's Heroes. Ah, that's funnier because it's an unlucky number. Yeah. Oh, it's much funnier. <laughs> that's what one of the guys said during the pitch meeting how many seasons did hogan's heroes run six i was gonna guess five there Could we been go. wrong oh that's interesting yeah so so uh the yeah so story the story uh whatever uh storybook squares exists in a world where uh yeah hogan's hogan exists uh a genie from my dream of genie exists and captain kirk exists mm Mm. And they could theoretically cross yeah. over with each other. <laughs> oh yeah, so Star Trek could meet Little Miss Muffet, I guess. Yeah, finally. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for the kiss between Kirk and Little Miss Muffet. How old do you think Miss? I don't know. She's she's little. We're not saying young. Yeah, but she's a Miss. Well, I guess that could be a young girl too. I don't know. I feel like she's underage. She's a. <laughs> well, okay. Just leave it. I'll have my own little things, I guess. Could we uh, could we go with a Bo Peep? I think Bo Peep. Wait, no, I don't know. They followed her to school one day. She's going to school. <laughs> to hell with that. No, no dice there. Oh, who's an of age uh, woman for Kirk from the fair? I guess tale? we'll have to settle for him making out with Mother Old Mother Hubbard. I guess. Well, look, man, you're saying Old Mother Hubbard. Yeah, but she is definitely child rearing age. Why? Because she's a mother. Well, yeah, but she's an old mother. Oh, you're talking old mother. I'm sorry. I was I was th- thinking of. Uh, uh, the one who lives in a shoe. Oh, okay. Who's that? Probably it rhymes a, with shoe. I think she's also an old woman, though. There was an old woman who lived in a shoe. She had so many There children. was an old woman who lived in a shoe. She had so many children. She, she didn't did. know what to do. Well, so she's not an old woman because yeah. she's of childbearing age. Well, no, she's. Because she has children. She's a child kidnapper and she keeps them in a shoe. Oh. Mm hmm. It's much more. It's a more horrible story than you, than you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She had aglet issues. And I think she hit the kids, too. Did she? I think so, because that's how it goes, right? I don't know. I can't remember. There was an old woman who lived in a shoe. She yeah. had so many children. She didn't know what to do. She gave them some broth oh, without any bed bread. And spanked them all soundly. Then whipped them soundly and sent them to bed. Yeah. So they had beds. I know it is spank them all soundly and send them to bed, but okay. Or whip them all soundly. Sure. Whatever you like. Yeah. I'm not judging. Either or murdered them all and threw them in the bog. Wait, no, that's a darker <laughs> version. So is the shoe in that story yeah, a, a regular sh- size shoe? And the whole thing is like, you know, the four Welshmen and we all lived in a shoe. <laughs> or like that's the thing, shoe. how poor they were. Or was it a gigantic shoe mm. from a giant? Well, the way I've seen it portrayed is as a giant shoe. I know that's how we've seen it. And I feel like it's just pure nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. It's just a bunch of rhymes put oh, together to, right, yeah. to amuse children. And she also teaches them about fire safety if you're Canadian, I think. What, really? Yeah. Right, there was, yeah, there was an old woman who lived in a shoe. Yeah. When a fire broke out, she knew what to do. Oh, And that was like a series of uh, commercials okay. yeah. uh, on on CBC. Oh. Yeah. You've never seen the old woman who lives in a shoe? No, I have not seen this fire right. fire prepared okay. old woman. All right, we're going to be sending you, uh, sending you that file and, what, and whatnot. It's good that she had like a fire exit in her shoe, planning ahead. Yeah. She probably lost some people before. For that, or in case of bunions, you could just open it up and... Maybe she lived in the same country as the giant from Jack and the Beanstalk. Oh, yeah. She found the shoe after he fell, and uh, just, you know, it bounced off his foot, I guess, and, it, and the giant, you know, when he fell. And then she uh, repurposed it, you know, like people do with containers nowadays, into a, into a house. Mm-hmm. 
And she's on a TV show called uh, Shoe Homes. <laughs> okay. It's a reality show. Yeah. That details people who live around the world in different kind of shoes. Right. You know, it's a, obviously a Dutch person who lives in a giant wooden clog. And a person from the Middle East who lives in like, like one of those kind of... Or Turkish... I'm sorry, right. t- Turkey, they live in Turkish slipper. I thought you were going to say it was like one of these things where it's the couples are looking for a place. Yeah. And like this... Well, she's looking for like an open-toed concept. <laughs> they have to choose between three different shoes. Shoes, that's yeah, yeah. right. And it's like, you know, I told them I only want to pay, you know, 500000 yeah. but I need it to be near the school. Yeah, it's got to be close to work, yeah. I'm sorry, I got a knock, so I'm going to be right Sure, back. sure. So was there a, a burning paper bag full of dog poo on your step? Is that? Oh yeah. Okay. But I leave one out there. For, <laughs> okay. Just... For, for for just because of the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get ready first. You you do that before you leave out the jack o' lantern. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So Halloween, tra- Halloween tradition. Okay, I've sent you the uh, 1970s Canadian Fire Prevention PSA. Oh, thank you. About the old woman who lives in a shoe. <laughs> done you. and done. Thanks. How, 1970s one. Yeah. How have you been, Dave? How's it going? Well. I feel like, how have you been? Is oh, okay, question all right. How I've been. I was trying to do a segue, a smoother <laughs> segue into that, but uh, but yeah. Okay, so, oh boy, it feels weird because like, okay, so you're hearing my burst of, uh, is that kind of manic energy? <laughs> and it could be because the last couple of days have been pretty hard, which, uh, uh, but I will preface by saying things are looking okay now. Okay. Whereas my uh, mother-in-law ended up in the hospital. Yeah. She collapsed. Uh, we're very worried about her. Uh, looked like it could have been very, very bad, mm-hmm. and uh, we and uh, it was it was quite a long time before we knew anything. And she seems to be doing quite a bit better now. Good, she's awake, she's herself. They're running some more tests. Mm-hmm. There was some breathing issues, uh, but she seems to be doing uh, better now. But it, uh, yeah, it was just just overwhelming, mm. just overwhelming. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's been a couple of uh, days spent. It was uh, one day spent uh, in emergency, one day spent at the uh, ICU. Yeah. And uh, and now while we're recording this, my sister and sister, sorry, sorry my sister-in-law and my wife are uh, are off uh, visiting her, off to, uh, off to visit her. Uh, I don't want to say too much about, you know, her uh, private medical things because I don't think that's uh, appropriate. Yeah. But I can say uh, it's it's just been quite, uh, it's been really hard. (laughs) Yeah, of course. The last couple of days. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lots of tension, anxiety. Yeah. And feeling like you wish you could do something and Mm -hmm. then you can't do anything and... Mm -hmm. You know, the hospital uh, was, they, they were, you know, as nice as they could be, but there's, you know, all these like obstacles to get to the person that you want to see. Yeah. And you can yeah. only have so many people in there at a time, which mm-hmm. of course makes sense. And, and yeah. then, you know, like every time you're hanging around the emergency area, there's someone who's like dangerous, who's like hanging around you at some point and you feel like this could explode in mm. some way right now. Mm-hmm. There was a guy who was just wandering around. Uh, kind of uh, felt like he was violent, but it was weird because he said, felt like he was wanting to get into a fight. Yeah. Because uh, his ride wasn't coming here, and I don't think there was a ride coming for him. Okay. And he was. Not just, with that attitude. No, but but here's the thing like, he kept calling everybody knuckleheads. 
right? <laughs> so, oh boy, yeah. So I was just like, hey, hey, you know where my right is? I'm like, uh, no, ah, you knucklehead, you know, nothing, knucklehead. Really? It's like, where's my, uh, yeah, or do you like yell at a car? Time traveler from the 1930s? I don't know. It was like, was he, he wearing a flat cap? He didn't know any swears. He I guess just so. knew. <laughs> he knucklehead. Yeah. Maybe, yes, he may have had some mental health issues, obviously. Yeah, yeah that's, but that's always going to be the case, mm-hmm. you know, when you're and around when the... When you say that, I just think, and the people who work there have to work with that every day, like, have to... Absolutely. Like, deal with those kind of problems. So, like, uh, and that's that's uh, the thing, too, that kind of ups the tension for me, is, like, I'm trying to be, like, extra, extra, extra polite, because I know they're going through such shit, like, yeah. all the time. Yeah. So, you know, you never want to look like you've got any kind of problem, but at some point you've got to kind of push and go like, can we please come go and see her? Can yeah. Please yeah. do this. And uh, it was, it's a situation where like we got the news broken to us by a family member who um, uh, it's not an exaggerator, but is, uh, you know. Likes to dramatize maybe? There's a bit. Yeah. There's a bit of like everything is the worst, mm. you know. Uh, we have had other family members who I think she had, uh, you know, completely written off and let us know that, like, oh, there's no hope and then they're still fine. Like now, years <laughs> later, they're fine. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we got, like, kind of the news from, from her and that was chilling. And you go into this mode of, like, it feels it feels like for me, you go into this mode of, like, you actually don't feel stuff. Like, you don't feel grief or rage or fear. You just feel cold and neutral and yeah. get shit done yeah it's just this feel things later cold yeah. go and so it was like just gathering everyone up and, and and getting over there and doing everything that we could and it's and it's it is such a weird thing when you see someone who's like you know unconscious and with the tubes and everything yeah, it's really, really, it's really, really hard. And uh, and again, that you want to do stuff and you can't do anything, and you've got to just trust in people. And uh, there was just like uh, so many questions that were being asked that we had no idea what the answers were. Mm-hmm. You know, just mm-hmm. like what's your doctor's name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what my mother-in-law's doctor's name is. I yeah, have no idea. And it was like okay, so you know, go to her, you know, go to her house and look. See, had she got any prescriptions? Because it would be on there. Mm. We're just solving all these mysteries as we were oh, going along. Those are good tips, actually. Like, you know, like I have elderly parents, and those are good. Those are good things. Like, I don't. You're right. I don't know those. I don't yeah. know the answers to that. Like, I don't think they have a family physician because our family doctor retired. Like. Yeah, this was you know, the thing. Like, you know, she she has told us, you know, things that doctors that she's gone to, and but you know, she didn't obviously say the name of the doctors. Yeah, yeah. And I got no idea what medicine she's on, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that neither is uh, my wife or, yeah, or is it my yeah. sister in law. Uh, she does live with, uh, you know, my aunt in law, uh, so we were able to like get her to gather things and bring the supplements and whatnot. But yeah, she wasn't it, she wasn't on file. You know, with uh, with a lot of things that we thought she would be, yeah. so it was a lot of mystery solving. Um, but then, yeah, she woke up. She she was waking up a little bit um, while we were there, which was which was good, which was a good sign. But we were very worried that you know either one she couldn't we wouldn't wake up or there'd be some brain damage. And so far, so good. Uh, with all that, she seems to be herself. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was it was nice yesterday. Uh, they they I wasn't allowed to see her because you're only allowed two people in the ICU a day, mm. and so that'd be like my a day, a day, yeah. Wow, okay. yeah. They they get they they allowed uh, my aunt in law 
uh, in as well because she was bringing in the supplements and okay. whatnot. So okay. she had stuff that needed to be brought in. Yeah, but it would have been pushing it for me to sure, uh, go sure. in as well. Sure. Yeah. Basically, for for the for the visiting hours, the visiting hours are about three hours long, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah, it's only two people a day. Yeah. yeah. So. And my dad was in an ICU at VGH, and uh, similar restrictions on visiting. But I don't remember being like limiting. I don't remember limiting how many, like how you do. Like it was like basically one visitor at a time when my dad was there. Yeah, and you can kind of understand when you actually go in because it's not a big area, the ICU. Like you kind of picture it being like this big thing, but it's actually quite compact mm-hmm. with a lot of beds and everything's very close together. And you can kind of think, well, like they don't really want you like sitting in a chair by the bed for because they're under like they have like. You know, each nurse has like three patients, so they're like going in between and doing a yeah. lot of stuff with them. And so I think I can see why they they want to limit uh, and also limit introduction of uh, contaminants and sure, stuff like sure. that into yeah, there yeah, as well. Yeah. So it, may, it makes because I mean, when you went in, there was like a cleaning station before you actually entered the ICU. Well, well, there was like a, at many stages. Yeah. There yeah. Was, uh, well, this is before COVID, right? So yeah. this, you know, like when, I mean, besides Norwalk, we didn't really think about. I think there's less contaminants uh, directly there now because. Mm-hmm. To get into the hospital at all, you've got to mask up. You've got to yeah, know, wash your hands yeah. and do everything. This at, like, is before all these that. Stages, yeah. yeah, yeah. So something that you didn't really think wasn't on the radar yet. Uh, but yes, I remember having to wash up and wear, wear a gown when I went in there to see my dad. And yeah, it's the first time I experienced that was actually my mother-in-law was in a car accident. And I zoomed over to Langley Memorial to see her and... and uh, yeah, it's just that shock of... Because in your mind, you're like, well, she looks like this. And so she'll just be laying in bed, looking like herself. And then you walk in, and she's laying in bed, and she's got tubes in her yeah. and stuff's everywhere. And, you know, and there's all this machinery around. And, yeah, she and just they're, look And they're wrong. in the hospital. Yeah, and they, yeah. they, don't look, they don't look themselves. And you're just like, ugh, you know. And I, I can understand then, like, there were, when I was in the hospital, I had my first operation. There was a lot of times where a family came in, and they had to leave quickly and then come back in again. And I think it was that shock of seeing me laying there, you know, suddenly pale you know on all with all this stuff stuck sucking me yeah. up my nose my mouth you know they didn't look to see the catheter for some reason but it was also there mm-hmm. uh but you know all these things sticking in you and then they're it's just like a shock and you know then they so i know my brother and my, my uncle both did that they both had to leave and take a couple minutes and then come back in again yeah you know because it's just so shocking i think that is a thing too is that you don't you've you've not I mean, I've seen, I've definitely seen, you know, people that I care about in in a similar situation, but it, you, you're just not prepared for it. No. You just, and then you feel it later yeah. because again, at the, at the, there was never a time for like, almost like a day and a half mm. where there was never a time where you were allowed to feel anything. You were just like, here's the news. Okay. All right. Let's, yeah, yeah. Uh, we got to take care of things. We have responsibility to take care of things. Let's yeah. get down there and, you know. We're all doing brave face for for all of us, yeah. and we know if we see her, we want to present like you know brave face as yeah, well. Yeah, sure. And uh, well, we have like one relative that's not provided. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, and then and then yeah, there's just a, a point where you just like are just sitting, and then not everything hits you. It doesn't all hit you, but it hits you, and and you're just oh, like it's just this weight. It's just this. Oh, you, you know, it's a, it's like a crushing. It's just like overwhelming. You want to do more, you can't do more. Uh, you've got to just trust in others. You mm-hmm. got to trust that the system works and that things are in place. And you know, it 
for for me, I just like made it trying to take care of you know my wife and my sister in law and like what do they sure. need? What do they need? What yeah, do they yeah. need? Okay, yeah. You know, I'm gonna make sure there's like diet cokes in the car. I'm gonna make sure that there's this. We're gonna have this and this. So when you know ever there's like little thing, you know. I'll, I'll plan where we're going to go grab a snack or something so we don't have to, like, you know, fucking decide anything like that. Yeah, yeah. The little the little goddamn things I can do. And then when when I go in and I'm talking to, you know, my mother-in-law when she when she's out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just saying trying to say, like, their names as much as possible because it felt like that was getting a reaction from her. Like, just letting her know, you know, Vicky's here. P is here. They're both here. We're all here. You know, we love you, you know, uh, you know, everyone here is uh, doing, doing great and, um, you know, just trying to keep things reasonable and positive, but not also, you're trying not to go over the line of being that things are fine. Everything's great. No, it's fine. You'll be up and running in no time. Everything's swell because, you know, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you want to be positive without uh, crossing the line into that and into that thing. And also if there's in any way possible to like, Make a very, very mild joke to her or something, you know, you try to. <sighs> well, you can't help it. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a problem. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. I had, you know, a, a mutual friend of ours was in a coma for a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I asked her, you know, when people were there around you talking to you, you know, uh, they say that, you know, when you're in a coma, you can sometimes hear, uh, you know, is that true? And she went, oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I heard it. I heard it all. Hmm. I heard like I heard people talking all the time. I heard, you know, the things they were saying. I heard the jokes they were saying. I heard all this stuff. I was like, "Holy shit! What? Like, really? Hmm. Okay, well, should all right." Should have made that joke about her feet. What was the joke about her? Feet? I'm just joking. Okay, just... that's fine. <laughs> <I didn't know. laughs> we were actually making jokes about uh, my mother-in-law's feet because she kept kicking <laughs> off the blankets. Uh, so that's interesting you said that. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to assume you can hear everything. Mm-hmm. And so let's just talk like, you know. Yeah. And there was an occasion, occasional time where I'd say something and it would get a laugh in the room. And I'm like, I think this might help because like she likes a good time. So if she hears that there's laughter in the yeah, room, for I sure. think she might feel like, you know. <laughs> Things are, uh, you know, it's worthwhile joining the party. <laughs> At least I hope so. So the next day, though, she did wake up and she was joking around. That's good. You know, which was uh, which was good. Yeah. So, you know, and then it's sort of like today is one of the, or it was kind of like last night was the first night that like all the emotions kind of hit and it was just exhausting. Mm. Like it was just this wash of exhaustion mm-hmm. and this, and then you realize mm-hmm. like, I haven't worked in three days and I am way fucking behind. Oh my God, I've got to, oh my God, I've got to get so much real life, you know, the, the yeah. real life stuff then leaks back in and mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, 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 real life shit. I've got to, okay, okay, okay. I've got to do this as well. Yeah. And while at the same time, the emotions of everything are now washing over you. There was a time like yesterday where after we got back from the, we didn't get back from the hospital. We left the hospital. We're like, what do you want to eat? I don't know. Let's just go to, because we were driving through New West. Let's go to Burger Heaven, which is a really good burger place in yeah. uh, New Westminster. And we got there and we're like, uh, do you want to sit outside? Yeah, let's all sit outside. And then at least for me, everything started to like loosen up. Because uh, things were looking a lot better, yeah. And then I got so cold; I got like so freezing cold hmm. because I think like the tension was keeping yeah, me yeah. warm, yeah. And then as the tension like went away, and I was like uh, eating like I had a Philly cheesesteak sandwich, it was quite good. Uh, <laughs> and I had that, it just like oh, I'm freezing. 
I'm starting to I'm starting to feel everything. And like uh, as you know, like I, I broke my finger like uh, yeah. a little while ago, yeah. and I wasn't feeling my finger for like two days. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't feeling any pain from it. And then the pain for that came back, and it was like, okay, well, we got time for this again. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. And maybe that's uh, a good and, sign. Yeah, that's a good sign. <laughs> uh, it was just so strange, but uh, but a really good. Uh, anyway, it's all an endorsement for Burger Heaven, <laughs> the uh, the delicious restaurant that makes you cold. It's um, we all Canadians complain about our healthcare because it, it does have waiting times as a part of our healthcare system. But it's interesting, like when you need it, how much it kicks into gear and like yeah, like gets really efficient and gets stuff done and yeah, you see how oh this really works. Like if you had to, if you had to make a determination at that time, like, I mean, it's hard. This was the, this is the problem, of course, is like, you know, uh, she's, she's from that kind of world or, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be a bother. Yeah. Yeah. So it's called Canada. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but also from the old country. (laughs) Um, but but yeah, she's kind of the caregiver in the family. Like, you know, she should take care of like. Her father-in-law mm-hmm. and uh, other people and yeah. whatnot, and so she, she would always like, I think, like neglect herself. Um, uh, but it's so hard to go like, go see a doctor, go see a doctor. Yeah. You're like, you're short of breath. Go see a doctor. And this was what my 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 aunt-in-law was was trying to get her to do. And she's like, oh, later, I'll see you next week. We're gonna do this, and then finally, she dragged her to you know urgent care, which is why she ended up you know in emergency. Thank God. Yeah, it's like good, good she got dragged there. Like it's it's terrible to have the passing out, but mm. like of all the places to pass yeah. out in emergency is exactly where you want exactly it. where you want it. Yeah, and also gets you service right away. You don't have to wait anymore. Yeah. That's what I always say, like, with... Fake it. Yeah, whenever we're complaining about something, like, if we're in an emergency, and it's, like, this incredibly long wait, it's, like, good. Good. (laughs) Like, you, ah, yeah, I had a six-hour wait in emergency. Good. Good, because you don't want the other thing, which is... So, anyway, this is what's going on. Right away, sir. (laughs) Right away, sir, yes. You don't want the... That means it's not a great day. Yeah. Like, when Mary fell and hurt her head when she was little, uh, yeah, when you went there, go there with a child with bleeding from her ear... They go right in there, right into. They don't have to wait at all. Get a neck brace on them and off to off to X-ray and yeah, no no waiting. Yeah, we're. But right. you know what? I would prefer not to experience any of that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, at the emergency, it's like the emergency at Surrey Memorial is like right next to the pediatric emergency, mm, okay. like door to door, is like okay. right next to each other. Okay. So it's tough. Like I was sitting outside um, because th- there wasn't a lot of space inside, and I didn't want to take seats away from. Uh, anyone that needed one yeah um so i was sitting outside so you meant it meant you saw like a lot of kids going into emergency oh my god that's hard on your heart that's Mm. just so hard on you you just want to like just make sure everyone's okay yeah i'm i didn't know they had a pediatric emergency that's new i guess to me i don't want to get too detailed but i'm just curious because surrey memorial seems to have separated out into like various different buildings Mm mm-hmm so you're were you going to the original old Surrey Memorial? This is a good question because like my my both my grandfather and my father went there, went to Surrey Memorial. Okay. So that's my memories of it. But the building that I was at was new to me. Okay, so that's like the new I think Jimmy so. Pattison Pavilion. I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Which like, is apparently very nice and Oh yeah, it's, it's all br- it's brand new. So. Yeah, it's all very nice. It was yeah. very smart of him to make it for himself because you know when you're getting <laughs> to the point where you need a hospital, name a ward after yourself, and guess who else gets in first? I I believe that indicates that he put some money into it. Yeah, yeah, that's also. It's also yes, good, it's a good it's tax good. break. Yeah, yeah. 
There's also like a secret pentos that's going to keep him alive forever at the top of it. That's fair. Uh, yeah, but alive forever in Surrey. So, Ooh, you know, there you go. Yeah, you take know. the good, you take, take the bad, you take them both, and then you have limbo. You're in limbo. Um, yeah, that's a weird thing. Every time I go to Surrey, uh, it's uh, it's all new, you know, except for like one little yeah. hunk no, of you're right. something old. You're right, you're right. Yeah, because that happened to Lisa and I. We were in New West a little while ago watching David perform, and then I got kind of turned around when we were leaving, and I ended up crossing over the Patella Bridge into Surrey. And I was like, oh, well, this is fine. We'll just go to Savon up the hill and get some bread because we need to yeah. we need to do some shopping. So we get up there and it's gone. It's closed. So you're like, oh, well, F that. Now I guess we'll just keep driving and then we'll just go home. <laughs> so like, yeah, we were driving. Everything's different now. Yeah, we were driving through Surrey and it's like, if I'm remembering this right, and mm-hmm. I probably am not, yeah. this is where the comic book store that I used to work at was. Okay, yeah. And because uh, what well, we have to, uh, I'll know it if it's next to a Safeway. And it was like the remains of a safe. Yeah, the, the safe, safe is gone, gone now. Yeah, it's still it's still standing there, but it's not right. There but like it's like, oh, okay, that is the com. All right, yeah. so that's the where the comic box was that became uh, the next door to that became a cult. <laughs> Uh, yeah that was weird nexium and then across the street from that was where we used to have like the dinners the annual dinners for the youth bowling league and mm. you'd get the i beat my coach or the okay. uh most the, improved bowler the italian restaurant across it it wasn't an italian restaurant it was kind of a tropical oh, okay. type of uh, type of place oh. uh hmm. yeah it was like i want to say it wasn't called tropica because that's another restaurant yeah. it was like tropical something sure sure and it was sure. like you know there's pineapple on everything you're like classy <laughs> back then and then yeah behind the, the comic lounge. comic box so like, i was like okay so there should be a burger king here and there was a burger king but it's split in it's two split now. in two now yeah now it's a burger king and a sushi king yeah and you think oh burger king has sushi now because no. it's king <laughs> no they're just two unrelated businesses yeah. that are side by side that are both king yeah it's like nope shouldn't do that that's weird don't like that at all yeah it's... yeah and then across from there is where it's the remains it used to be like all right previously last time i was there it was a christian bookstore okay it's not a christian bookstore it's a bunch of other businesses yeah but it used to be um sir laugh a i remember sir laugh yeah which was also called the comedy castle sure uh, but Sir Laugh-a-Lots is, of course, the name you got to remember. And that was the comedy club that Patton Oswalt said was the worst comedy club he'd ever performed in. Oh, wow. In his life. I've never been there because it was called Sir Laugh-a-Lot. Mm. That's why I never went there. It had the really nice uh, thing of at the end of the show, you yeah. had to shake hands with every audience member. Which, if you did a great job, was shitty because mm. you couldn't like leave on a high. If you did a shitty job, it was shitty because oh you had to shake hands with all these people who didn't Why think was you were that funny. A thing? What? Why was that a thing? Oh, I just thought it was good business, is what the boss thought. Okay, yeah. Oh, it's good. It's a nice uh, service. It's customer service. You're like, uh, they feel, you know, it's a connection. No, no they don't. No, we're done. <laughs> no one wants that. Walk it out. Yeah. <laughs> Walk it out. And then, yeah, that place closed down because mm-hmm. they did a scam. Where they were trying to raise money for a, a woman who went missing. Okay. Like it was a real tr- tragedy. Yeah. And uh, and uh, they were raising money for the family, I believe, and then fucked off with the dough. Oh. And they also lied and said Robin Williams was going to come and perform at this uh, mm. big show, and he didn't. And uh, I, m- I remember the 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 cover of the province that uh, the next day was a dumpster that was in front of the the Sir Laugh-a-Lots. Yeah. 
or, or comedy castle, whatever it was called then, yeah. and was saying, you know, uh, you know, the search is on for the uh, these people that were like the, yeah, yeah. the people that ran the, the comedy club. <laughs> and I, I remember like looking at that and going like, look in the dumpster. <laughs> They're in the dumpster. <laughs> yeah. That's the only place they could be. Yeah, yeah. Have you looked? Look in the dumpster. I don't think they looked. Yeah. Anyway. But if so you that's... carried on a little bit farther, you would have come to Reminiscing Records, which is where I work. I brought I brought that up <laughs> uh, to to both of them. I was and like, weirdly, yeah. down from Reminiscing Records, there was a Seven Eleven for for years and years, and now it's a ramen. It's mm. a, oh no, sorry, it's a it's a pho shop. They do, they do. Maybe it is ramen. And near, it's ramen. Yeah, sorry. and near that was it's two guys reminiscing about old buildings <laughs> in the suburbs okay anyway well, i think oh, i think important. we're i think we're long past uh, talking about my couple of trauma my trauma <laughs> for the last couple of days anyway so and then next to that was uh, okay. a pizza hut yeah. and that was known as the classy pizza hut like if you you know if you sure. want a really nice pizza hut that's yeah, the yeah. one you go it's nice sit down I love a sit down pants I love a sit down oh, pizza sit down pizza hut's pretty great cuz you know what's the best about them I love those cups they serve the soft drinks uh, the red cups they can be red or they can be this clear but as long as they have that that plastic with the weird texture on them yeah 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 that's just to me I that's was, just heaven I was <laughs> I very I was very tempted yeah. to buy some of those cups oh that's very tempting right yeah it's very very tempting mm mm-hmm. It's the right amount of ice in those things. Yeah, I went to I went to A and W uh, a little while ago, and they were saying, you know, we're selling some of the uh, mugs, and I was like, well, then I want to buy some of the mugs. Mm. So I bought some of the A and W. I have an A and W mug as well. I have two actually. I have a small one. Oh, okay. So if you get a small A and W, it's a small mug, and then I have a larger one. Right, that's the the kid size one, which is like, do they call it a baby mug? I don't know. It doesn't this says A and W on it? Here's my theory about A and W. You have to. You have to put those mugs in your freezer. That's right. where you have to store them. Don't store them in your cupboard. Oh, no, of course not. Silly. No. Waste of your time. That's dumb. Okay. So here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the A&W family, and then there's a, there's a family yep. that they have. I'm and a here's how it goes. Yeah. It's got the baby. Yeah. Got the teen. No. Yeah, there's a teen. I know, but it's not. Okay. You're Okay, go on. Well, what am I missing? No, no, you're not missing anything, but it's. Go on. I know. Okay. Baby. Yeah. Teen. Mm-hmm. Mum. Yeah. Uncle. What? Grandpa. Okay. Who's missing? Papa Dad. Burger. Yeah. Dad. So dad is dad is missing. Dad is not part of the AW family. Yeah. Something's happened. Oh, that's weird. Are you sure? Yes. Is that old or new? I don't know if it's new. Okay. So my theory is sure. because it goes it goes weird, because it goes like baby yeah. teen. Yeah. And it's like, oh, something happened. This pregnancy wasn't <laughs> planned. Like they thought that they were wrapped yeah, up, they right? They, were, they were done. And probably mom and dad have broken up. Mm. And now we got uncle hanging around okay it feels like uncle is probably parent of baby okay but we don't want to make a big fuss out of this sure. kind of thing and just sure, play sure. it freaking freaking cool okay so because papa ain't ain't around anymore yeah 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 i thought your comment was going to be that for whatever reason teen is the biggest burger well it should be he's got the biggest apple well it's not though uh uncle burger is uh oh is uncle burger bigger than teen? Patties, yes. oh okay i didn't realize that. yeah 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 now now teen i, I can like see what you're saying myself. Because teen has bacon on it. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Let me see. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of the teen burger. Oh, of course. But here's the thing about A and W: you have to eat in the restaurant. Yeah. You can't take out because you get no ice in your drink. It's terrible. And I understand they want to like the root beer is sacrosanct and cannot be diluted by water in the form of ice. But you oh know, oh my god, yes. You got to put the right amount of ice in, folks, and then you then your ice doesn't melt. Yeah. That's how. That's the trick. I don't think anywhere else in the world understands that. He was complaining when she went to on her trip to Europe when they went to England, and the kids would ask for ice in their drinks. They would get reactions from the the waiters, 
kind of like, what? Like, why would you put ice into a... Because we want it cold, for one thing, weirdo. Right. But also, then they would just, like, drop, like, two or three pieces of ice into it, which, of course, promptly melt with no effect on the drink besides diluting it. Right. And then, then they're kind of like, huh, food showed you, it's useless. No, you have to put in the correct amount of ice so the ice doesn't melt, so you get you still have, like, you know, an undiluted pop with that's also cold. Come on, world. Figure it out. So the burger, we did. F- the burger family. Yes. Uh, okay. I'm pretty sure there's a Papa Burger now. All right. Uh, here's the thing. The Burger family is a lineup of family members aptly named after the burgers of the same name. Sure. Currently, almost all of the fam- members of the family belong exclusively to the Canadian A&W chain. With the okay. exception of the Papa Burger, which is only which is the only burger family meal in the U.S. Oh, I see. Okay. So uh, the Burger family is the Mama Burger, Teen Burger, Baby Burger, Papa Burger, Grandpa Burger... Grandma Burger discontinued. Yeah. Uh, Uncle Burger, Buddy Burger. Yeah. And Sirloin uh, Baby Burger Twins. Yeah. The problem is, is the uh, Grandpa Burger is a wrinkly sausage. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, uh, it's a little bit, a little problematic. Too, a little on the nose. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, look, they, you could think that maybe the Burger family, the, the Papa Burger is there. Yeah. And that's Papa. Yeah. But I think it's Uncle. <laughs> I think it's Uncle. I like that it turns out to be some licensing problem. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just look at the A&W a- a- family. I'm the owners the of the Canadian A&W live here in Vancouver. They, uh, they, they're they the ones who uh, reconditioned um, Nat Bailey Stadium and own the Canadians, uh, the Vancouver Canadians baseball team. Oh, okay. Triple A baseball team. Not a not a uh, MLB team, not a major league team, but I may be I may be mistaken. Maybe Uncle Burger Uncle Burger's got a bit of a, a cheesy mustache. <laughs> it's a little shifty. Yeah. So is the that. is the matzo burger not part of uh, the family? Is it its own thing? Uh, yeah, I think the matzo burger is a okay. separate situation and also uh, there's chicken burgers as well, there's and, the, and they got no. That's chubby chicken. I know it's a weird name for the chicken thing. I chubby think. chicken. Chubby chicken is weird. Well, it sounds like you're doing chubby checker, right? It sounds like I mean, that's what like they're going 1950s, for. 1950s, you know. I guess everyone's so. doing the chubby chicken, and you're, yeah. you're doing the dance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Stan. I'm just looking right now. Uh, I'm, I'm curious right now about like what. Uh, oh, there we go. What does uh, the A and W and A and W stand for? Um, I don't know. Alan and Wright. Alan and Wright. Yeah. I guess the people who originally started making that root beer. Sure. Langley had the last, well, the last in Canada drive-in uh, A&W, where the people would come out to your car and put the tray on the window, and you could eat in your car. Right. And get your greasy fingers all over the steering wheel when you And that's off. allowed. That counts as, like, eating at the restaurant to you? Because you're saying you got to yeah, 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 okay. yeah. They'll, they bring the mug to your car. That's okay, then. Because you got to get the frosted mug. Because <clears> they don't put... Like I say, they don't put ice in your drink. So if you want like a cold root beer, they put the they put the root beer into a into a mug from a freezer, and it and it gives you that. We were talking about that machine I I saw at Safeway, and then you said, "Oh, I've seen that the one where that that freezes the Coke inside the bottle." Okay. So you get like particles of ice. Yes. In the, that's what the frosted mug does to the root beer. It gives it like the particles of ice in the root beer. Oh, neat. And uh, that's very nice, very delicious, and their team burgers are really good. And their onion rings are also really good. I'm making myself hungry. <laughs> Only problem with A and W is it's kind of expensive compared to other fast food places. Yeah, like whenever they have their commercials where they're like, you know, that the teen burger is only four dollars. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, what? How much is a burger? Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know anymore. Like, yeah, is yeah. that? Well, Big I Macs guess. are pretty expensive too. I just figure like it should be 
Like we're really just like real at the edge of ten bucks for a combo. Like just ten bucks. More if than it's that, more no. than that, yeah. that's way like too much. About twelve dollars for like a McDonald's one now. Mm. With a, like with a Big Mac, I, it would be less if you just got like a regular hamburger, obviously. But who would go to McDonald's and just get a regular hamburger? What kind of lunatic would do that? In the states, um, which is where they started, uh, A&W uh, started. It's it's like one of the oldest um, fast food places. Uh, it started in 1919. Wow. White Castle, uh, 1921. I'm trying to see where when McDonald's was. That's much later, like 50s. Yeah, that's right. Dairy Queen was the 40s. Hmm. Uh, In-N-Out Burger, uh, 48. Jack in the Box, 51. KFC, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, 50, 52. <laughs> yeah. uh, Denny's, 53. Yeah, I'm looking for uh, McDonald's here. I don't think of Denny's as McDonald's is 55. Yeah. You don't think of Denny's as like a fast, fast food, food no, place? No, I don't think of them as. Hmm. Because they don't have a drive-through. To me, fast food is is even though I don't really like using the drive-through. It's, that's that's like the essential part of it. Like if you go to like Dick's Burgers in the states, that's fast food. You eat. You're yeah. leaning against your car. <laughs> oh yeah, you've got no option. <laughs> yeah, no option. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you eat it. Oh well, no, actually, there is. I'm sorry. I'm now thinking there well, is. There is the restaurant version of it, but I'm thinking yeah. of the classic one out by out in wherever that area is. And as you and as you eat it, you've got to go. You know they've got a dental plan, <laughs> and that's what and, makes it ethical. And scholar, oh, scholarships for they got scholarships and a dental plan, and that makes me eating this burger and milkshake good. <laughs> I'm a good person because I'm supporting their dental plan. I don't think you're a bad person if you're eating a burger. You get braces because I'm having a milkshake. <laughs> Pretty good. Nice. <laughs> You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to assign uh, guilt to food. That makes that makes that's uh, not healthy eating. Yeah, that's true. That's true. By the way, you know uh, how we were talking about like uh, medical things and whatnot. Uh, this is basically how it actually is. Like when you're at uh, during during a crisis time. Yeah. It's like uh, dealing with a crisis, absorbing the crisis, mm-hmm. addressing the crisis, and then just well, we got a lot of time to kill. What's your favorite burger? And then <laughs> just go off on some freaking minutia because you need to take your brain somewhere else for a while. Yeah, yeah. And there you go. Yeah. And that's uh, this was a good example of, of that. Yeah. Like, here's my issues with, with uh, <laughs> the uncle burger. He's clearly the father of the baby. Well, let me tell you my issues then. Please do. Oh, by the way, our computers computers are still out at work. Just oh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Update. So I was talking about that last week. We're still, we actually, I shouldn't say this that. This is all recording, by the way. I'm just going to Wait a second. You know, that's a good uh, point. We've, should I record this? Oh, boy. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just therapy. Yeah, yeah. Then you have to pay me. Um, yeah, the computers are still out. Although, to be fair, they have, every branch has one working computer right now. And so okay. they're having to use one computer. But it's a Commodore 64. It's Commodore it's right. Everybody's playing games on it. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. Um, it's uh, yeah. Everyone has to do all the like input orders, clearing orders, invoicing orders. Oh. Doing, everything all has to be done on that computer, and it, it's not hooked up to the printer in the office. So they have to like make an order, email it to themselves, open it up in their email, and then send it to the printer to print. It's really made things really so efficient. So how long have you been without computers? This will be two and a half weeks now. Jeez. Yeah, it's crazy. How long is it looking like it'll be? I don't know. It's like, Jeez. I think, I would, I would guess like another couple weeks before things are like back to normal. Wow. It feels like living in the future. <laughs> Everything would have been to the cloud and then well, there fine. is. The, it, I mean, a cloud, you know, okay, cloud is fine. We, we have this essence of the cloud. Like, that's where all our information is. Like, right. we haven't lost data. Right. 
so what we've what is, lost what is what is actually broken what we've lost is like the architecture of the system that controlled like the flow of information from you know from server to computers and why and, is it so complicated that it's taking yeah. 3 weeks because they have like, to what do you do at this company like right now it sounds like a front like it really does like it feels like garage doors you've got you know orders someone actually process them and then they go out right and it's like well we lost all this stuff Mm -hmm. like what nothing okay yeah it's our um, shifty our branch manager had to uh he's actually been not working at our location he's been working in lethbridge alberta uh filling in at a branch that is without a general manager there okay and so he's been kind of overseeing both locations, one remotely, one in place. And then he had a family crisis, and so he, he returned to us. I uh, just came in just a visit, and I was talking to him, and he said, uh, he said, yeah, I've actually had customers say to me, be serious. Is Steelcraft out of business? Like, a guy's out of... He's like, no, 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 this is, like, legitimate. We, our computers are down. Like, we've just had this giant collapse like okay. it's just crazy i'm just gonna wink for no reason it's like <laughs> and if you wink back that's just a wink that's right I'm... so are you gonna you know like come around christmas time mm. is there gonna be a company here wink and well like, yes I, be. yeah i hope so yep i mean yeah it's weird like you start to feel that way yourself you're like what how long can we like withstand as a company how long can you withstand not having access to to your customers like you know, people. But are f- you've got the data from your customer. Like you we don't, don't have the data. We don't have access to it, though. You don't have access, but the data is there. The data is there. Yeah. You just can't get to it. Mm-hmm. I guess they can now because we have this one computer. Okay. I don't know what it limita- its limitations are, though. To be honest. Um, okay. Yeah. So like people call and they're like, just kind of wondering like what's happening with their doors or whatever. And and I like I, when when I'm in the office like looking for paperwork, I get to hear these calls and the and all the all the customer service people can say is like. Uh, this like kind of dance around it, right? Like, yeah. we don't, you know, you know, our computers are down right now. Yeah. So I can't really find that information for you. But as soon as I find out anything, I'll let you know. Right. And just variations of that over and over again, often for the same phone call. It's, you know, they'll take a question, say that. Yeah. Then the person will ask another question. They just say that again in another way and then end the call by saying the same thing over again. And then next person calls and they say that to them. And it's just, that's the way it's been. Yeah, the way it's so- I mean, the way it sounds, you know, it, 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 you sound like you're a company in the 1960s, <laughs> and you've got a series yeah. of Univac computers yeah, yeah. that have just exploded, yeah. and it's like it takes a long time to get a Univac up mm-hmm. and running, and then and then we're going to do it. Like it feels like in this day and age, the information's there. Okay, so you get some new computers, yeah. and then you access that information, and then you're fine. Mm-hmm. Like, what's what, what kind of computers? Like, what's yeah. is it really old timey computers and it's just so, it's so strange. It is it's very strange. Like, it's hard to, it's hard to understand. Like, it's, like, to me, it's bring... a symptom of, it's one of the symptoms of working for a family company. Okay. Is that you have people doing things in a company that they're not necessarily the most qualified for. Mm-hmm. They've just been loyal company people. And so they get promoted to positions. You know what I mean? Right. You know, like, oh, we can't let Fred go. Fred's been, Fred's been with us for 20 years. Yeah. Well, Fred doesn't like to use a computer. I know, but what will we tell his wife if we fire Fred? We can't let Fred go. Fred will have to keep going. Well, our shipping's going to be completely inefficient. You know, Fred doesn't use a computer, so everything he does is like off the top of his head. It's fine. We'll just... What's the worst that could happen? We'll make, yeah, we'll make a go of it. <laughs> we, can't, we can't let Marty go. 
Well, Marty doesn't know anything about computers. It's okay. He can just run the IT department. It doesn't take anyone... It doesn't take a wizard to run an ID, IT department, does it? Well, that's like, the computer department. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just the computers. Like, what What do they do? Like, what's more important here? Photocopiers or computers? Obviously photocopiers. We use those all the time, not the computers. Yeah, it's just weird. Like, you just feel like... Like, okay, so here's... I guess my question is this. Mm. So when I think of... Uh, okay, when I think of computer systems, like, sure. and, and what have you. Yeah, yeah. So I got... You got the... You're thinking of war games. You're thinking of war games, yeah. and uh, the, the only way to real win to reels. is not to play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, like, so was there a bunch of information on computers that were physical? Because this is through all the yeah. elements, because your company is in different areas. That's right. It's okay. Every branch is, is, is down. It's not just us. Right. So the thing that broke, yeah. the, the, the thing that, that broke, yeah. was it something that's online that broke? Or is it something it's physical? Not, it's in not the on, okay. The co- company isn't online in that way because you're. They have their own servers that have all the information. Yeah, yeah. There's data and, storage. Yeah. Okay. So your data is stored somewhere. But also, where... they're all they're also the hub of communication as well, right? Yeah. So we're not use, like using the internet to con- contact each other. It's through. I mean, it's through Wi-Fi in a way, or yeah. it's through cable in a way. But it's it's all like private networks. Okay. That all the information is flowing through. So, so is there's a main system somewhere. That's right, in Edmonton. In Edmonton. That's right. And that's where the and things that is have broken. fucked up. That is broken. But yeah. you're saying mm-hmm. that the uh, that uh, the storage yeah. is not Which broken. is also in Edmonton. Okay. Which is there, but not accessible because the system won't allow us access to it. Because... It's broken. Okay, but, okay. Then... Okay, so how do you know you've still got the... Well, because they can see it there. We just can't see it where we are, because we don't... There's no communication between that server and our servers. Or okay, our but computers. in Edmonton, they could... In Edmonton, can they access that that information? Mm-hmm. So they can. So yeah. that's not... Okay, yeah, so yeah. what is the problem then? Well, we don't have an email, because our email is part of the server system. So we can't email back and forth to each other. We can only f- do phone calls or text messages. Okay, so the problems are that you okay. So that all like all our communic all our business communication is very yeah. limited. Right. Right. Like so they can get us information, but it just takes a long time, and they can't when we can't bother them with our what's essentially minutia right now, like what customers want to know when doors are coming and things, because every branch wants that information. Right. So it's just a few guys. I'm just trying to figure out what's broken. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you've got... I really don't know. Like, I mean, they're not telling us, right? They're not going to tell us exactly what it is. It just... Why wouldn't they tell you? Because your business depends on it, and you need to know that stuff, right? Uh, our business... I mean, our their business depends on it. Right. Not our business. I'm okay. just an employee okay. of the company. So I think... But like your what? managers and stuff at your yeah. specific, yeah. you know, branch can't access uh, it either. Yeah, right, right. They would need to know exactly. what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like because they, they can't. They, say, may not be, they can't say to your customers. Yeah. We and don't they may know not be what, telling us everything either. Right. Like so, my general manager might not be giving okay, me all the enough. information. Because well. I'm just saying, like you yeah. can't like to your customers go. We don't know, and they're not telling us. That's yeah, no yeah. good. You pretty know, much we. That's what it, pretty much what that's what says. it is. But yeah. you can't say that. Yeah. That's what we say. We just say we don't. We really don't know what the problem is right now. We're just they're just trying to deal with it. So, so. yeah, my, my I guess yeah, my other question would be like, so say you're starting off a business, sure, uh, uh, and you're like, we got to set up a computer system. Yeah, how long would it take to set up a computer system? Like, I, just, I guess it depends we, how complicated weeks, months, it is. Like, yeah. you know, before a, a business starts up, mm-hmm. they get they go okay, got to build this first. 
So we can give ourselves a month yeah. to build the computer system first, yeah. and then we can start the business. Well, you say, I mean, yeah, and it sounds easy, but I know, like, when it's I went... It's easy, I'm just curious. When I went and worked at Sunburst Medical, they had purchased a, purchased a software, like a accounting software system mm-hmm. that they had in, in their computers. And, they, and when I came there, they weren't networked. They weren't networked together. So I had to figure out, like, how to network my shipping computer into the system so I could also have the accounting on my computer as well. Because the way it was working was we we're so we we're busy enough that it, we needed more than one person doing, uh, you know, putting putting orders and stuff in. So I had to figure out how to network computers, which I didn't know. I never had done that before. So right. you know, you just go online and it tells you, and then you you struggle through until it suddenly magically works. And you're like, hooray! No one touch anything. Yeah. Because it's somehow working now, and I don't know how, but it, yeah. it's working. And then I, and then the other thing that they did was they didn't know how their system worked. They literally didn't know how it worked. Okay. And I'm not joking. Okay. Like, they... It is still a little bit funny. <laughs> like, I know you're not joking. But... <laughs> it is funny, yeah. yeah. Like, when they printed an order, yeah. they would print it onto a pre-printed... Pe- Sorry. Is that Dave? What's going on? Fire! All right, there, no. there was... Um, there was a... Um, they, yeah, it had these big black blocks on it to block out where prices and stuff would be in the order. And that would be the packing slip. And when I first worked there, I was like, okay, that's how the system works. Oh, it gets kind of weird. And then when they made a, a back order, they would just reprint. They would just make a new order with that back order information on it. And that would be the back order. And it wasn't until I started looking at the accounting system after the second, account, the second bookkeeper left when I was there. And then I had more access to it. And I was looking through it and I went like, oh my God, there's like one million back orders in the system because they didn't understand that when they made a back order on the order, it created its own back order in the system. Oh wow! And then, but they wouldn't. But when they filled that back order, they filled it with a separate order, and so it just left all these orphan back orders sitting in the system. And so I had to go through and and erase. It took me like a couple of weeks to do because I would I would do it in shifts of you know like half an hour at a time and just went through erasing all of these orders. I had to open each one, wow. delete it, open it, delete it, just do that over, over and over again, and. You know, just this is an example, though, of like, like how it works in a business. Like, you know, like there's things that you focus on that are important. And then there's because you're always putting out fires in this one place. Meanwhile, there's other things that are also might be on fire, but you don't know it. You know, so I kind of think I kind of wonder if they were overloading the system, like over. They had all these branches all running it. So it's this big, giant thoroughfare of information going through this one system that over time is going to start to wear down. It's going to break down over time. It can't, it just, you know, no computer lasts forever. Mm-hmm. You know, there's upgrades and stuff like that. And if you're pushing it, eventually your computer's going to crash. You know, and so I, I just wonder if like this system just became overloaded with information over time. We're just adding more and more people to it. Right. You know, there's hundreds of CSR people in, in Edmonton. There's, you know, in our, our place, we had uh, about seven different computers all working off of this system. And I imagine other branches would be the same, if not more. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of people all draining this, you know, and, and so I just wonder if, like, at some point, you know, while we're so busy dealing with, you know, supply chain issues, COVID problems, COVID-related problems, you know, constant shortages, trucking issues, uh, su- you know, trying to get the doors, you know, resin issues, right. like, all these different things that keep coming up, you're putting off this other other problems, you know, that seem like it's working don't worry about it. 
this is not working. We need to fix this problem here. We need to get springs. We need this. We need that. We need what? It's all gone. Oh fuck! Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's just so it's a weird. It's just interesting, like how you know. It seems like that this doesn't happen more. Mm-hmm. If, if, it, if it happened to you guys, like yeah, you know that more companies either through uh, by accident yeah. Yeah. or through just like corporate espionage. Like it feels <laughs> yeah, like possible. if you can if you can like if if I was a rival company to you to you. Uh, and I was able to do this and and basically knock you guys out for a month. Yeah, like whew, you yeah. know. I mean, we're still shipping and making. Sure, sure, sure. Like we're still working. It's just we're working in a very primitive way. Yeah, yeah. You know, when like a truck comes in, I'm like manually recording everything that's on the truck. Right. And then I'm putting that paper in a pile with other ones I've already done. But if I was a if I was a shifty business person, yeah, yeah. you know, and was wanting to, you know, old timey days, mm-hmm. you'd you'd have, you know, maybe some fellas, you know, who were uh, legitimate businessmen who might, <laughs> you know, uh, screw up like something or yeah. like a truck then gets you know, robbed or something like something, something. Sure, sure. But like if you can at this root level just like really slow gum up the works, like yeah, that, yeah, it's crazy. I'm surprised it doesn't happen uh, more often. Yeah, and I mean, like I say, I think, I feel like Steelcraft as a company is kind of in a halfway, is like in a halfway place. Yeah, It's halfway from being a mom and pop shop yeah, yeah. and becoming a legitimate company. You know, and those those are two different things. Having worked, oh, I know. Having worked for a family business, oh yeah, I understand oh, like, same, same. like how incompetencies yeah. get promoted because they're family and, you know, how like, and building efficient structures in that does, is very difficult, you know. Yeah. Well, this is, I mean, this used to be, I, it's a very, very bi- different business. But like back when I used to be part of this uh, improv company, yeah. I always said, this is a family business. This mm-hmm. is what this is. It yeah. has the, both the benefits and the and the uh, yes, detriments, yeah. which is the benefits are you get uh, people going above and beyond mm-hmm. because they feel a sense of, uh, you know, uh, connection with the people involved. The, yeah. uh, the negative is when things do go wrong, you take it personal because it is fucking personal. <laughs> You know, and it, so things, it's that, but also a family business. And you're sloppy. You ignore the business part sometimes. That's it, and and also it's families. And if you're an employee, you're not family. You're mm-hmm. family to a degree, but you're never really family. So you yeah. you will never. That's the opposite of Olive Garden. When you're here, you're not really family. <laughs> you will always be second to the people, even if you're better than the people who are who sure. are family. Yeah, yeah. You will never be promoted beyond those people. And that's the, that's another detriment. And it's a detriment to the business as well. Sure. Because it's a family business, so they have to keep Ronnie working yeah. in the in the in sales, although Ronnie is wants to be a DJ and is totally uninterested in sales and he spends all his time on his but computer Ronnie, downloading what are we songs. Well, do? yeah, you can't get a Ronnie. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you get you get like uh, it, there's a similar situation too where like there's the family businesses and then there's the clubhouse businesses and the clubhouse businesses are the ones that people uh, get their friends involved or at least people that then become their friends yeah. and yeah you like hanging out with these people are they mm. the best people for the job not necessarily yeah. in fact no of course they're not <laughs> and how can you fire them because they're your friends yeah, and yeah, thing. And yeah. this is your clubhouse and sure. and then every dot com business you know, goes kaboom because you were having a good time huh yeah sure like yeah. uh, like I repeatedly say is like once the foosball table's there, then you're uh, fucked. <laughs> you made it, and you're also fucked. Yeah, now you're fucked. No, we're having a great time. Mm-hmm. I know you are, <laughs> but here's the thing. Yeah, are you a business? Or I mean, you can be you yeah. can be a business that's uh, fun to work at. Yeah. But, uh, oof, if it becomes yeah. you know if it becomes a, a clubhouse business, that's funny, and that's something that my my friend at work who's been officially promoted to being assistant warehouse manager. And it's trying to take that seriously. 
was this bemoaning that he said, you know, we've become a clubhouse here. Yeah. We've become like a fun time for guys. And it says, that's not what this place should be. You know, like when we were on the floor or when we were on the floor, we were about work. We did our job. We had fun, but most importantly was to get the job done. But now you see like a lot of people just kind of hanging around just outside the doorway, having a good old yak, maybe four or five guys standing talking. And you're like, you're not doing any work, guys. Like, I can't see anything. On a, big, I, you know, on a big picture scale, once upon a time, as in, uh, I mean, like a generation before us, yeah. you know, your uh, your parents, probably your father, mm-hmm. more than likely, uh, what do they do for a living? They do the same job their whole life. Yeah. And uh, how about uh, how about us? Probably maybe five jobs, maybe yeah. six. That seems to me every 10 years I change jobs. Yeah, you're going to change jobs. So yeah. if, you, if you're going into this knowing this is not permanent... Mm-hmm then, yeah, that affects your mindset to it. And it's like, well, I might as well enjoy it. Like, yeah, either yeah. is it paying me a lot of money or, okay. <laughs> then if it's not, not yeah. then, you know, I, what what do I care that I'm, like, yeah, yeah, I really don't... making things better for the next mm-hmm. generation and for the boss that doesn't know my name? Yeah. And who gives who gives a fuck? Like, then, then yeah, it is going to, I'm going to want that clubhouse I'm fun, not, relaxing I'm not, mentality. I'm not blaming them for feeling this way. Mm-hmm. You know, I just know that my friend... Is blaming him. I mean, his feeling is like one thing he said: "I'm not going to be having lunch in the lunchroom anymore," which was always our kind of fun time. We do we do the box office game together and mm-hmm. or watch watch uh, YouTube videos or whatever. And, and um, yeah, so he, but he said, "I can't do that anymore because I can't be you know joking with a guy at one moment and then getting mad at him for having a cell phone on the floor at 20 minutes later. Like I just I just can't do those two things. Yeah, like, it doesn't work tough. for me." So he said, "I'm just going to be in the office from now on. I'm just going to have my lunches here." And he said, and things are going to change. We're not going to have a clubhouse here. So I'm like, okay, it's fine. I mean, I can't, I can't say anything for yeah, or against there's it. Positive, well, there's positives to it. There's negatives to it. I, and I think you should always have like a, a good, like a good relationship, working relationship with people at work. You know, like that's very important to me. But I also think like should be work. So mm-hmm. you can joke around while you're walking past someone who's working, while you go to do your work, you know, say a couple of sentences or whatever. Make a little joke, or you can have a, couple, a minute or so of talk, you know, and then get back to work. Like you can't just don't stand there for five minutes. <laughs> like, yeah, that's you're asking for it, guys. Come on. Yeah, there's keep, keep moving. Yeah, in my in my differentish world, um, <laughs> you know, when when I am part of like a company that's like a theater company or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if it, it feels like you know, there's some people there for the comfort, mm-hmm. and some people there for you know who have the ambition. To you know, move forward and go somewhere, and uh, and yeah, those are conflict. And it's again, I, I really liked reading this uh, Rick Mercer book, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. where where you know, you know, the second that your comedy troupe starts, uh, it's it's tick tick tick. Yeah, that's the start of the explosion. Sure. It's going to go off. And same thing with like any band, you know, anything mm-hmm. like an artistic endeavor. Yeah, with 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 people, and and as long as you kind of go into it knowing this is not forever. Yeah, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to think that, of course. It's hard to think that, right. Yeah, for sure. But realistically, that yep. is, I mean, you're not probably not going into things realistically, because realistically, <laughs> why are you in a band or a comedy trip, you fool? Um, <laughs> but uh, but that's what, but that really is what it is. Yeah. It's like, these are going to explode. Especially, you know, you think, well, what if we all really care? Then it'll explode sooner. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know. You it, can't care the same. 
Yeah. You can't care the same and you can't care about the same things. Yeah. And if you do care so. uh, the same, you're still going to have different uh, opinions about things yeah. and those yeah. are going to blow you up. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, do as much as you can and then move on to yeah. whatever the For next sure. the next thing is. And hopefully, uh, you know, don't have uh, big hard feelings, you know, at the end. Hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. try at least uh, try your best. But yeah, I, th- I mean, my personal thing is always like, yeah, once you get into that clubhouse mentality, then your goal is comfort and comfort will uh, kill any company. Yeah. Because, you know, now it's serving you and not, you know, the, the greater purpose. For sure. It needs to. Yep. And I mean, if you're ambitious, the sad part is that the people around you will not always meet what you want, you know, in terms of talent or creativity or mm-hmm. whatever you're doing, you know, eventually those people are going to be... They're great for this point, but they're not going to be best great for what you want to do next, you know. Right. So that's the sad part of it. You know? It's, it's, it's not personal. Yeah. You know, like it's, it is personal, but it shouldn't be personal. You know? I've got uh, both my niece and my nephew worked at McDonald's and I've gone on to other things. But they, <laughs> but, but they really enjoyed their experience at McDonald's. Yeah. And McDonald's is, is uh, very smart in many ways. Uh, and that, like, you know, uh, they've got a, a system set up. It's about work. It's about mm-hmm. serving people. Yep. It's not about you having a good time. Yeah. But they try to be positive. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and they know that you're going to be not working here forever. <laughs> so it's like this is a temporary job. Yeah. So you're in and you learn and you, you know, and you take those skills and you move on to whatever the next thing yeah. is. And that's and that's that, okay. You that's know? fine. I mean, well, that's my you know, my feeling about work, of course, is, is that my feeling is, yeah, it's not it's the job sucks. If that's how you feel about it, sure, it sucks. But you're here, so you might as well enjoy it. You're not gonna; it's not gonna go faster if you hate it. Right. Just do your job and at least have a smile, because you know. Then it will suck more otherwise. Yeah. It's just like, what are you getting? Like moping around, kicking, kicking the, the the warehouse cat. Like, what? What's the point of that? What job do you think you've had that you enjoyed the most? Don't say being a dad. Being a dad. <laughs> it's not a job. Um, <laughs> Uh, probably Sunburst Medical would be the one I enjoyed the most. The one I got paid the least at. Yeah. Uh, but the one I enjoyed the most, just because it was such an independent job, but especially by the end, when I was the only employee and and could pretty much just... I didn't write my hours or anything. Right. I worked. I still worked like a my eight-hour days or whatever. But and, and, and did you realize that at the time, that it was a job you really enjoyed? Or no, did no. you realize it retroactively? Uh, there, were t- you know, there were times that I complained about, about it. Of course, but no, I knew that. I mean, let's play the tape back. We've got to, <laughs> we have like eight hundred thousand hours of, of podcasting. I'm, I talked about the show on, or talked about my job in the show in the past, particularly when um, my boss's wife came to the company because she had a totally different view. She was from a corporate world, right? And so she had a totally different take on how business runs, and that was difficult for me to deal with because she came in and it was all about money. My, the, the original boss it was never about money for him. It was about, like, the business was a family place. It was a place for his kids to work and find success. And that's how he viewed it, you know. And he wasn't counting pennies and stuff like that. When she came in, you know, it was, it was kind of one of those people who would probably tell you, oh, I put, I put uh, you know, a GPS on all our trucks so we knew where all the truck, truck drivers were and could keep track of them. And you're like, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> you know, like, and you're not like, but she's proud of it, you know. You're, just, you're like, oh, that sounds like a terrible thing to do to people, but okay, you know. But that's just... You know, she came out of that corporate mentality, right? Of you know, you got to grind to get production, and right. you got to grind. You got to turn off the lights. Don't want to have any waste of power and and whatever, you know. And so it was a different different attitude. But the important thing was, she wasn't there very much. He wasn't there very much. They would go on they would go on three week vacations while I worked there. Wow, by myself, and I just worked the place all alone, you know. And I did 
all the banking, I did all of the invoicing, I did all of the order entries, I did marketing, I fixed product, I talked to customers, I did all the shipping receiving, but I really enjoyed it because it was easy to do. I had a great system mm -hmm. and it gave me lots of free time. I was also able to do like research for completely Beatles, <laughs> you know, as part of my day, you know, it made it much it's harder for me now to do like specialty shows like that. Because I don't have that spare time at work that I right, had, that right, I had right. when I was working at Sunburst. Because I would have like a block of like an hour in the afternoon or whatever where I could just sit and do research. So you like that more than when you were like uh, doing the parking lot stuff and you had time to read and what have you? Yeah, the parking lot was okay, but it wasn't. And reading was fine, but it wasn't. It wasn't like fulfilling. I felt full, I felt like it was fun. Like yeah. I felt like a sense of fulfillment at at Sunburst because I would be teaching myself new skills all the time. You know. I'd be like, oh, I got to figure out how to do banking re reconciliation, or I have to figure out like how this whole in, this whole uh, you know accounting system works. I'm gonna like understand it, not just use it, right? But I'm gonna understand it and make it work the way it's supposed to work. I think that's work. also just really good for the brain. Yeah, is learning new things. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. There's some. There's definitely something to that. That's a tough thing to do as you get older is to uh, constantly like be trying to learn new skills. Yeah, because yeah, you, for the most part, you just settle into your ways, and uh, there you go. That's it. Yeah, yeah. and. Like when people left, to be like, "Oh, it's on on me now to do yeah things." So I would have to figure out like how to create um, the uh, UPC codes on products for our products, and have to figure out how to use InDesign to design the boxes sure. and stuff. And and I mean, I use the I use the templates of the or stuff that already been made by the guy who left. I wasn't like doing everything from the ground up, but I was still figuring out like, "Oh, this is how you make boxes and how you design like the size of it and and all those sort of things and and dealing with the with the with the the factories in China and Taiwan, and getting you know back and forth with them for product information and and, and putting together containers and ordering stuff like that you know like I did all that stuff or ordered all the product in and everything cool as well as taking it off of the container when it came yeah 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 you know so it was all all on me but I really enjoyed it like it was really fun to do you know and, it's, and it wasn't that it was it wasn't low stakes or anything but it wasn't super high stakes either it was just you know it was medium stakes it was a nice medium rare yeah. steak. <laughs> that's how i like which it. is the best yeah the best, <laughs> the best type of steak i'm really i'm enjoying right now doing this kind of script doctoring thing for uh for like plays and yeah, stuff yeah, yeah really it's fun. just kind of stumble bummed into it yeah yeah uh and, and i think it's because among other things like it is something new every time mm -hmm. and it's also something that uh the people involved give a damn about mm. and a lot of times when you're doing some work it's like work that people don't give a damn about but yeah. it's just work that you have to do yeah yeah and in this case it's like oh no they really give a damn yeah, so, yeah. Okay. This is really right. important to them. yeah i gotta look at this i gotta do my best to find <laughs> yeah. connections and jokes and things that yeah, yeah. they have not seen mm -hmm. and then when you uh tell people something that they've done that they didn't realize they've done yeah. that's a that's a really neat thing to do it's fun do you have to kind of negotiate some changes sometimes though well, I give them the, I mean, I don't negotiate anything really with them. It's like I present them what I have seen that maybe they have not seen. Now, okay. if they want to utilize that in any way, that's up to them. But okay. if they say, I don't think this is, I wouldn't go, no, you should. It's like, <laughs> it's none of my business. It's like whether sure, you sure. do or you don't. Okay. okay. Like there was a play that I just uh, worked on and then the the uh, title was almost a, not a non sequitur, 
But it was just like, you know, an interesting thing that was lightly related to a story that was told in the show. Yeah. Uh, that's a bit of a grabber, uh, you know, title. It's like, oh, what that's about. Uh, and so <laughs> I had originally written a joke that referred to the title as something that people uh, would come to see, even though they didn't know what the show was about. And good on them for that, yeah. you know, taking yeah. that artistic risk. Yeah. But then I found something in the play that I went like, oh, this is why this play is actually about the thing that the title is. This yeah. is exactly the whole theme does work. <laughs> and it wasn't the theme. Yeah. Like, uh, or the intended it, wasn't, theme. It, was the, it wasn't the, it was the theme. Or let's say it wasn't the text, but it, it was the subtext. It wasn't the title. The title wasn't related, yeah. connected to the theme. Yeah. But I was able to show why the title actually was the theme. Okay, okay. And yeah, they they were, uh, whoa. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Now, retroactively, every time you do this in the future, this will look like, well, clearly this was the theme the whole time. Yeah. But uh, they have toured the country mm. uh, with this play already. And, uh, and uh, it was never... That connection was never made, and now it will be made in future plays. Yeah, yeah. And it'll look like this was always the case. And I love, I love stuff like that where, like, sure. I'll come up with something that looked like it was always the case, but it wasn't always the case. Yeah, yeah. So that's nice. I'm doing a thing with clowns right now, so that's a that's a bit of a challenge, but it's interesting putting my my brain into a more physical form as well sure. as verbal form and connecting things in ways that I can see that they're. The only thing I didn't like was uh, they they really wanted to talk beforehand about about it, and uh, and and I was like, there's no reason to just give me the you've given me like uh, like a video of the play and you've also given me the script. That's fine. And they were like, oh, we should probably talk to you for oh, okay. And so we have like a conversation. Like, but there was nothing to this conversation. I was like, I know that you would want to. But it was like, no, the whole point of all this is cut out all the stuff that is not necessary. <laughs> Just like send me the damn thing. Yeah. I will turn it around in two days. I will get it back to you. I think you'll get more stuff than you expected. And that's the benefit. Yeah. Anything else? Just businessy bullshit. <laughs> You know, this is this is this is me going. It's a really good play, and you got to like, not necessary. Yeah, yeah, at all. Well, Let me just fix it. Let me nice fix to hear. your car. It's nice to hear. Yeah, don't tell me. I don't want to hear where you got the car, where you've driven the car. Yeah, I just want to fix the car. Yeah, yeah. And I want to goose up the car so they go faster. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna add some things that you're gonna probably like. Mm-hmm. There, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I've been, but I have been enjoying that. It's been it's been fun, and also. Uh, on a side thing, I got to write a bunch of jokes for performers that I really like that I didn't, because uh, there, there's a, a movie that's coming out and uh, a way that they're promoting this movie is some TikTok videos where people like uh, Colin Mockery are doing jokes. Yeah. And so I got to write like a bunch of jokes for Colin Mockery and Aisha Tyler and uh, this other woman, I think her name is Amber, oh, I forget her last name, but she, she plays a character on uh, Archer. She plays Pam Poovy, who's an amazing character on Archer okay. that I'm a, a big fan of. So it's like I got to write all these like jokes <laughs> that, for these people in their style, and that was really fun because uh, I get to write stuff that I could not write for myself. Mm-hmm. You no, know, this this joke in no way would work for me. But okay, let's see the kind of things you normally do. All right, all right. So thematically picking up on what you normally do. Okay, okay. I've got I've got the structure. Now let's tweak it a little bit. Now let's have fun with it. Now let's take things randomly. And yeah, it was just uh, really, really fun. Huh. And, the, and then this weekend, I also got to do stand-up for the first time in a, a long time. And it was nice, too, because I got to do two shows in a row, even though I didn't want to. But I got to do two shows in a row, which I always like to do because 
you do the first show, and if you screw up, then you're like, okay, let me just fix this, and then you can try it in the second show. Uh, but uh, yeah, it went surprisingly well, and it was it was fun too because no one knew who I was, which was really really great. <laughs> no one knew me at all. Yeah, yeah. In the second show, people did know who I was because some people I knew sh- showed up who were comedians. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the first one. Yeah, it was nice. It was huh. nice going in cold yeah. with like an audience that doesn't know you at all, and yeah. like you've got to like win them over. And I was like, ah, it just felt felt really really nice. Cool. Yeah. Huh. Too much, too much of uh, people uh, turning on the audience. I felt when I was watching turning on the audience, like yeah, like if they so didn't they kind of laugh, go like, hey, what are you? Yeah, yeah, like you're a lousy audience. You're mm. very bad. And a lot of, <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why do you want to say that? Yeah, yeah, I just want like, like you. <sighs> You know, I'm not. I'm not. You know, uh, I'm not in a place to like give a whole bunch of advice on stand up. It's not really my thing. Yeah. But the basic advice I just give is: do your jokes. <laughs> do your jokes. Don't care about anything else. Like, yeah. if the joke didn't work, do another joke. Yeah. Yeah. Until you get to the end of your time, and then you thank the audience and leave and shake their hands and shake all their hands on the way out. <laughs> But but it was just this thing of like so many people just wanted to be liked so much and yeah, wanted yeah, to yeah, you yeah. know and it was oh boy and they weren't paying attention to stuff that was going on in the room the, to the point where in the second show uh, okay in the first show uh, the MC uh, is uh, doing some crowd work and asks a person in the audience like hey where are you from uh, Quebec oh welcome to Canada and that's the joke and it gets a, a yeah, fair yeah. laugh and sure, there we sure. go life 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 goes on <laughs> second show MC. Um, starts to show. It's like uh, ask some. Hey, where are you from? Uh, Regina. Oh, welcome to Canada. And gets a mm. mild, mild laugh. Yeah, mild. And he goes, you know what? You know, this shows you're a lousy audience because that got a big laugh in the first, in the first, uh, first show. Why are you using your jokes twice? <laughs> no, that's the thing. Like, one, <laughs> it sounded like that was conversational. So it's like that's not a joke. So that's a problem. Yeah. Okay. So okay. So that's problem number one. Yeah. Then there was another guy. Who came in and uh, he was asking, you know, uh, to do a, a drop-in set. Okay. And I'm like, all right. And so, yeah, I'd be interested to see him do a drop-in set. This guy, I sort of know him a little bit. So he comes and and he starts doing crowd work as well. I'm like, don't do crowd work. The last guy just did crowd work. You don't have to do crowd work. The only reason to do a drop-in fucking set, yeah. is to do your jokes. You want to workshop some stuff. R- workshop some jokes. Why are you yeah. why are you dicking around here? <laughs> Did you just come in to have people tell you you're funny? I guess maybe you did. That's a possibility. <laughs> but it's like, this is not helping you. It's not helping them. It's helping no one. Yeah. And like one of the things he did was like he then turned to someone and went, to, hey, where are you from? Regina. Oh, welcome to Canada. Oh. Right. And then there's a, and he moves on to whatever the next thing is. Yeah. It didn't go all that well. Yeah. And uh, and no one mentions it. And then you think, oh, the MC is going to mention this. My MC didn't mention it. Weird. I'm like, ah. And... My first show. time for a third third right. airing of this joke. So the first show, I'm on second, yeah, because no one knows who I am, yeah. And then the next show, they put me on before the headliner because I did really well in the first show. Okay, I'm like shit. I was like really hoping I could leave early, but it was like fine. It's nice. It's a nice thing. So the show is going like yeah. it's all right, and 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 so I go up and I do my first kind of joke because you know you got to do a joke. Yeah, just go, eh? I know how to tell a joke, <laughs> and, and get a bit of laughs, and so it's like okay, good, all right, we're fine. And so I then turn to the Regina table, <laughs> and I just go, "You're the Regina table, right?" And it's like, yeah, okay. So uh, remember when uh, the first comic said, "Where are you from?" and then said, "Welcome to Canada." Yeah, and then another comic. Asked you again and yeah. said, "Welcome to Canada." Yeah, yeah. that happened, right? And I'm like, yeah, 
Right. And we all just pretended that it didn't. Right. And the audience is like now really getting behind. It's like, yeah, okay, good. So let me just tell you, I had a concussion recently. So I'm sitting in the back. And I hear it the first time. And then I hear it the second time, like, uh-oh. So one of two things happened. Either the comedians weren't paying attention to each other, or I just slumped through an entire show. <laughs> okay, good. All right, it's good to know. Well, and then, uh, welcome to Canada. And then gets an applause break. So it was nice. Nice. Yeah. It's good. There's, you know, there you go. That's situational awareness. Good, yeah. a good skill. People don't, people don't always use it. It's, oh. It was just so frustrating. Just like, just do your jokes. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, listen to an audience. You yeah, know, yeah. And don't, and they're not your enemy. <laughs> and, you know, good God. I know it's like, oh, oh. Yeah, frustrating. Our audience is our enemy, but most audiences aren't, aren't enemies. Yeah, th- well, that's the thing. Like, this was an audience that came and paid to see a comedy show. Yeah, yeah. So, like, they've already made a commitment to this. <laughs> they came down on a Sunday night to yeah. see you do this thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then on the uh, on the bus on the way home, I was like, "People seem like they're really re- re- ready to fight. This is a really aggressive bus. Am I just am I overly sensitive after doing a show, or what's going on?" And it turned out there was a riot in town. That's right, because of that uh, concert got, that got canceled. Yeah, a guy uh, didn't show up. And Little so, baby. Yeah, that's right. I thought I said, and he had a baby. I'm like, what? Um, <laughs> no. But there was a couple of guys on the bus, mm-hmm. and they were describing what happened. Yeah. And uh, it was exactly it was exactly like what happened when we had the uh, the, the the hockey riot, which was the most recent hockey riot, mm-hmm. which was when we had the most recent one. Uh, I'm walking with uh, Pia. We're walking downtown, and then uh, one young person is saying to another young person, "I heard there might be a riot tonight. Uh, you want to do you want to do you want to go to that? Do you want to do you want to riot?" I'm like, "Yeah, maybe." It was just this calm, like that's not how a riot should start. And so we're in the, I'm in the bus, yeah. and they're like, "Yeah." So uh, people just started talking, just going, "You know, we could riot. Do you want to riot? Yeah, yeah, maybe we should riot." And then some people just started to riot, and we're like, "Oh, I guess we're rioting." And so we were, yeah, we really. It's like, it's like that's how Canadian riots happen. I guess is this polite conversation begins. It. It's not someone grabbing something and throwing something. Yeah. It's just, hey. Would it be uh, too much trouble if we rioted? What do you think? <laughs> they damaged stuff at the PE site. Yeah, was anything really uh, badly damaged? There's a few things that were badly damaged. I can't remember what it was now, but yeah. okay, nothing like super significant. They didn't tear down the roller coaster, but uh. yeah, I was texting uh, P at the time, and she was going, "Every siren in the world is is, uh, <laughs> is in our neighborhood." I'm like, "Uh oh, okay." It's it's a funny, yeah, it's a funny part of Vancouver. I mean, we don't think about ourselves that way. But uh, it was what's a considered a really dangerous town, Vancouver. So, like, when was it the most dangerous? Like in the '60s, early '70s. Like that would be like kind of the tail end of it all. But you know, originally it was like it's a port town, close to logging, and so and fishing. So it had like a lot of like a lot of people came into town that were worked hard, dirty jobs that wanted to have a hard, dirty, good time. Mm. You know, and that was what this town was made for. You know, they had its business area over here. And business people who, you know, lived in their fancy place over here. And then everywhere else was, you know, lots of bars and places like that that were right. here for people who worked hard, dirty jobs to have a good, dirty time. That was just, that was what it was like. So lots of fighting and lots of, lots of criminal activity and, and lots of uh, drugs and prostitution and all the rest of it. it was, this is what Vancouver was known for. Right. So and when did that uh, change? I think this, in the 70s, it started to, they started to try to 
changed the town a bit, you know. Okay. Made a, con- a concerted effort to clean up areas and push people Is along. Is that when Granville Island kind of started? Well, Granville Island would have been part of that for sure. Like, yeah, getting... Like, in Yale Town and stuff like that are all, like, a result of that, you know, getting rid of, like, the industrial areas of Vancouver. It's been a long, concerted effort to close down all, like, the railway areas, like, behind, along Burrard Inlet, behind the city. Granville Island was a was a industrial area, and that's slowly been... There's still industrial parts of it, but a lot of it's been moved on. And then the Yale Town area was all, like, warehouses and and commercial uh, you know, industrial areas, and that's all gone as well. It's mm-hmm. all hoity-toity skyscrapers now. But yeah, once it was a place yeah, you could go to. Yeah, I was wondering if it was like Expo or anything like that. Well, I think Expo was the the real beginning of it. Like that was like the the cap of like the culmination of all these efforts, right? Because that was basically put together by developers, kind of like the Olympics as well, right? Yeah. These are always like developer friendly things, right? Like so you create, and then so when they like. They pretty much like forced the expo lands out of the hands of industry and took all that land back from them. Pretty much just expropriated it as a, as a government can, and then put put the expo on. And when the expo was done, they then sold for a song all that all that property to a t- Taiwanese yeah. developer. And the idea was to open up Vancouver to, to China and have like all that money coming here from Hong Kong and stuff like that. So that's when that happened as well. So that's when the prices. Housing prices went from like, you know, $500,000 for a house in Vancouver in the mid 80s when you'd be like, wow, that's so much. To now it's like, that's so little. Yeah, yeah. Can you yeah. imagine buying yeah, a house? Yeah, that's the garage <laughs> at best. Not even at the garage. Best, at best. It's the tool shed out back. Yeah. Yeah. That's the chimney. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's basically, yeah. I'm not, I don't know what's better. It's better to have a town that's full of, you know, the Clark, the Clark Park gang or Clark Street gang. I guess they're the Clark Street gang. Uh, who are like a big organized gang here in Vancouver that would get in regular like big rumbles and fight the police and stuff like that. And and I was reading a book about them that I got at Pulp Fiction when we used to have the office or the office over there when we used to have the office. And it was um and it so details this giant street fight they had during a Lions game. And what was stunning was that I was in that fight as a kid. What? We were leaving the game and got caught up in the middle of this big confrontation between the police and this and this gang. Yikes. And it was really scary. Yeah. Like, I remember my mom taking us and, like, grabbing all three of my brothers and I and, like, just hustling us around the corner from this. These kids were coming towards us, like, running. They weren't running towards us, but they were running towards us, towards something else, carrying, like, weapons, like, bats and stuff like that. And we were, mom's just like, let's get out of the way. This is crazy. And it was just, like, a crazy situation to be in. But, yeah. So I don't know if that's worse or if it's better that we live in a kind of an antiseptic city of rental houses rentals and airbnbs and and no one does anything because there's nothing really to do anymore there's no clubs or you know places to play music or nothing that's left here anymore it's all so i don't know what's better violence or a brave new world we're all in soma Uh, it's whatever it was when you were young (laughs) you'll remember it as a good time because you were young and healthy Yeah, yeah 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 that was a better time Sure. Everyone, everyone I know from like New York remembers New York as like mm. better when they were young. It's like it was really stabby back then. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you couldn't go out after this amount of time. <laughs> it's like yeah, but it was great. That was mm. better. Mm-hmm. How's it better? Okay, fine. It's better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess you'd never it, go to Central Park after five. You felt, <laughs> you felt more free, but of course you felt more free because you didn't have any responsibilities. You're a kid, so mm-hmm. you just. Go out, go out wherever you want. You know? Yeah, I never, like, I, again, I never understood that whole 
rebel without a cause uh, gang kind of like I can kind of get uh, we're a drug gang. Mm-hmm. We make money from drugs. Yeah. And so, oh, okay, that makes sense. So yeah, you sure. want to make a lot of money. There's a business side. There's a business side. Yeah. But if you're just like, you know, young toughs, yeah. or like hanging out like, you know, with your turf. Yeah, yeah. And just like, well, we want to get into a fight. Yeah. It's like, that sounds as dumb as like kids on a bus going, want to riot? It's just like, well, what are you getting out of this? <laughs> it is odd, isn't it? But I guess it, there do is like gr- a... Do girls like it? Is this the thing? Like uh, Girls like it. And girls like it. There's a like sense of power. Who had his teeth punched out there's that's a, a good look there's a sense of power to it and then there's a sense of community to it as well and so if you're part of a larger community that doesn't pay attention to you mm-hmm. or does you know it doesn't feel like you belong to it then this is a place that you belong you know you belong in this gang yes there's a cost to it but and what do you do that's fun i have no idea it all seems like hang around the pool around. hall yeah they hang around the pool hall and and then they, they can get the billiard cues and use them as weapons yeah, i you really know don't what? you can play pool anyway they'll let you <laughs> Maybe. If you pay money for pool, yeah. they will let you play pool. Mm-hmm. We can hang around the pinball parlor. You can play pinball. Yeah, yeah. No, you can do all those things, but you can't do them as a member of the gang with that particular patch sewn on your jacket. Yeah, okay. That makes you, separates you and makes you, in a way, untouchable in, in that society, you know, because you have this giant thing behind you backing you. Yes, you're touchable by other gangs. Yeah, yeah. But, in fact, uh, it makes you a target. <laughs> You're more touchable. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where it's worse. I don't yeah, know if it's worse to be it. unconnected. Like or... I had, I, my friend's uh, father used to be in a gang in, in Gastown, and like yeah. they would, uh, you know, go underneath in all these uh, series of tubes yeah. underneath Gastown. And it was like, yeah, this like well-known gang. I was like, and would you break into places through that? Because I know someone did once. Yeah. At a comedy club I was in, and stole all the sound equipment. It's like, mm. is that what you do? You'd, you'd, you'd steal stuff and like you make money that way. No, not really. <laughs> just like, you're just hanging out? Yeah. What's the fucking... Like, I don't... I get it. But just, again, it's old-timey times. Yeah. Maybe there's less to do. It's a, they're a service club. Mm. They service themselves. Yeah, maybe it maybe it helps that you've got, like, more stuff now. And there's more fun things to do. If you think about... I'm, I'm just thinking about two different gang movies. One, you, know, you say, Rebel Without a Cause. Who dies in Rebel Without a, Clock, a Cause? Plato, right? Is that his name? I don't really remember. I just know... Uh, I know uh, Griffin uh, Observatory. That's all I know. <laughs> so there's a character who dies, and it's like the kid who's like the outcast kid mm. who gets killed. And then West Side Story, the guy who gets killed is, once again, he's sort of the outcast. He's the person who's set himself against these gangs and trying to like stop them from fighting each other. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who suffers. The gangs are fine. None of those guys get hurt. It seems to be the people that, you know, so I guess in that, that seemed to be the way it was, I guess, to them. Like if you're not. The wild one, what happens to that? I don't know. I can't remember. I did see watch that movie, but uh, it's been a long time. I was in that high school. I, okay. So that has the, what are you rebelling against? What do you got? What do you got? Yeah. That's right. Because you're just doing it because it's something to do. Sure. That makes sense. I yeah, guess. yeah. Well, I mean, and I guess that there was that part of it as well. Like, like we didn't grow up in the 50s. Nope. So, and we didn't have like that carryover of like, like, I didn't grow up with parents who grew up during the Depression. You know, like, those kids would have had parents that grew up during a really bad time. And so their life was based around that not happening again. Mm-hmm. And you got to be really careful and spend your money wisely and don't waste time and work really hard and da-da-da. And these kids are like, God, fuck that. Like, can I just go and have some fun? Mm-hmm. You know, and can I rebel against this super restrictive, straight-laced society that's trying to, like, tell me what to do, where to work, who to marry, what, what fun I can have? Like, you know, and so I think right. that's a big part of it as well, you know, like... Like, if you think about, like, early Hell's Angels and stuff like that, you know, they they weren't drug dealers then. That's, like, a later uh, thing that they started, you know, that kind of 
grew organically out of the fact that they were drug takers and mm-hmm. um also you need money they were gas. like they were like ex-soldiers for the most part like ex-service people mm. the original hell's angels who just enjoyed the thrill of of violence you know and didn't meet the standards of of that time and you know sort of outcasted themselves and had i mean their own i think lives. i think you might have answered it there which is it is the thrill of uh of thrill it's yeah thrill. it's addictive yeah to, to have thrills and yeah. like danger yeah so that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but also makes him feel alive yep you know like the alternative is to be a normal to be a normal person right and it's boring and you just what do you go to church you have your sunday dinner you go to work Saturdays you mow the lawn and then next day you get up for church and maybe watch your football games and then you have dinner and then you get no fuck that get on my motorcycle right over here go to a bar have a drink get in a fight go over there meet some gal have sex with her go here do this you know like yeah but the way you're saying that if you said it in the way you said the first thing so what do you do? Yeah, get on a bike. <laughs> I don't know. Go to a bar. But that's how it would feel to a, them. Have a sure, drink. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and they, it all depends on what's appealing to you. Like to what what I described. Maybe that would sound like to another person would be like, oh, that sounds like hell. Having to like ride a motorbike and it's all cold. Yeah, it's like and you're you have to an go angel <laughs> stuck in hell. <laughs> Whereas the other one, you know, would sound okay to you. You'd be like, yeah, it's nice to have a routine and be married and have kids and and have a life that you live that. You know, and it just depends what you're looking for, I guess. Like, obviously, my personality type, it's unappealing to me, like a whole, like, gang thing. Right. Like, this sounds dangerous. It makes me nervous. And I'm already clutching at my shoulder in my normal, like, <laughs> anxious pose. Um, but I guess if you're, I guess if you're a, a different, more, you know, person who likes thrills and spills, that's mm-hmm. what's for you. No, that makes sense. Okay. It, 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 sorry, it's just reminding me right now of uh, there's a, a lot of we have the lottery here is Lotto six forty nine, and there's a Lotto six forty nine ad, and it's uh, what would you do mm. if you could do anything? Yeah, and then they cut to a guy and he is standing on a, a mountaintop, and not like a you know a Sir Edmund Hillary mountaintop, but mm. like you know a moderate mountain. Yeah, and he's standing up there and he's got his arms raised, and you're like, well, that's free. That, you can climb a mountain if you want. You can climb up a hill. You're fine. Yeah. There's another person who's like walking through the woods, you know. Like, that's free too. <laughs> None of these are lottery things. Like, I guess the idea is that you have the time to do these things because you're not you're no longer part of the nine to five world. Okay. Now you can You can finally walk in the woods. You can finally walk in the woods. <laughs> but just because you want to. And just uh-huh. you're out there, you're just living your life now. It's just weird that, that is the that's that's where they're going with it. It's just like what if you had all the money yeah. that you that you could ever want? Yeah. Well, you could because they have another series of ads, and yeah. it's one where they have this dreamer guy who's like a dream coach. Yeah, yeah. And it'd be like, you know, I could I could get a house. Yeah, but a house with you yeah, know, yeah. this next to it, and a this so, that, and a pool, and a super this. And sure. it's like, okay, dreamer guy, you want to go like, and that would make you happier than the nice house, like. The first thing that they're saying is what they want. Yeah. But it's like, no, you got to dream big. Mm. Why? Why mm. do you need more? You know, why is more the best thing? And then they've gone the complete other way of just like, yeah. you could finally eat a bowl of oatmeal. So that's right. <laughs> a nice hot bowl of oatmeal. Well, yeah. Because maybe in the woods. Maybe. They're, they're not just selling you're, tickets. You're camping. With they're a trying tent. to sell tickets to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got your big dreamers who want a big house and right. a bunch of cars parked around it and right, all this right, other right. junk. And that's their dream of the lottery. And then you have people who 
the dream of the lottery is this life of freedom that allows them to to live out there in this life that could be simple, could be complicated, doesn't matter, but it's just a free life. Yeah. And it's symbolized by walking in the woods or climbing a mountain or whatever they're doing. And that's, you know, that just captures whatever imagination. You know, I'm not that interested because I don't have a picture of a guy like laying in a room that's full of books. Where's yeah. that one? Where's that ad? Come on. Make, yeah. make my dream come true. I already have a bunch of books, but yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is there any books that you... Okay, so say you're a crazy millionaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, tons, of, tons, of, tons, of, tons of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you read more books than you no, read now? No, I mean, I'm, I couldn't even catch up on all the books that I have now, probably. Yeah, okay, well, that mean then you could... Okay, but you can get the rarest albums. Yeah. The rarest albums. So would you enjoy that more, like listening to the, the, the rarest... Okay, here's... Okay, let me put it this way. This is what I would enjoy. Yeah. I would enjoy being able to go to places and look through those things. I might not buy them right. because that's not the point to me. The point is to look through them and see what they have. Mm-hmm. And if they have something that I want, then yes, I would get it. Okay, but here's but at this point in my life, it's very rare that I find things that I really want. Now, when you're saying go to these places, what places? Yeah, like go to New York City. Okay. Go to Chicago. So go to London. In, all right. So you're okay. So you well, you know, I mean, you could go to New York if you felt like it. Yeah, yeah, but I don't. I can't afford to go to all those places. Okay. In my life right now, so okay, you fair know. enough. But, but like, if I won the lottery. All right, but the mind. Okay, so what you get out of that? The mm-hmm. looking, flicking through. The, uh, so good. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But part of that yeah, is yeah. you can't afford to buy all of them. No. Like you can't just walk in and go, load up the truck. That would be boring anyway. Give me, give me, give me, well, give me all. Yeah. Like, but part of it is like, you know, looking through these things and trying to find the rare things. Yeah. But if you knew that you could, I mean, that's just the novelty of it for you. You could have anything. So because you could have anything... The search for anything, yeah. would that still have the same impact on you then as a regular person who discovered this gold that was like, oh, shit, yeah. I I found this. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah no, it would or, still have the same. same but say, so. Do you think so? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, for the same reason that I don't search for these things online, is there's no interest to me in that. Because then you can just have them mm-hmm. without any effort. Like, what's a, there's no fun there. Okay. Like, I, I'm still searching. I've been looking since I was a teenager for four turbulent years the diaries of Oberon Waugh I could order them through aid books or whatever like find them around the world somewhere and, and order it in and to be honest with you I already have the book in a collection mm-hmm. of both his books uh, but I still want that book because I just want to own that book Yeah. but I want to own it because I find it I don't want to own it because I order right. it online, right? It has to be me stumbling upon it. Is that is that to recreate a feeling you had, you know, previously stumbling upon other things? Oh, yeah. And, that's and the, recreating, that's the, re, yeah, recreating yeah. a previous joy. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's the fun of it. It's the fun of discovery of something that you've always wanted and to find it. Right. Well, that's the, th- I mean, but that's again, and again, we've, we've talked about this a little bit, which is like the thing, the first thing people do when they uh, win money mm-hmm. is uh, recreate as best they can uh, their youth, the experience that they had okay. that was their view of what youth was. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, I like playing pinball by a pinball machine. Yeah. But like for you, the experience was the search for yeah. these rare things. So you're uh, taking that to a higher degree, <laughs> but you're recreating that experience. Yeah, yeah. But just in like, because, you know, as a, as a, as a, a younger person, especially that would have been just amazing for you being in London, going through a record store, yeah, finding yeah. this thing. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, yeah, you want to recreate that, sure. the experience. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's still. I still have a thrill when I find things that I I've never 
seen or not watched before or or hear about something and I'm like, oh, that sounds really interesting. I, w- I want to watch that or want to read that or whatever. Like it's, you know, I mean, it's probably, it was probably more common in my youth because I, I knew less, you know. So life was way more about exploring things. And I, you know, so you'd read an author you liked, you know, like say you discovered, somehow you discovered Evelyn Waugh. And so you read, you know, an Evelyn Waugh book and then you'd read about Evelyn Waugh and it'd be like, oh, he was, he was uh, inspired by so-and-so. And you'd be like, oh, I got to find that person. So you go and find those books and you read those books and then that leads you on to different places, you know, or you're like, who are contemporaries of this person that were also considered really good? I'll read those books as well, you know, so you just keep reading and then you discover Aldous Huxley and George Orwell and Graham Greene and you just go on from there, right? Because you just keep discovering more and more interesting things. And that, my point in my life now, I still discover, I still hear about interesting things, but it's hard, it's, it's harder to find, it's not that like the kicks keep, it's not the kicks, it's just, you know. I'm at the point now where, like, I own a lot of really fun stuff, so I don't, that's, how much more fun stuff do I need? It's yeah. kind, of, kind of, you know, like, even if I won the lottery, you know, and I was traveling to London, part of that would be to travel and go visit relatives and blah, blah, blah. But also, yeah, go to Hanoi and look at bookstores or right. go to uh, that bookstore in Edinburgh. I think uh, Nettie Tabo told me about. The, oh, what was that? There's, like, a really famous, like, used bookstore in uh, in uh, Ed- Edinburgh. Okay, cool. I don't know what it's called, so I'd have to look at it. But anyway, just, you know, do stuff like that would be part of the trip, but also just sort of fun to do, right? But yeah, I don't think I'd be quite as obsessive as I used to be about, you know, buying every book I saw. Just because at this point in my life, I'm kind of like, I get a lot of stuff. And I don't have much room for it. Right. <laughs> so what, do, what more do I need? But still, it's fun. I've been talking, this to kind of go a little bit off topic, sure, but I've sure. been talking a little bit. I was talking last week about listening to uh, Quentin Tarantino's podcast. I talked about that, right? A little bit, I think. Video yeah. Archives podcast, yeah. He's, it's kind with, of, he's with the guy he used to be in a video store with, right? Roger Avery, who yeah, okay. uh, another director. Yeah. Uh, directed. Best known for working in a video store, though. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no. his, movies, his movie Rules of Attraction is a very, very good film. Sure. And it's unfortunate that it didn't wasn't successful, because I think it should have launched him to a more successful career, but it didn't. But anyway, um, yeah, they do the show together, and... What's great about the show is their enthusiasm for things they like. And they've described a couple of movies, and I've been kind of like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. And of course, what? I'm on Tubi. Mm-hmm. I love Tubi. My, Wait, be- my best friend, Tubi? My best friend Tubi. Okay. And so they're talking about this movie called Demonoid, which was a, a movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've heard of it. A yeah. movie made by a Mexican director about, like, it's, like, it's a crawling hand movie. Yeah. It's a possession slash crawling hand movie with, with uh, Samantha Agar in the lead role. And uh, Stuart Whitman playing a, a heavily eyebrowed priest, and and they're very enthusiastic for this film. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. And I found it on Tubi, and I was like, cool. So I watched it. Right. I'm sorry. I we had a poster for this, the video story. Okay. Yeah. It's a pretty yeah. pretty good yeah. poster. That's funny that you say that because I think he was like mad to get the poster for that film, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, is that right? And he was asking, he was like, "Does anyone, if anyone knows like how I could find this poster, let me know." Because I'd love uh, to have go it. to Twenty Four Video uh, <laughs> in the year nineteen eighty seven. I don't know if he can make it, but he'll try. Okay. But um, so I watched it, and and it's garbage. Uh-huh. It's absolute garbage. It's just like you know, it's fun. It's a okay movie. Yeah. But it's not like a great movie. It's kind of like when I would read um, the Golden Turkey Awards when yeah. I was a kid, and I would just laugh and laugh at the descriptions of like Robot Monster and Plan Nine from Outer Space and stuff like that. And then I watched those movies, and they were boring. 
They're just boring bad movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the girl in Robot Monster is absolutely a knockout, which makes movie okay. But the movie is a as dull, dull as dishwater. And you're like, it's actually better to listen to Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery yeah. talk about Demonoid than it is to see the movie. Yes, I'm still going to watch the One Arm Executioner, which they're talking about in the most recent episode. Because I'm still interested in seeing what they, why they like these movies. But what's great about Quentin Tarantino to me as a movie fan is that he takes those interests that he has in this kind of grindhouse garbage and turns it into like good grindhouse or really well-made grindhouse. Yeah. You know, like something like Kill Bill or Death Proof are high-level garbage. Like they are immaculately put together smart movies that are also exploitation garbage simultaneously. Like, Death Proof is really a well-thought-out exploitation movie. You know, we've talked about what I think is the great magic trick. Well, it makes you complicit in Stuntman Mike's murders and then turns that around in the second half of the movie in, in this great way. Yeah. And, and Kill want, Bill... You wanted to see this. Exactly. You know you did. Exactly. Don't tell me. Don't get on your high horse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a magical you moment. You came to the porno theater <laughs> and you're like, what's with all this nudity? <laughs> I tell you, I've never... Yeah, exactly. You were like, here yesterday. I mean, maybe I have. <laughs> yeah. but, exactly they, but they don't have those long, dull periods. That's right. It doesn't... And it has money behind it. Yeah. And talent. Like, because Quentin Tarantino, like you were saying last time, is a director who can get the best out of his actors. You know, like, you, were, you asked that rhetorical question, why is Pulp Fiction John Travolta's best movie? Why is, why is David Carradine's... Yeah, David, David Carradine's yeah. so good in Kill Bill. Yeah. Because he's being directed by Quentin Tarantino, and he's got those great lines to say. And he's in a movie that, you know, starts as an exploitation classic and then twists and turns into this weird philosophical end of the movie, which is this weird thing about, like, control and, you know, male control of women. And and it's a weird rumination on that. Like, And then it ends as a sort of happy ending, but it's still a sad ending. You know, and you're just like, it's really interesting. It's a really interesting movie, but also really fun to watch that guy get stabbed in the eye and or a woman dressed as a nurse walking through the hospital to the music from from uh, Twist of the Death Nerve playing or whatever it was, you know, like this yeah. or Twisted Nerve, that's what it is, Twisted Nerve. Just things like that, like you're you're like, oh so many good or moments here's in this the movie. Ironside uh, yeah, theme. Alarm yeah, that's, going. That's right. <laughs> Just all those great little moments in those films that uh, he puts together from the garbage that he loves, you right. know. And, you're getting uh, yeah, you're getting the condensed, uh, concentrated version. The, uh, the but also better. It's gone through a filter that's filtered it down and then found. Yeah, no one's the, doing this uh, in between their other better movies. Mm-hmm. You know, this mm-hmm. is an important movie for them to do. They're yeah. all paying attention. This is one of their better movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's really it's a it's a curious thing. And so yeah, I've just kind of even though I like I say I'm going to still check out some of the movies they've like because they do sound interesting. Like the one arm executioner sounds kind of fun, but. Um, I have decided, having watched a little bit of the other movie they're talking about, and this movie was very hard to watch. In fact, I haven't finished watching it. It was called um, Welcome to Blood City. Okay. It's a Canadian film. It was shot in Canada. features uh, Keir Delea in it, uh, as well as uh, Samantha Eger again, who is the queen of the B-movies at this point, because she was in The Brood as well, David Cronenberg's film, The Brood. You know that one? Yeah. With Oliver Reed and yeah. Samantha Eger. Yeah, that's a pretty goofy film. It's one of his lesser movies, in my opinion, but... Uh, it's uh, still kind of fun. It's and, inter- yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, say you say it's interesting. Oh, I was I was just uh, going to say it's interesting. Like you want to uh, always have like uh, Tarantino and uh, the uh, Roger Avery. Uh, Roger Avery. 
uh, say like, when did you see these movies? Like, mm-hmm. what, what age? Yeah. What was the circumstance? Well, this one, when our executioner was one he'd never seen before. Oh, okay. He'd always wanted to see it, and then he's kind of using the show as an excuse to watch oh, movies right, that he right. hasn't seen. That's good. And some some of them he's seen, and some of them he hasn't. Some of them Roger Avery's seen, and, and some he hasn't. So, and then there, uh, Avery's daughter Gala, who's kind of the compare, and then kind of comes in as the third voice for to adjudicate between the two of them over what, uh, you know, she um, she hasn't seen none of them, and it's her job to like find them because Quentin Tarantino oh, right. won't let her watch his copies of them. Her job is she has to find her own version of it so some she'll find on streaming services some she has to watch on youtube some she has to find online or buy them and uh yeah so it's kind of fun for her as well because she's she's also like keen on these yeah, films yeah, it's fun to do the hunt yeah and you know she's obviously grown up with these movies with her dad and so she has a, like a good time watching okay, them all right and uh yeah it's uh it's interesting like there my taste doesn't really run to to garbage as much as as tarantino's does so it's it's curious like uh it's interesting anyway to me yeah, just to watch these films and be like, it's fine, <laughs> you know, it's it's fine. Yeah, again, I always picture like Tarantino and uh, Kevin Smith together watching a movie and like, does anyone, you know, afterwards, just like, can anyone get a word in? Who could get a word in between <laughs> the two of them? But uh, Kevin Smith was on Blank Check mm-hmm. for one of the John Carpenter films. Don't ask me which one it was now. I won't, but I could. It might have been. I don't remember what it was, but anyway, Starman. It might have been Starman, but it doesn't matter. He he. He was really good. Yeah, he was really, really good because he had lots of industry stories to tell. You know, because he's been, you know, he's been in the industry, and he knew the producer of that worked with uh, John Carpenter for a long time, and and so he and had a, like a dream project for both him and one other director, and he always wanted, you know, and he always wanted to do uh, do this movie, and you know, he just had it was really interesting to listen to uh, his stories and stuff. So you know, they, even though, yeah, he's a real yakaholic, he does. He does uh, have have good content. Yeah, is yakking. I would be I would be more curious to hear him talking a uh, movie with someone like Tarantino. I think mm. than some someone who just lets him dominate because he yeah, can. Yeah, yeah, just be the tidal wave. Or mm-hmm. He was recently uh, here for Clerks Three and okay. you know went went over as he does you know, quite <laughs> often. Like yeah. he'll talk so long after a movie that people will order in pizzas. And it's like <laughs> what are you going to do? And they they actually showed it was funny. They showed uh, a series of. Uh, you know, you're going way too long, way, way too long. You know, 25 minutes too long, 30 minutes too long, hour too long. And they're all emojis that are crying and weeping and throwing <laughs> up. And it's just like, please get off, just stop. Yeah. Shut yeah. up, shut up, please. It's worse than Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, him and Bruce Springsteen, who would go longer. <laughs> you can never have a, oh, well, you know what? They both like New Jersey. Hmm, maybe they should work together. That'd be interesting. Curious thing about Tarantino and Avery on the show is they don't really discuss the films too much in technical detail. They do a little bit because, you know, they're both directors who've worked with budgets of various sizes. And it's interesting, like, to hear their... their uh, Tarantino tends to more argue from writing. That's more where he's interested. Okay. I think his feeling is almost like, you directed a movie? Good for you. That's hard to do. Great job. You know, like, you really knocked it out of the yeah. park. Just by making getting a film made. Awesome. Your third act? <sighs> Could have used a bit... <laughs> Like, so yeah, because they're talking about this Welcome to Blood City, which is about, it was made in the 70s, like I was saying, and it, it um, it's about these people who wake up in like a deserted, in like this deserted area, there's nothing around right. them, and they can't remember who they are, and they can't remember why they're there, Okay. and all they have is a card that tells them that they were a murderer, and they killed this many people, and how, that's all they have, 
And so Kira Delia's character, um, he uh, doesn't even look at his card. He just tears it up. He says, it doesn't matter. That's the past. He's not interested in the, what, what, what he did or what, what he did before because he doesn't know who that person doesn't exist anymore. It's kind of an interesting take. And then it turns out that they're in this kind of a, uh, they're, they go to this town and it's basically like they have to murder people in this town or be murdered. Okay. And if they kill 20 people, then they'll become like the king of whatever, like some kind of, I haven't finished watching all of it because this mo- the move the version that's on Tubi is from a v- VHS tape. And the reason you can tell that is it's literally pan and scan mm-hmm. that you're watching on the screen. I was going to say, in... because there's a, an episode of MASH halfway through. <laughs> you're literally watching a pan and scan version on the screen. Like it's a square box yeah. on your widescreen television that's panning and scanning through the, through the, the uh, credits. Okay, all right. And you're like, oh, this is terrible. And everyone's faces are cut off. And it's all badly framed, <laughs> and it's so frustrating. And then it's it's really a low quality VHS, yeah. and it's really terrible to watch. So it was really hard, and I I kind of gave up at a, at a certain point. And I, I was also tired, so I will watch it, but I, I it's just gonna be it's gonna be a chore. Sure, because like I was complaining about, I'm pretty sure I was complaining about on this show, very show, the fact that we as film fans lived through the pan and scan era, as our parents did. But some of us, myself, myself there, knew that this was wrong. <laughs> knew we were in a wrong place and that we were being cheated because I watched Spaghetti Westerns and they banded the credits but not the movie. And so I knew that we were being ripped off. And when Laserdisc came and when DVDs came to save us and give us letterboxing so we could watch movies in their proper screen aspect, it was a miracle. It was so magical to see that. But what's happened is streaming has fucked us. Fucked us hard. Because they don't show us stuff in the proper aspect ratio. Mm. They show us pan and scan, but it's pan and scan for widescreen televisions. Mm. But if it's a Panavision image, like a one, one to one eight five or whatever it is, that's still too wide for your TV screen. But they still blow it up and take away the banding on the top and bottom and cut off the edges yeah. and pan and scan over it. Because I was watching this movie called Death Rides a Horse. It's a spaghetti western with um, uh, Lee Van Cleef and... Oh, I can't remember the actor's name now. He was in Danger Diab- Diabolique. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, and there's a scene in the film where it's showing like a bunch of boots, like a bunch of guys who have been hanged, and it's just showing their boots. And the camera pans along, and it shows all the boots. But it, it can't, because it's being cut off, so it has to like do this little uh. scan over. And it's just like, fuck, we're back to this again. Fuck you guys. So yeah, just so you, everyone knows, we're being ripped off by streaming services. Not only do we not own things and they can take them away from us anytime they feel like right hbo looking at you but now they're not even showing them to us as they should be shown which is what we got with dvds so hang on to your physical media give up don't give up the good fight there you go and if you want some good physical media go to valley village there's tons of stuff there because everyone thinks it's a good idea to get rid of this except the one that is by our place right now yeah. because it burned down hopefully they'll rebuild it hopefully they'll rebuild they rebuild the one in uh, langley oh. We'll see. Uh, land <laughs> they is often really own the property themselves. So. Oh, okay, that's good. Land yeah. is uh, land is valuable. Maybe they'll uh, put, build condos there, but they'll have a valley village in the bottom. We need more youth gangs from the fifties just showing up. Yeah, you know what? That's where's the, thing. the Clark Street gang? Most of those guys are retired now, so they could just show up again. Just mm-hmm. to, they got free time, just like hey, how are you doing? Yeah, that's right. they're retired. They're on their pension plan, their gang pension plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Well, that's why I was paying all these dues. And speaking of Tubi. Yeah, speaking of Tubi, uh, you know how uh, you do this thing sometimes where you talk about uh, Vampire from the 70s and uh, what, what what he's up to? I do. Are you going to be doing that now? Yeah. Hey, then it's time for... <laughs> time for... 
Dork Shadows. Okay, let me get one candy out of here first. Yeah, you do that. All right. Then we'll, uh, do thing. Now let me tell you a little story before I start this. So How about a vamp name? <laughs> but a vampire named Barnabas. Uh, I was um, I was leaving my house this morning or yep. this afternoon, and I was in a bit of a rush. And so I took grabbed my Dirk Shadows notebook, mm-hmm. put it on top of my car, ran went to the trunk. I took my router and some clamps I'd had in there because I did something at work. I put them in the shop, locked up the shop, <laughs> ran back to my car, okay, hopped in it, all right, and drove off. And I was driving down the freeway, and then I thought my notebook. So I phoned Lisa mm-hmm. and said, "Hey, I think I did something stupid." I think I left my notebook on top of my car. And she said, all right, I'll go see if it's outside. So she went back a couple minutes later. She goes, well, I found it. It made it a block from the house. Mm. It only got run over once. <laughs> so uh, she said, sorry. I was going to ask. So just, just just quickly. Yeah. So this is Lisa, uh, who is the uh, co-host of uh, Horse Mysteries. That is right. What, when is that coming back, Dave? Well, in case people didn't know, it's it's back now. What? Actually, yeah, an uh, episode dropped on Thursday of from our first episode of our second this season. This is one of your horse droppings. This is one of our horse droppings. That's right. And uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a fun show. Everyone should give it a listen. Okay, so that was a plug for horse mysteries. So uh, it, it features a new mystery called Candy, which takes us back to Chicago Land and the uh, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to describe that place. If you live in if you lived in Chicago in the forties, fifties, and sixties, God bless you. Um, and then um, also horse bits, where um, I asked Lisa a random question that she's not expecting about uh, horse anatomy, and she has to uh, tell, talk about it. Oh, so that's always fun as well because she knows nice. a lot. Okay, so yeah, we always have a lot of fun on that show. You're welcome to listen. It's available on a podcast player near you. And let's uh, talk about let's talk about a little place we like to call Collinswood. All right. Now, if you remember last time we talked about this, I know we missed an episode, but um, Jenny, Quentin's wife, not ex-wife, they're still married. Oh, good. He's just a dabbler. Make it work. <laughs> no, he doesn't make it work. She's mad. She's mad, Jenny. Okay. Uh, she was locked in the basement of uh, Collinswood oh. for many years. No marriage is perfect. That's what they say. Because uh, Quentin had run off with Ed, with uh, Edward's wife Laura, hmm. who also you know uh, he saw die in Egypt. That's a different story, right? And so Jenny had escaped from Collinswood, and now and then she uh, happened upon Barnabas laying in a coffin, and she was quite happy that it wasn't Quentin. And she just thought it was hilarious that she found Co- Barnabas there and it wasn't Quentin. <laughs> she was going to tell Quentin all about this hilarious joke. And uh, I guess she had to be there. Magda, <laughs> well, she is mad. So her sense of humor is more developed than ours. And uh, Magda, you know, was having to tell her, let's not talk about this in public because uh-huh. you know, no one should know about this. And then she came down the stairs after she escaped from her room, after she conked Magda on the head. And um, she saw Barnabas talking to Judith. And she points at Barnabas and says, you're dead. Ooh. You're dead. I saw you in a coffin. And uh, of course, Barnabas is not happy. That Jenny describes seeing him him in a car- coffin, but Jenny is terrified, and she runs out of the old house, and returns to Collinwood. Judith and Barnabas come back as well, so they they're going out in search of her, and then they see the doors open, so they assume that she's gone inside, and there they meet Beth, and uh, Beth is instructed that she has to go and find Jenny, which she does, and Judith then starts to question Barnabas's trustworthiness. I guess him laying in a coffin isn't that trustworthy. <laughs> 
And, you know, she says, you're not really part of the family. And yet, you know, you've le you're learning all these secrets about us that we've tried to keep hidden. And he says, well, I am part of the family. I'm, you know, and I will, these secrets are sac you know, sacred. I will not give them away. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason they have this sequence is so that Jenny can get to another set. And so <laughs> Jenny has found the family gramophone in the drawing room. Uh, and, of course, while she's in the drawing room looking at this gramophone, this is when, this is when Judith and Barnabas are yakking outside. But they didn't, I guess they don't bother going in there looking for her. Then she leaves in pursuit of her true love, Quentin. All right. Just so everyone knows, I, I'm having to open these uh, pages on my phone. So just give me, give me time. Sure. I'm not a machine. No, it's fine. I wonder if uh, Barnabas would have uh, liked being in Blood City. It seems like uh, that'd be his kind of place as a vampire. <laughs> Blood City. Welcome to Blood City. There was something like that. Like, oh yeah, I used to have an office that looked out onto uh, Blood Alley in uh, in Vancouver. Uh, but before you get the wrong idea, the reason was they called it that uh, because of the blood. That was the thing. It's kind of a butchering area, so there would be uh, blood that would run. Don't you? And that's what it's called blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a harmless. Yeah, just a harmless river of blood uh, behind the uh, office. Not when I was there. Uh, I was uh, there uh, with a taking over an office from a failing tech company. Yeah, you were you were there for the gentrification that uh, had a foosball table. <laughs> just saying. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. All right. So Jenny leaves to. Uh, Cue several scenes of Beth searching the house while Jenny skulks around nearby. So a lot of like those shots where music's playing and one character's walking down the hallway and then another character's sneaking down another hallway and then they cut to some other hall, the same hallway from the different angle and then, you know, just a lot of this going on. The, well, the incredible music. skulk. Yes. <laughs> uh, Beth comes upon Quentin, who's having some drinks. At first, he thinks that Judith has succeeded in locking Jenny away because Beth tells him that Judith, that Jenny's back in the house. And he's like, ah, well, my sister has succeeded where I failed. Because mm -hmm. he wanted to murder Jenny, of course. And so he's, she caught her, she found her, found her before I did. And, uh, you know, and he says, of course, you're not going to tell me where she is. And she says, no, no, she's not locked in the house. She has escaped and she's somewhere in the house. Okay. And I think you're in danger. Uh, but he becomes excited when he learns this. He's like, oh. And uh, he says, now I can, now I can kill her, you know, before, uh, before my sister finds her. And so Beth objects to his murderous plans, but he passionately kisses her. And at that moment, Barnabas and Judith walk in on them. And there's a lot of, hoo will I pull on my tie while we, let me, I'm blushing a little bit. <laughs> and uh, so Beth is embarrassed, but Q, Quentin seems unfazed by all this. He's, uh, you know, he mockingly congratulates Barnabas and Judith for losing Jenny so quickly. He says, I wish I had you as jailkeepers. Barnabas and Judith convince Quentin to act as bait. They'll play his theme. I'm putting that in quotation marks, but there's a theme that was called Quentin's Theme that was actually was a, a hit song on the radio around this time period. Uh, and f uh, then that will lure her to the drawing room. Okay. And then, uh, of course, Quentin is saying, great, so what you want is her to come and murder me rather than me murder her. Unfortunately, while discussing their plans, Jenny eavesdrops outside the drawing room. Oops. After uh, several plays of the after several plays of the song, Barnabas conf uh, confesses to being heartily sick of the song and it is decided that Beth and Quentin will search the house together and Judith and Barnabas will go to the cottage to check on Laura Collins, 
whom we will not see because we are at maximum cast for this episode. Upstairs, Beth and Quentin, there's usually five people per show. They couldn't go over that, otherwise their budget was blown. Okay, even when the show became very popular? Yeah, it still had the same budget. Okay. And it was weird. Upstairs, Beth and Quentin continue to canoodle. So they, you know, they love each other. Mm -hmm. Well, Beth loves Quentin. It's hard to tell what Quentin loves. But uh, Quentin has convinced her that he loves her. Uh, Beth confesses her conflicting feelings. She loves Jenny and wants her to be safe. But she's also jealous of Jenny because she's Quentin's wife. And her wish, and uh, she wishes that she was no longer, like Jenny was no longer alive. Because then she could be Quentin's wife. It's basically her conflict. Like, because okay. like, she's Jenny's caretaker. And she's looked after her for a long time. And so she loves her. At the same time, she has been drawn into Quentin's web. And now she's conflicted. Because, you know, if, what if they find her? What, that, what does that mean? That means that Quentin can't be hers. Uh, all of this is being overheard <laughs> by Jenny, who is hiding nearby, by the way. As Beth and Quentin passionately kiss... Jenny emerges from the shadows with a knife held high above her head, ready to strike. Knife to see you, she says. And then, that's the end of that episode, by the way. Oh, okay. Sometimes. That's a good good ender. Yeah, that's a good little cliffhanger there. You know who'd like that? Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) Another Quentin. They're doing it. They're doing a good... No. What? I was just wondering if he was named after Quentin from from, uh, Dark Shadows. No, Quentin Quisp. He's named after Quentin, Quentin Crisp. I always want to say Quisp. <laughs> it was, that's when he was the serial mascot. That's right. Quentin Quisp. Um, now this one starts with a little recap of the conversation. And I liked it so much, I actually, I wrote it down. Oh, Because yeah. um, Jenny says, sometimes I, hate, I think I hate you. Quentin says, you don't at all. She says, hate you for making me feel this way. Uh, oh, Quentin, I took such good care of Jenny before you came. Oh, Quentin Tarantino was named in part after Quint Asper, okay. Burt Reynolds' character in the TV series Gunsmoke. Oh. And his father was aspiring actor Tony Tarantino. Oh, really? Who left the family before his son's birth. No. Yep. Not good. Good job, deadbeat dad. Boo. Whoops. Boo. Whoopsie doodle. Deadbeat dads, they're dead beating around. <laughs> oh, boy. Sorry, I'm looking at a picture of his dad who's uh, 82. Uh, who made the mistake of dyeing his hair way too dark and then going, you know what? I'll make the eyebrows match. But he's got some real Leonard Brezhnev eyebrows. So he like really darkened them on. It looks like he, they were drawn on with a marker. Oh, boy, that's not a great look. He's got some good teeth, though. She was the only life I had, Quentin says. But now you have me. She says, I know, I know. <laughs> and then he, Quentin says, I wish you'd look a little more pleased. I feel so deceitful. We're going to have to get rid of that uh, conscience of yours. So I think that really kind of shows his character. Yeah, you know, the idea that's that good, yeah. It's a really good little scene. This is an episode written by Sam Hall, who is probably the best of the writers of the show. He's always the one that has a really snappy conversation and always keeps the plot moving fast. Uh, his, his exposition is really good. Um, so anyway, so Beth opens her eyes to see Jenny approaching. Quentin reacts and blocks Jenny's attack. There's a noisy scuffle. There's a lot of like, ee, ooh, ah, er, ee, a lot of noises made by actors who are wrestling around on a TV set. Um, there's a noisy scuffle, and Quentin succeeds in disarming Jenny, but it's not enough. He begins to strangle Jenny, and despite Beth's attempt to stop him, kills her. Boo. As Beth reacts in horror, Quentin flees the room. Downstairs, stern brother Edward arrives home to Collingwood. 
Beth rushes in to tell him what's happened. A brief cut to Quentin staring at his hands. Then a sh- uh, then sort of oh, he's, oh, I use the word word again. Skulking. He skulks upstairs. Skulks again. Yeah, yeah. No, let's skulk. By the way, do you want some Sam Hall trivia? Oh sure. Sam Hall's uh, son mm-hmm. uh, wrote on the uh, remake of uh, Dark Shadows uh, oh. that NBC did. Oh wow! So there, there you go. Keep it in the family. That's my Sam Hall trivia. He was also married to the actress who plays Magda in this. Oh, uh, Grayson Hall. Very good. Grayson Hall, because she was married to Sam Hall. So that, um, so the reason that they quit to Quentin, of course, you know, looking so they can, they can uh, have Beth and Edward get over to the Beth <laughs> Beth's bedroom set. I always like that when they have wow. a little little scene in between actors going from place you just to hear place. In the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> shuffle, 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 shuffle. Yep. Son of a bitch. A lot of... Oh, 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 my toe. <laughs> Who put this here? What idiot. They can't hear me. I'm not on mic. <laughs> well, I'll turn the mic off. <laughs> okay, just one second. I just have to... Sure. Sam Hall also wrote sure. on uh, One Life to Live from uh, 1975 to 1985. Yeah, he was a big deal. Big deal in his way. Um, oh, he won... Uh, yeah, he won the Writers Guild of America Award in 1986 for One Life to Live. And also, he won it in uh, 1991 for his work on the soap opera Santa Barbara. Good for him. Yeah. He was nominated for a couple of Emmys uh, for One Life to Live in Santa Barbara, uh, but did not win. Aw. Yep. It's who you know. It's who, <laughs> it's who you know. It's who you know. Yeah, apparently he met Dan Curtis at a party, uh, like a cast cast party. And uh, when Curtis heard he was a writer, he said, oh, you should come write for my show. Ugh. This whole as a writer, whole. that is uh, annoying <laughs> to hear a story like that. He was already working as a writer. So. Oh, good, good. But uh, how do you get to work in show business? Ah, I go to a party and hang around, <laughs> and someone will go, "Hey, you want a job? Sure, let's take a job." Yeah, no, he was a already an established writer, but uh, he thought it would be fun to work on the show that his wife worked on. Mm-hmm. So we get to Beth's bedroom. Edward drops Jenny's arm and confirms that she is dead. Sort of cuts to him, like taking her pulse. He easily guesses the shenanigans that were going on that led to Jenny's attack. Despite Beth's claim that it was an accident. And it was kind of an, I don't think, it's hard to know because of Quentin's threats to kill Jenny over and over again. It's hard to believe that he did, didn't murder her intentionally. But he claims it was an accident as well. He questions her about a pile of clothing on her dresser. Beth says that she was going to take them into town for the children. This is a, We've heard her talk about this before, but this is the first time that we kind of get this little bit of a clue. Edward says, Jenny's children. And Beth adds, and Quentin's. To which Edward responds, yes, God help them. <laughs> he is concerned that Quentin might have seen the clothes, but while they both agree that Jenny saw them, Beth is adamant that Quentin did not notice them. So it's interesting. So we were learning something here, that there is also children involved, okay. that Quentin doesn't know about them. So obviously he left a pregnant Jenny behind when he ran off with Laura Collins. What is he, Quentin Tarantino's dad? <laughs> Edward commands Beth to begin cleaning up the murder scene and quickly leaves. Quentin is creeping out of Collinwood with a travel bag when he is stopped by a very stern Edward. It'd be interesting if the vampire was the deadbeat dad. That would work out better. Because it'd be the undeadbeat dad. <laughs> uh, who forcibly tells him he isn't going anywhere. This is where the, there's an ad break here. Then all of them, uh, sorry, Beth, Quentin, and Edward are in the drawing room. Quentin declares himself innocent of murder. Edward agrees, says, you're too big of a coward to actually commit murder. Edward has concocted an elaborate story to account for Jenny's death that absolves Quentin of all wrongdoing. So he tells them, this is what happened. 
Beth, you found Jenny at the bottom of the stairs. She'd obviously fallen down them and hit her head. You took her to your room. You examined her. She seemed okay. Then a while later, she passed away from her head, head, from her head injury. Um, so that's his story. And, and Quentin points out that he's not doing it for him. That he's not doing this for Quentin's sake. He's doing it to keep the, or sorry, or to keep the honor of the family intact, which uh, Edward says is exactly right, and Quentin is disgusted by Quentin points out that the circle of witnesses to Jenny's existence or her presence at Collinwood uh, has widened considerably in Edward's absence. So to Edward, the only people who know about Jenny are Judith himself, Dirk, and Beth. But then Quentin points out Barnabas knows. Okay. And Magda and Sandor know about her too now. And he also tells, he also reveals to Edward that Magda is Jenny's sister. And Edward, in a great moment, he's like, you married a gypsy? And Quentin says, this is no time to be socially offended. It's <laughs> a good line. Suddenly there is the familiar three knocks at the door. Yes, it's always, every time. So people knock to come to Collingwood. Wang. Conf- no, I knock. <laughs> a confident Edward tells the others to, to remember the story. And uh, he goes to the door, and it is Magda and Sandor. They have come to collect Jenny. It's like, we'll get to the next. <laughs> a, um, a pained Edward tells them of Jenny's death. He tells them of her fall down the stairs. He recognizes Magda as her sister and expresses his deepest condolences. Magda wants to see her sister. Edward offers to take her to Beth's room, but Magda says they know the way, and she wants to go by herself, so they go there. Uh, there's a short sequence with Quentin and Edward which allows Magda and Sandor to get to Beth's set. <laughs> a stricken Magda and Sandor enter Beth's room. Jenny is laying still awkwardly on the bed in the pose that she fell in when she was being strangled by Quentin. Magda pray, uh, prays over her, and as she arranges Jenny's body, she opens her bald fist and a button falls out. Ooh. Magda and Sandor know then that Edward lied to them, and Jenny died fighting for her life. Sandor notices the bruising on Jenny's neck. Magda, Magda declares that they must avenge Jenny. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. We're all for... Um, avenging. Avenging. On alternate weeks, uh, David picks themes for songs. There's a lot of Jenny songs. Not songs Dave would pick. <laughs> there are a lot of them, though. You're but right. I think it'd be like uh, 8675309. That'd be one a Jenny song. Jenny from the Block would be another one. Jenny by the Click Five. Jenny, Jenny by the Little Richards. Jenny, Take a Ride by Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. Photo Jenny. Are oh, you looking at Jenny songs? Yeah. <laughs> Jenny was a friend That's of cheating. mine by the Killers. That's cheating. Poor Jenny by the Everly Brothers. Well, it's the only way I can do it. <laughs> I could go like Jenny from the Block on eight six seven five three zero nine, but that'd be it. Yeah. Jenny, Rebecca by Barbara Streisand. <laughs> deep, deep cut. Jenny by Shaggy. Last song to Jenny, the Avid Brothers. No Love for Jenny by Barry Manilow. Jenny Dreamed of Trains by John Denver. Jenny is a very common name in it songs. It is. It's a, it's a good one. It's kind of like Mary. It's a, yeah. it's a two-syllable with a good with an easy rhyme on the end. Right. And of course, uh, 8675309, the Jenny Jenny song, that is by Tommy Two-Tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the drawing room. Very good. Edward is rehearsing Beth and Quentin in his version of events. Magda and Sander enter. They have some questions they want answers to. 
As Edward pompously condescends to answer them, Sander notices that Quentin's jacket is missing a button. A perfect match for the button in Jenny's hand. An outraged Mag- Magda attacks Quentin, but Sander pulls her away. She threatens to go to the police, but Edward pulls out the classic, we're the Collins and you're gypsies, who will the police believe card? It's a pretty, good, pretty strong card. Yep. Magda then reminds Quentin of her earlier threat. If anything happened to Jenny, she would put a curse on him. A curse that would make him suffer the way that Jenny suffered. He would suffer so much that he would want to die, but he could never die. Oh. To which he's, okay. he's a little nervous. So she would give him immortal life. Wow. <laughs> what a curse. <laughs> well, I guess if you're suffering, it's a, I guess someone so wants to live forever. Jenny Don't Mind by Foghat, the Jenny song, <laughs> the guy who sings your name over and over. Jenny Come On by Dressy Bessie. Okay, I'll keep going. Yep, keep Jenny going. of Old Stones by uh, Ramin uh, Jawad. Cotton Jenny, of course, by uh, Anne Murray. Uh, I think um, I think Gordon Lightfoot also did a version of that. Uh, Jenny Jenkins uh, by Jerry Garcia. Jenny You're Barely Alive by Rilo Kelly. Jenny Got a Dance by the uh, Bay City Rollers. Oh, yeah, there we go. Uh, Gordon Lightfoot also did Cotton Jenny. Cotton Jenny. Jenny Wore Black by Men Without Hats. Jenny Says by uh, Cowboy Mouth. Uh, Jenny Ond Aeoline by Stereolab. Uh, Jenny's Got a Pony by Los Lobos. And this has been All Jenny Radio. Coming up, Jenny. And then some news about Jenny's. We're going to see traffic for people uh, named Jenny on the road. Looks like Jenny is going down the I-5 right now, and uh, she's taking a turn. There she goes. And the weather for Jenny's, Jenny has an umbrella. She's (laughs) gone outside in the rain. Now back to Dave with Dork Shadows. After she and Sandor leave, a panicky Quentin demands that Edward stop her from enacting the curse. Edward poo-poos all this curse talk as (laughs) mere words. Edward then leaves to inform Barnabas and Judith of Jenny's unfortunate accident. He puts the quotation marks around it by the way he says it, which I don't think you should say to people. She had a unfortunate accident yeah just, then some again some hard winking yeah it doesn't really doesn't really help sell your story despite quentin's pleas beth flees from the room Ooh, internal rhyme there despite quentin's pleas beth flees <laughs> quentin is then haunted by a voiceover of magda's threat and her superimposed evil hand sign mm-hmm. uh what's interesting is this that's the end of that episode the next episode starts without a recap which is kind of rare hmm. Time has passed. Quentin is holed up in his room, terrified of the curse. At the old house, Magda has found what she was looking for, a small sachet that will help her, or sachet, I don't know how to say that, that will help her enact the curse. With Sandor, she prepares her revenge. Quentin begs Edward for money, a lot of money, to buy off Magda. Edward tells him he doesn't have that kind of money, because he says, well, how much do you want? And Quentin says, about $10,000. And he says, well, I don't have $10,000. We'd have to get that from Judith. And he says, well, ask Judith. And he says, I will, but... These are my terms. And his terms are? Yeah, if I had $10,000, we'd have more actors on this show. <laughs> Why don't you do so much work? As someone shuffles behind, behind them, like, bent over to get to the next set. <laughs> Crawling on the floor. Skulk, 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 yeah. skulk, skulk. <laughs> so his terms are, Quentin must renounce his inheritance and never return to Collinwood. Quentin agrees. Magda and Sandor come to Collinwood to collect Jenny's body a family tradition that they must bury their own. Edward informs them that the body has already been buried, and outraged Sandor accuses him of burying the body out of guilt. They're hiding the body, which is true, they were, because right. <laughs> there's a bracelet of, of bruises around the neck, so uh, 
It's a good idea to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. In his room, an exhausted Quentin sits in a chair and begins to doze off. From nowhere, a female voice warns, warns him not to fall asleep because she's coming back. Quentin jumps up and recognizes the voice. The voice is Jenny's and goes out to her. The camera pulls back and reveals one of Jenny's dolls sitting on his side table. Frightened, he approaches the doll and picks it up, but then slams it down and then smacks his hand on the desk in frustration. There is a knock on the door. It is Edward. He tells Edward about hearing Jenny's voice, which, of course, Edward poo-poos, as Edward is wont to do. Poo-poo. <laughs> um, but wait, so what Edward, but he, when Edward poo-poos him, he says, well, explain the doll. And then the <laughs> cuts, cuts at the camera and shows a table in front of them. There's no doll there now. Oh, no. And he, of course, uh, a disgusted Edward does not believe that there was a doll there and thinks Quentin is fooling around. But he informs Quentin that Judith has agreed to give him the money with the added proviso that the gypsies also leave the property. An eager Quentin agrees, but he is dismayed to learn that he won't have the money until later in the day. He begs Edward to stay with him. Edward suggests that he call on Beth's services as a companion. And uh, Quentin, who's in a state, says, I can't let her see me like this. And Edward says, I can't say that I blame you there. And he leaves. (laughs) Quentin sits down in a chair and then dozes off. He begins to dream. In the dream, Magda, carrying a tambourine, enters his room. (laughs) Over Quentin's objections, she lures him from the room, shaking the tambourine. Outside, a set of doors which are actually the drawing room doors, but let's just pretend they're not. They didn't have a lot of money for the set. At these doors, Sandor emerges. He tells Quentin that gypsy tradition demands that uh, the murderer bless his victim. And despite his protestations of innocence, Quentin is brought into the room where Jenny's body lays. Quentin is made to take her hand and bless her. Jenny opens her eyes and sweetly asks for a kiss. Quentin cannot refuse. As he kisses her, Magda and Sandor laugh victoriously and say, it is the kiss of death. <laughs> the kiss of death. Quentin awakes with a, awakens with a scream. Edward pounds on his door, but he finds Quentin, you know, all right, just, just a dream. He has brought the agreement, which Quentin eagerly signs. He says, I know what the curse is. The curse is that Jenny will haunt me. Uh, Quint, Edward gives him the money, and Quentin hastily departs. At the old house, Magda holds up a potion, and Sander frets how they will get Quentin to drink it. To their surprise, Quentin comes to them. He explains the point of his visit. Sorry, just one second. You know who's the real kiss of death? Ted McGinley. That guy shows up in your show. It's done. <laughs> it's, it's a done deal. Look him up. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's not his fault. He's fine. He was in Revenge of the Nerds, I think. Did a nice job. He's one of those guys that's like too good looking for what he was supposed to be. Absolutely. Um, Lisa wasn't able to do the last page. Let me just tell you what happens. Yeah, at the wait, end of the show. hey, Dave, what, what, what happened? So, um, Quentin arrives. Okay. He's brought the money with him. He offers it to Magda and Sandor, and Magda is outraged that he is offering uh, to buy them off with money over the honor of, of her sister. Mm. And Sandor's like, whoa, wait, 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 wait a minute here. Let's, let's hear how much he's offering. <laughs> and, of course, Magda's outraged, but he kind of cues her with a tap on the arm. And she kind of goes, well, yes, let's hear what you're offering. He says, well, I have $10,000 here. And so they agree they will take the curse off of him right. for $10,000. Once again, back then, $10,000 was the most money anyone had. Well, yeah, this is 1897. Yeah, the Rockefellers, uh, they also had like $10,000. <laughs> this, this is a good deal. This is a good bit of money. Sure, sure. Um, so then they agree. They will take the curse off for $10,000. It's 
handshakes all around, everyone's happy. Let's have a drink and celebrate this. They give, they pour some drinks. Quentin takes his drink and drinks it. He says, well, I leave here without a curse and without my $10,000, but that's fine. And Magda says, the curse has just begun. He's like, what? what? You just drank the potion. You, I, <laughs> I thought we had an agreement. She throws the money back at him and says, I would never take your money. And uh, Does he pick the money up? She tells him, <laughs> yes, he does. Okay. She tells him, uh, uh, the curse will begin tonight. And that's where that episode oh. ends. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> what will the future bring? What is the curse? We will discover very shortly, I imagine. Although probably... There will be like some, uh, we'll cut away from this for a while and concentrate on some Laura Collins junk for a while. Okay. Just because, you know, they want to, got to keep us hanging. Well, uh, we'll see what happens. I don't know what happens with the curse. I haven't seen yet, so. Uh, Okay, fine. (laughs) So, here's the thing. Last week on the show, we asked questions and you answered them. You also talked about the show. And uh, and uh, we're going to read those. But we have uh, a previous letter that we wanted to uh, yeah. get to. Have you got access to said letter? Or? Oh, I can do that if you would like. Okay, I can uh, I can if you tell me the Oh, episode. it's episode 561. Very good. Episode 561. That's, that's what I said. So I'm going to look this up on our... Our computer system is broken! Well, this will be fixed in a month. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like computers are. Yeah. I guess... Uh, but don't worry, we have everything, but we have nothing. I imagine there's someone who listens to our show who knows much more about computers than you, you or I. Okay. Who could so, maybe explain to us what's going on. So this is on. from Darren? Yes, from Darren. All right. Now, on that episode, uh, we had questions, and the questions were, uh, what's scary to you, physical danger, psychological danger, and what are you doing to enjoy the last days of summer? Oh, my gosh, summer is now over. <laughs> that was from back then. Wow. Okay, so it really Darren. was the last days of summer. Darren writes, uh, hey there, dragons! Longtime listener to the podcast, longer time listener to Dave telling me he has a podcast. First time commenter. Oh, there's a personal relationship here. Mm. Interesting. Move over, Hitchens and D'Souza. There are new biblical debaters in town. I found the whole biblical story as aside to be uh, really engaging to listen to, particularly as someone who is religiously agnostic and hasn't studied the Bible in depth. Contrary to the idea Dave was being obtuse, I actually found him to be the necessary amount of obtuse about a famously dense piece of text. And it sounds like he was approaching it less as a series of stories that are meant to be taken literally and more as a collection of lessons that are supposed to import, uh, impart lessons in, the, in their readers. I don't think it's uh, talking out of both sides of your mouth to make a statement like, this outcome is unavoidable and Eve made a choice to do it. Existential philosophers talk at length about how humanity is divided by the choices we make in the face of inevitable outcomes. For example, we all die, but there is still a lot of leeway in how we choose to live our lives before death. So while death is inevitable, it doesn't mean every death is equal. It sounded like Dave's interpretation of Genesis was along those lines. At least that's how I took it, as I was listening along and it was making sense to me, although I'm skeptical about unavoidable and inevitable meaning different things. For the question about what danger is scarier, I would definitely say psychological. When I go on a roller coaster, I'm not even thinking about the possibility of it throwing me off and killing me. I'm just scared of going down really fast. Likewise, I've never had a spider bite that was more painful than a dog bite, but I'm more afraid of spiders than dogs. I'm even more scared of public speaking, even though I've never been bitten by an angry audience. <laughs> Sneak on, says Darren. Any follow-up to that uh, on, on your side? No. 
All right. I'll let it stand. Dave says he doesn't care what you say, and he's not going <laughs> to respond. He refuses. No. How dare you, he says. I thought, he's, I thought what Darren said was, was uh, very well spoken. I don't oh, feel the need to... I don't want to be like I, I have to have the final word. I don't. I don't think you have to have this kind of fight with Darren. I don't, that's very rude. <laughs> have you? Ever, I think it's inevitable that you will fight him, and uh, and yet also avoidable. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite uh, joke you like to tell? Was a question we asked last week, and also name a band you'd like to hear Dave's opinion on. Mm. Michael, uh, sorry, Matthew Sanborn Smith writes: My go-to joke is a one-liner I inherited from my father. A giraffe walks into a bar and says, "The highballs are on me." I'm going to now uh, <laughs> tighten that joke up. All right. Okay. This is my this is my tightening up that joke. No, no offense to your father. Your father sounds like a great man, but here's 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 the way I have heard that joke. Okay. Giraffe walks into a bar. Yeah. Highballs on me. There. Just a little t- little tighter. Little tighter. Dave, what's your opinion on the Lawrence Welk Orchestra? Did you like them or fucking love them? That's question hmm. number one. I feel like I'm older than Matthew. Because when I grew up, the Lawrence Welk Orchestra was something that, my, not my parents, but something that my friend's parents would turn off our shows to watch. Mm. And so I don't love them. Did you like the Bubbles? <laughs> I don't remember that, actually. There was, all, there was Bubbles when it was the Vols stuff. Yeah. It, was an interesting, it was an interesting show because it, it, feel, it felt so, it felt so uh, low-budget. You know what I mean? Like it just seemed like yeah. there is nothing to that show at all. Just the cheapest sets. Well, I think for for me, when I see old timey movies, yeah, and people are like, "We're going to go out for a night on the town." Yeah, and they always go out for a night on the town, and there's like a big band. Yeah, and then there's the tables that they eat and drink at, and then they go to the and they dance in the middle, and but the big band is there, and I feel like, oh, we never had that, so we don't know what that's like. But that felt like a recreation of that experience. Sure, so this was like a big band. That you yeah, had. yeah. I do like the Stan Freeberg parody, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I think that's funny. That's my feeling about Lawrence Welk Orchestra. Okay. Uh, Lisa, co-host of uh, Horse Mysteries, now onto their second season. <laughs> uh, so they asked for double the money. Um, yes, there's a asked, tense contract negotiation. Dave, tell us how much you love the Eagles. <laughs> well, we all know what I've said about the Eagles on the show. And some of it is rhetorical, and that it's more fun to be outraged about something than it is to be... You know, it's so so or whatever, but yeah, I have a. It's it's not really their whole body of work, although I think they're boring. It's more uh, Hotel California that I find the most like offensive song. One is that it's too long. It's way too long a song. Right. It's sung in a weird half reggae patois, which I don't understand why a song about California is sung in a reggae accent. And then it's a moralizing song. From probably the most immoral band that it was was playing music at that time, that was like, you know, it's like it's like being lectured about sexual impropriety by a guy getting his dick sucked. That's what that song is okay. like. Well, here's what I here guess. I'm getting outraged talking about. That's it. all right. Well, here's here's my here's my feelings. Okay, they say in the song, you can check out any time you like. Yeah, but you can never leave, which sure. makes me feel like you have a choice, and yet it's inevitable. It's avoidable, but inevitable. It's inevitable. <laughs> well, that is that is the rock and roll lifestyle. If you're in the rock and roll lifestyle, it's avoidable, but it's also inevitable. Edward Dragansky uh, writes that uh, I loathe them. I was I once told a guy in college they were a glorified country band, and that was being generous. He never spoke to me again. And then uh, includes a clip uh, from the dude. Uh, oh yes, on he uh, the subject. It's nice to be 
backed up by by the dude in your opinions and also by ed thank you ed for yeah i'm just wondering if uh, matthew and uh, edward had another back and forth wait a second they did uh <laughs> matthew writes uh dave we had a mini discussion on instagram because i was sure i owned a goofy greats with a fourth mix of songs but thanks to youtube suggesting related videos i remember i actually own silly songs and so there we go and there's a little clip for it yeah and Edward uh, says he wants those sweet, sweet eight tracks for five ninety nine of silly songs or of goofy greats. Oh, I'm probably uh, both. Mm. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I sent you some pictures. I put them on Instagram. Yeah, I sent you some pictures of goofy greats. The one my album I had as a kid, which was twenty eight songs. Um, that one did not have Simon Says on it, which is right. why I didn't remember it as being on it. The one you said did have it on there. That was a twenty four song version of the album. I don't know where that whether that was an American version. But that version. was the one that they were advertising uh, th- that had the television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, it says as advertised on TV on my version as well. Mm. So it's it's weird. So I just think that different areas had different mixes because of uh, licensing issues and things like that. They would. I, I would really like to find out. This is my mystery that I would like solved. Who did the animation on all those? <laughs> Due to the art for those, yeah. It's very, it's very basic, but definitely done by the same person. Mm-hmm. And very simplistic. Yeah. But I also uh, showed you uh, uh, in our personal lives, I showed <laughs> David like the songs of Sesame Street. Yeah, that's right. And the songs of Sesame Street uh, also had that same animation style, but like, you know, with Cookie Monster and Big Bird and what have you. Yeah, it was yeah. all like classic songs from Sesame Street. I was like, who did the animation on these things? Because they did a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know where KTEL was based, right? I don't. Winnipeg. Okay. So that's, so they were what a did K- it stand for? Well, the guy's name was started with a K. Who ran okay. the I don't know his name now, but yeah, it started with a K. No association with Kmart, though, right? No, no. And I guess it just made a good shortened version of it. And then um, what's what's interesting? What's interesting to me about like you, the version that you told, and there was also one that came out later in like 1979 that was 18 18 tracks. Okay. Both your version and that version are more novelty songs. By the way, Philip Kives, K-I-V-E-S, was okay. the founder. Okay. And so, like, Goofy Greats itself, I feel like there are a couple of, like, true novelty songs on there. Obviously, Ahab the Arab and Guitarzan would be, right. like, and maybe Purple People Eater. Those are, like, actual novelty songs. But Surfing Bird isn't a novelty song, in the sense that it's, like, not a funny song. It's not, like, yeah. a comedy song. I mean, I should say that. There's lots of novelty songs in there, but they're not, like, comedy, hilarious songs. They're just songs that are kind of weird. Like, Yummy, Yummy, Yummy is not funny, but it's kind of funny that they say Yummy, Yummy, Yummy and over and over again in the song, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or um, Moni, Moni. It's not funny. It's just weird. Mule um, Skinner Blues by the Fenderman, once again. It's not like a hilarious song. It's just a weird song. And I think what, what attracted me to me as a kid was that the songs were fun, but also were real songs. Like, I loved Dirty Water, and I loved One, Two, Three, Red Light, and I yeah. loved lots of songs on there that are just, like, regular songs that, you know, like, if you buy a collection of, like, the best garage rock songs, it's going to have Dirty Water on there by the Standells. And it's not saying it's a goofy song. It's just saying it's a great yeah, garage some, rock song. some ads that said, like, the worst songs ever. It was, like, the worst. These are not bad. <laughs> yeah, here, right. was the one, here was the one that, uh, that uh, threw me when I was younger. I'll show you the cover to it. Do you see that? I have that one as well. Yeah, Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes. That is more novelty songs. That has, like, um, Hello Mada, Hello Fada. Right. 
But they but shaving they, cream. But they make the cover look like it's Looney Tunes the cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Like they have the circles in a circle and a circle in yeah, a circle, yeah, yeah. and it looks like the Looney Tunes logo, mm-hmm. but no relation whatsoever no, to anything yeah, yeah. Uh, Looney Tunes. You think it would be you get the um, Merry Go Round broke down or no, songs yeah, from Looney Tunes? Yeah. Nope, not yeah, at all. No. How did Looney Tunes not go? Oh, hi, knock knock. We're Warner Brothers. We would like to sue you for this. Parody. Please don't. It's not parody though. It's direct. But they're not using the the characters' names on it. Or, or, or face. There's no. There's no Bugs Bunny the same, or anything. They're using the same name. Yeah. So it's not a parody. It's not, not Looney Tunes. It's like <laughs> Looney Tunes, yeah. which is their copyright, and then trying to make but themselves. See, yeah, it is very similar in the writing and stuff like that too. Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm wondering. That was my confusion. It's interesting because there's a there's um I've talked about it before, but um, Reprise Records used to do Lost Leader collections that um, you could send in like a dollar and they would send you back a, a two two record set oh. of of new all, all new songs by new acts or by acts or putting out albums that that quarter or whatever. They did about three or four a year for for quite a quite a while. Okay, but they have one that is also called Looney Tunes. And it's a three-record set, and the box is like Looney Tunes box, and I think it even has Porky Pig on it. For crying out loud! So it's weird, but of course that's Reprise was part of Warner Brothers, so maybe that was made it okay, made it kosher. Oh, uh, maybe okay. Yeah, it's very it's very strange. Maybe they're like, ugh, can't be bothered about this stupid co- company in Canada. Yeah, messing around. But that is a good collection, and then the third good collection from them is Kooky Country, mm-hmm. which features two of Roger Miller's best songs. What are those? Uh, my my father used to love me. Or was it either my mother used to love me, but he died. I think that was the title of it. Mm-hmm. And then you can't roller skate in a buffalo herd, which are both great songs. And there's some other country ones on there. That's the one where you'll find like uh, Mr. Custer and that kind of stuff. They uh, KTL by the way in uh, in the eighties. Uh, made some uh, money on uh, cassettes. Okay. Uh, doing what would you say? Here's the truth. It's the 1980s. Yeah. So they're making some... they're doing aerobics on cassette. Uh, I'm saying like cassette as in like a tape cassette. Yeah. Okay. Aerobics on tape. Cassette? Yeah, like workout workout tapes. Okay. Nope, that is not correct. <sighs> it's but it's the 1980s. 1980s. There's a new technology. Okay. Uh, that we'll... oh, are they putting together computer programs on cassettes? No, they are not. Oh. Okay. What what was it? Answering machine. Oh, okay. They did a wacky answering machine thing. So you have like <laughs> royal answer backs. They were called answer backs. So you'd have royal answer backs. So your phone would be answered by the Queen Mother, Prince Charles, or Prince Andrew. All right. One of those doesn't work anymore <laughs> too well. Uh, political answer backs where you're going to get like Ronald Reagan or Margaret Thatcher. Well, I. Yep. Well, it's time for answering the phone, <laughs> but I just pooped my pants. Uh, yeah, I just declared war on Russia. And so, yeah, you get celebrity answer backs. And so that would be... Okay, these are weird ones. Okay. I guess these are British. They must be British. Yeah, mm. they're British. Okay. So they had people from uh, Spitting Image do them. Oh, I see. So you get uh, David Attenborough mm. would answer your phone. That's okay. Uh, David uh, Coleman. Uh, Bob Geldof. Okay. Uh, John Gielgud. <laughs> uh, Barry Norman. And uh, Sean Connery. Sean Connery's not too bad. John Gilgood would be good too. He'd probably be the butler from from uh, Arthur. <sighs> yeah, pretty good. All right. So moving on, uh, Louise writes. Ah, Louise. Hi, Louise. Uh, in the year twenty five twenty five was a big dystopian hit. Ah, too late. For, it's not. We're not there yet. We're not. We're not in twenty five twenty five yet. No, we're not. That's right. Was a big dystopian hit for Zager and Evans when I was young. Sadly. All the years mentioned in the lyrics are still pending. Oh, yes. There you go. So it uh, did not qualify for Dave's future past song list. 
But the writers had the foresight to make sure the lyrics wouldn't get stale dated in their lifetime. And some of their pessimistic predictions have already come to pass. Mm. Brain-controlling pills, machines that make humans obsolete, and babies conceived in glass tubes. <laughs> but did they predict they'd be a one-hit wonder, I wonder? Hey, one-hit wonder is better than no-hit wonder. Edward Dragansky's back. Oh, I just want to point out that uh, Louise misspelled the uh, name of the collection. Oh, but no one would know that it's unless you pointed that out. P-A-S-S-E-D. There we go. Not huh. past is in the, the past. Check out this guy here. <laughs> <laughs> I just pointed out, it's part of the theme that it's future past. They called him David Spellcheck. <laughs> uh, Edward uh, writes again and says, Dear Mr. Dedrick and Mr. Boothby, sounds like a fancy law firm. Not that fancy. <laughs> uh, two episodes ago. Oh boy! Oh All no! Right, let's go back. <clears throat> Get the way back machine. <laughs> holding us. To, All right, there we holding go. Holding us to account. Yeah, Sherman. Or oh, Mr. Peabody. Uh, two episodes ago, you were discussing how the Beatles had an impact on other pop music, etc. Do you remember when the Fab Four's influence made it into Marvel Comics? Strange Tales number 165 and uh, in 1965 was one of those split Marvel comics. This was half uh, Doctor Strange and half Human Torch uh, and the Thing. This particular uh, issue had the Torch and Thing wearing Beatles wigs on the cover with the title Meet the Beatles. Do you remember that one? Okay. By remember, <laughs> I read a reprint of it because uh, it was two years before I was born. Yeah, but, and yes. I've never seen it or heard of it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's all right. It's an all right little story. Sounds good. Uh, I, I, will, I, will, I hope he's called Thingo in the story. Oh, Thingo would be good. Uh, I'm still wondering how Johnny talked Reed into making a wig out of unstable molecules <laughs> so he could flame on while wearing it. <laughs> Interesting. Didn't it just flame off when he when he turned, or did it actually stay on his head after he changed back again? This is a very good question. I have mm. to look at the story again. Okay. okay. But I did have a reprint of, of that uh, story. Uh, Ian, I too take a medication that causes dizziness and conflicts with grapefruit juice. Mine is called uh, Nefertiti. Neftipine. That is the one I'm on as well. Oh, okay. Uh, the uh, the brand name for it is Adelat, but that's what it's that's what it's called. So we're on the same medicine. Yay, medicine uh, brothers. <laughs> uh, currently, I take three medications for my heart. I have an aortic tear in one of my valves. Oh, it's a, a defect. A normal opening that looks like a plus sign uh, that opens in four triangular quarters, but mine is kind of like a football-shaped flap. Doctors mistook it for a heart murmur for years, but after a CT scan and an echocardiogram from my cardiologist, he put me on medications with uh, constant checkups. Uh, one med increases blood flow, not pressure, to push the blood through the aortic opening. The second med regulates my overall blood pressure. And the third keeps calcium deposits from accumulating in the opening. So far, so good. After about 25 years, all right, keep it up. Yeah. Uh, with the same cardiologist. But the heart is a tricky thing. Be sure. Have it checked regularly and thoroughly. Yes, I had an echocardiogram last year. Um, I quote uh, Frank Morgan as the wizard when he said to the Tin Woodsman, a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. And we need you, Ian. Stay in good health for us. We love you. Love you too. Thank you so much for that. That's very nice. Always, uh, always thought with uh, with with that at the end, it would be good if, like you know, uh, uh, the the Woodsman and the Scarecrow both realized. You know, the Scarecrow goes, "Hey, I don't have a heart either," and the Scare <laughs> and the Tin Woodsman, "Hey, I don't got a brain." Wait a minute. Uh, yeah, yeah, give, give us lots of stuff. And then they both look over at the lion and go, you know, he's got a heart and a brain. Yeah, let's just kill him. And they just, the lax to the head. Boom. Oh, that wouldn't be good for the brain. Okay, action. <laughs> uh, cut off his head. Yeah, take right. the brain out. Now you got a lion brain. 
and then get the lion's heart, which is good. You like Richard the Lionhearted. Pretty good deal. And if you need two, Dorothy's there. If you need three, there's the dog. It's all fine. Anyway, um, let's see. Wolverine giving advice on how to go limp when falling. Easy for him to say. He heals quickly and has adamantium bones. Dick. <laughs> Here's a weird thing about Wolverine. If we're if we're talking nerdy, and by God, I am going to talk nerdy with you. Uh, do you remember like old timey X Men stories? Wolverine. Wolverine got a lot more injured back in the day. There was a what if story where Wolverine like betrayed the X Men, and then somehow and Magneto uh, killed him. And how he killed him was he got him to pop his own claws underneath his chin, and it went up through his head and killed him. Which nowadays would not kill him. At all. His brain would just, like, heal. But back in the oldie times, uh, Wolverine could be killed quite uh, quite easily. You know, he didn't have the old healing thing back then. So uh, back in those days, yeah, not so much. I remember one that was, like, Pyro grabbed him and burned him. And he was messed up for, like, a long time after that. And nowadays, again, you just, like, blow off half of his body and then it just grows back. And he goes, eh. I think it's better when he, uh, when he feels pain and uh, stuff. I also love the Iron Man trilogy very much, and Sam Rockwell was like icing on the cake. I hope he shows up again. If you missed it, go back and watch the 2014 Marvel one-shot All Hail the King found on Thor The Dark World Blu-ray, and you'll see the last appearance of Rockwell. I think it's on Disney Plus as well. I remember Siskel and Ebert discussing Superman 2 and how important it was to make Clark Kent just as interesting as Superman was. Uh, this is how I felt about the Tony Stark character. In the third film, he was stripped of his armor and had to go back uh, to what he could do without it. Uh, I really like the inventiveness of uh, Stark in those scenes. And it had such a goddamn great soundtrack like an 80s action show. Out with the ACDC, in with the Brian T- Tyler. Sorry to say, I have no jokes that come to mind. I usually just repeat something funny I recently heard on television or online. Uh, it then uh, uh, falls into that gaping black hole somewhere at the back of my mind. To make room for more stuff, I guess. Uh, I do also have my favorite stories uh, to tell. Funny ones I never forget. But they're a little more personal than jokes. And so uh, funny that I'm asked to retell them from time to time. I tell one here, but it's lengthy to write. And you're and are best told in person. All right, we'll wait for you to show up. Come on, bye. <laughs> come and, on and Dave. Down. Come on down. Dave. Yeah. I remember asking you about so many different bands and music while you and Mary were doing listening party. ELO. <laughs> Toy Town Psych. The Bonzo uh, Dog Doodah Band and Neil Innes. Mm. A while back, I also discovered two other bands I never mentioned to you, and to this day, have never uh, took to looking them up. So I'll ask you about them. Okay. The Circle, uh, C-Y-R-K-L-E, and Small Faces. Mm. I heard them both one weekend on a show played on Sirius XM Radio in the Car. So I looked up their songs, Turn to the Century, and Ichiku Park, and others. What are your thoughts on those bands? Day. I have less thoughts about the circle. Who who are Red Rubber Ball? Okay. They did Red Rubber Ball, which is a great song, which is actually written by Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel. Gave them that song, and it's it's a fantastic song. And they're a very good uh, kind of uh, sunshine pop psych band. But uh, I think they only did one album, produced by John Simon, the Columbia producer. And it's it's good. They're good. Um, the Small Faces are something a little different because they are super good. Yeah, they were like. A, a great band. They were called the Small Faces because they were all like a bunch of short guys. The lead singer in the group, um, Steve Marriott, he was a former child actor. I think he probably was in Oliver as all short 
young British men yeah, had yeah. to be at it that was, time. They had to do their time in the yeah, service. Yeah, yeah. you know, and Phil Collins, Fagan's gang, Phil Collins, David Jones. You know, they I all. I put in my time in the service, even though I, <laughs> only my father was British. I did. I, I was in yeah. Fagan's gang in a production of Oliver. Yeah. So you know, all kids, even kids who are of 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 uh, sort of British. Um, yeah, you still have to do yeah, your service. Yeah, of course still, you do. It's like being in the Israeli Defense Force. So long, Feathery Whale, Pip, Pip, Cheerio, we'll be back soon. <laughs> so um, uh, Marriott, you know, was an incredibly talented and just had one of the greatest singing voices of, of, of British pop. They started off as they were um, managed by the famously violent hoodlum Don Arden, uh, father of Sharon Arden, now better known as Sharon Osborne, mm. uh, who was, of course, she became Ozzy's manager and split, split him from the Black Sabbath gang. Uh, when, but anyway, let's not go into that. But uh, Darn Arden is one of those guys who have stories about him. Like he famously held a, a songwriter out a window by his ankles, uh, but you know, in a building, holding him like you know four stories in the air uh, to get him to agree to do something for him. Uh, but he started managing uh, small faces, and that, at that point, there were like there's the four of them. There was um, let's see if I can remember their names off the top of my head. So there's the drummer, Kenny Baker, who would later play with The Who after Keith Moon died. There was Steve Marriott, as I said. There was uh, Ian McLaughlin, who played the keyboards. And then there was the bass player, who's... I keep trying to think of his name while I'm talking, and I can't. And it's really bugging me, because he was a big part... He was a big part of the group. He was a major songwriter in the band. And one of the... Oh, my... I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. It's so bad that I... Anyway, maybe it'll pop into my head while I'm... I'm trying to think. He did an album with... With uh, Pete Townsend later on, I was kind of like a "I'll raise some money for you. We'll do an album together" situation because uh, he suffered from like Parkins or something later in life, and I can't think of his name. And that's really sad because he's very good. Anywho, so um, yeah, though they they were playing together, and then they kind of had a falling out with Arden because he was releasing songs without telling them, and basically like they would do a demo and he'd put it out, and they didn't like that, so they mm. they left him and they. They uh, signed to Immediate Records, which was the record label run by, um, boy, boy, oh boy, my, my memory. That's okay. It's not what it once was, you know, I just can't, things don't just pop into my head the way they used to. But anyway, uh, Andrew Logue Oldham, who was the manager of the Rolling Stones, started this record label called Immediate Records and signed some fantastic artists like the, like Small Faces and P.P. Arnold and uh, Chris Farlow, one of the greatest voices of, of British uh, kind of white you know like blue-eyed soul or whatever when i call it and they started like this great run of songs on that on that label because it's pretty much like it's pretty much run like you got a song come in we'll produce it all you know andrew's like all on board with what you want to do no questions asked he's going to throw all the money in the world at it and yeah it has made some of the greatest songs but my personal favorite small faces song is uh tin soldier you know that song tin soldier uh, like one tin soldier right away? No, no, no. It's the one that goes like, I. Do, 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 want to, you know, do you know I this song? Know. Oh, okay, yeah. It's, it was there was a cover version of it. I didn't think then like by Streetheart or something like that when we were younger. And that's the version I knew for a long time. Okay. And then and then later on, I heard the. Uh, I wish I could remember lyrics because then I could sing the song more. But yeah, it's uh, it's just a great song. And because Steve Marriott has like the best voice in in rock music. And then P.P. Uh, Arnold, who was uh, I think she was an American. Uh, soul singer who had come to England and she was signed to the label and I she sings back up on that song with with them 
and they would play for her, with her as well, like play back up for her as well, uh, for tours and things. And it, it's just a, it's great. Anyway, so um, if you haven't heard Tin Soldier, I highly recommend okay. that you check it out because it's just so good. And then they did like one of the kind of great concept albums of the '60s, an album called <laughs> Ogden's Gone Nut Flake. And it came out in a round cylinder at the time because it was made to look like a tobacco tin. Okay. Whereas where you'd keep your marijuana. But yeah, so it was made to look like that. And it has um, this famous uh, kind of double-talk com- British comedian on it who does the, um, he does like a little story and then the songs kind of happen in between oh, these nice. little okay. interstitial parts. And it's a really fun album and it's very good. And uh, unfortunately, Steve Marriott, like you say, all bands, all groups are breaking up and they reached a point where he wasn't getting he wasn't getting the sound that he wanted from this group of guys like they were very pop and he wanted something that was rock okay and so he left um the small faces and he formed he formed a group called humble pie with peter frampton and so then that was a much heavier group more way more like more of a rock group and that's kind of where he went which is too bad because uh the small faces were great but they continued on so they they were kind of like jamming and trying to figure out where they're going to go the three remaining ones and anyway, they were trying to figure out Ronnie Lane. That's the name of the bass player. Okay. <laughs> and so they were joined. They they were joined by uh, Ron Wood, who had had to leave, had I guess had quit um, Jeff Beck's group, Jeff the Jeff Beck group, and he was where he played bass. But I think he wanted to play guitar, and so he kind of joined in with with the Small Faces. And then they needed a singer, and so then Rod Stewart came and joined them. Mm. And then they became the Faces because Rod Stewart was too tall to be a Small Face. <laughs> So they just became the faces, which also kind of split between their Steve Marriott era with their new era with, with Rod Stewart and, and Ronnie Wood. The problem with Rod Stewart joining was that he had also, just before he joined the faces, had signed a solo deal with Mercury Records. So not only was he writing songs and performing with, with the faces, but he was also putting out solo albums. Mm. And then Maggie May came out, which was actually the B-side of a single but someone flipped it over, some DJ flipped it over, and it became this super big hit and pretty much destroyed the faces because Rod Stewart went from being like a member of this band to being this superstar solo artist. And that was pretty much the end of that. Okay. And they did a couple, they kind of limped along a couple more years and then that ended. But yeah, Small Faces, one of the great second tier British groups. There we go. Uh, and so lastly, I had Goofy Greats as well. And I remember the single album USA version as you listed them. It was great to hear the year uh, 2001 by the 1910 Fruit Gum Company. Love that so much. Yes. I'm glad you tacked it on at the end because Wings gives me a rash. <laughs> Speaking of Wings, I better spread mine now and make room for someone else to fucking write. Sorry, not sorry. I love to all. Peter Ayers writes, Peter greetings Ayers. from Prague. Nice. I the, think, I, you know what, before you that? read Peter's letter, yes, I want you to go back to episode, this is 564, no, we're recording, five, this is 563 you're doing, Yes. go back to 562, I think there's a Peter comment there that we missed, because it came in Peter the day we were recording and I didn't Let's see it. Let's check it out today, is there a Peter comment, will it go away, <laughs> never will it stay, let's see, a Peter comment is what we want. Today, Peter comment. Uh, Peter writes, pops head out of freshly dug rabbit hole. Psst. Keeping it short and sweet and local this week. 
As a very small child, my favorite cartoon was probably the BBC's seminal Rhubarb, <laughs> a series of five-minute cartoons charmingly, if crudely, drawn in marker pen. Their uh, anarchic, uh, anarchic uh, mood and wobbly look were topped and tailed with the most exciting music my tiny ears had ever heard, a theme tune you may recognize from an episode of Spaced. Well, I got to listen to that. So. Yeah. Uh, a fav- and we got, a, we got all of these examples are also on the uh, website, so go check that out. Uh, a favorite in our family was Willow the Wisp. Hmm. But this was uh, less to do with the animation than the gorgeous voice work by the brilliant Kenneth Williams, uh, Hmm. breathing humane life into the cast of woodland creatures, including caterpillars, fairies, and evil Edna, a grumpy witch trapped in the form of a television set. Not sure if it holds up? Let's find out! (laughs) Now I'm an older nerd, I relish Chuck Jones for the tiny character details. Even his uh, lesser offerings like Steel Wool contains beautiful flourishes, such as Sam Sheepdog's little stumble over a protruding rock. It it isn't even a joke, per se. It's just so well-observed and relatable that it gives you a warm feeling inside and adds color to an otherwise uneventful transition. And it gives an example. So long, fellas. Leaps into the air and dives headfirst back into the rabbit hole. Nice. Nicely done. Well dove. (laughs) and that okay i'm glad we got that the problem that's not a problem but sometimes if you send a lot of links in your email or your comment the website will flag those as being possible spam and so when he sent it i hadn't seen it so i hadn't been able to accept it as a like okay it as as an email so apologize so dave snubbed you apologies peter we made up for it by reading it today uh back to your letter for uh last week's show the ancient Greek and Roman uh, orators developed as many uh, mnemonic techniques to help them speak at length without w- developed many uh, mnemonic techniques to help them speak at length without references to notes. One such technique is to combine items in a list in shocking and obscene ways. Something about the graphic neighbor, na- nature makes them stick in memory. So when someone asks you for a joke, my subconscious uh, reaches for the least socially acceptable and therefore the most memorable example possible. Which is what did it? Uh, what okay? All right, here, all right. Which is what it did when you asked your question. Here we go. To paraphrase, a fox is walking into the woods with a duck. I'm scared, says the duck. How do you think I feel, says the fox? I've got to find my way out of here alone. <laughs> Ah, I've heard that joke, but told in a much more disturbing way. My usual go-to joke is a visual one, which culminates in a policeman asking uh, what a signing monkey was doing in a car crash. But as I say, it's a visual joke, so you'll have to fill in the blanks. Perhaps I enjoy physical performance in this instance, or perhaps it spreads across a wider brain space. Dave, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the following. Here we go. Ready? Uh, Ween. All right. The Shags. Okay. And the genre... Of Calypso. Wow. Okay. Ween, D- Dean and Jean Ween, as they're known. Uh, obviously. Uh, are you keen on Ween? I'm so so on Ween. Are you going to demean Ween? I'm not going to demean them. <laughs> I have one album by by them. I can't remember the name of it. It's it has a very appealing uh, cover because it features prominently a woman's uh, chest. But anyway, enough of that. Uh, they they're okay to me. Uh, okay. I feel like they're too facetious, is maybe the word. Like, they're not... Mm-hmm. Like, I like... Well, this is what you do with brass, is you wean off of them. <laughs> you wean off so of it them. it does make sense. Yes. Okay. Um, I feel like they're... To me, their music is very surface, and uh, I don't know. It's, I, like, I've listened to that one, and I've heard a couple other songs, and nothing they've done has ever grabbed me to make me want to, like, 
jump jump aboard. So I, I maybe I haven't heard the right stuff. So that's a possibility. You just never, you never know. Sometimes you, a song will grab you and you don't expect it, and suddenly you're off to the races. Um, the Shags are very difficult to listen to. Okay. Because they were a, a group of sisters who played wanted to play like music, and their dad their dad was very was very um, what's the word he he was you know very indulgent. He bought them instruments, he bought them guitars and drums, so they could bang and clatter away and play their guitars. And they started writing music, probably their best song, "My Pal Foot Foot." I think about one of their pets. But they um, he even like paid for studio time for them to record an album as the Shags. And it was quite popular. Like when I was growing up, it was one of you know like if you were a sort of a jaded music fan. Nothing was better than to hear like outsider music, right? Something made by people. They weren't in it for the money. They weren't, you know, they just loved the music and they want, wanted to create it, you know. And so we loved we loved our um, Chags. We loved our, um, what was the name of that guy who um, had uh, mental health issues? Oh, Wildman. No, well, Wildman, Wildman, uh, Wildman Fisher would be an example. But this, this was a more, I think his last name was Johnson. I can't remember anyway. There's a very good oh, the devil and uh, Daniel Daniel, Daniel Johnson. Johnson. Thank yeah. you. Yes, Daniel Johnson. Uh, just kind of stuff like that, which is really outsider because they're not. You know, it's obvious they're just compelled to make what they're they're doing, or they're just doing because they love it, and they they're not necessarily the most talented person in the world. But it's interesting because of the right. the spirit, the love behind it, right? And so the shakes kind of fell under that, where it's you know it's terribly recorded, hard to listen to. And I can't, kind of like the movies that Quentin Tarantino is talking about. I feel the same way about bands like The Shags and Daniel Johnson, which is that I I love the idea of them more than the the hearing of them. Like, it's fun to read about them and the history of what they did. And the the documentary about Daniel Johnson, The the Devil and Daniel Johnson, is very good. But I don't want to listen to the music that much, you know. I want to, I, I really admire professionalism. <laughs> you know, that's why I love like goofy, like, you know, even though bubblegum music is like a cheap knockoff of itself in most cases. And just a bunch, of, it's really just a bunch of guys trying to cash in. They're really good at cashing in. And the music they made was really exciting and interesting. Well, not really interesting so much, but it's exciting and fun. Right. And stuff like the shags or, I don't know. It just doesn't, it's not this, you know, like, I don't know. I just, Fair enough. And it's fine. Calypso. It's fine. And Calypso music, I'm not super familiar with Calypso music. It's interesting. I was just reading a I was just reading a book about the Brill Building and six, 1650 Broadway, which was another building where all of the kind of famous songwriters of the early 60s worked out of like Pomus and Schumann and Weil and Man or Weil and Barry and uh Alec Greenwich and and no, yeah. Cynthia Mann and Jeff Barry, sorry, and Alec Greenwich and Barry Mann and Jerry Goffin and Carol King and Doc Pumas and Mort Schumann and all the lesser lights of that time period worked out of those buildings, uh, writing rock and roll music in, in the early days, you know, and, and before the Beatles came when it was still socially acceptable for musicians to play other people's music. Yeah. And it's interesting in that story, uh, they're talking about Don Kirshner, who sold his company, Alden he and another guy, Art Nevins, they sold their company to to Columbia for a lot of money at the time. Not as much as they could have got, probably if they waited a little bit. But they got a lot of money. And but they sold their copyrights as well for all the songs. And he said, you know, that was a mistake. But at the time, 
everyone thought of this music as being uh, a short, like a fad, like Calypso music. <laughs> it's just like, oh, that's interesting. So there was a time when Calypso music and rock and roll were essentially the same in terms of popularity. So if you think of like Deo, like the banana song, right. banana boat song and stuff like that. Uh, those were like popular songs of the time, sung in this sort of patois. And there was as popular as rock and roll. But for whatever reason, that was a fad. Calypso was a fad, and it kind of faded away from the public attention. And then Alan Arkin had to get other work. Yeah. He did the Banana Boat song. He was one of the co-writers, yeah. I mean, it was they adapted it from an, yeah. another song yeah. and put their names on it, <laughs> which is not uncommon at the time, of course. He was very annoyed with Harry Belafonte having a bigger hit version. <laughs> well, that's a better version. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, he's a better actor than he is a singer, too. Yeah. So it all works out for him. Sure, sure. Yeah, it was good. This thing's all good. <laughs> so, um, it was a real catch-22 for him. But I, um, Van Dyke Parks... The session musician later play, uh, worked on Smile with Brian Wilson and then started his own solo career. In the 70s, he discovered the magic of Calypso and did a couple of albums, uh, one called Discover America, which are like covers of Calypso songs through his lens, which I quite enjoy. It's probably not pure Calypso the way that uh, Peter would like. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm not really familiar with it. It's not, it's not something that's part of, our, part of our culture in Canada. Yeah. And something that we talked about in the show is, like, living in Vancouver, we have a very small, I mean, really small black population here. Like, like less than 10% of our population is black. And most of the black people who are here are, unlike um, in Toronto, where a lot of people came from the West Indies and moved to Toronto, most of our black population here are from Africa, are African refugees who have come and come, been sponsored to live in, in Canada or live in, live in Vancouver. So that's a totally different tradition, you know. So we don't have like we don't really have like a West Indies tradition, mm-hmm. like anyone who like likes reggae and stuff like that here in in BC or just just have heard it secondhand. They've never like experienced it as a culture or a community the way they could have done if they were from Toronto or you know obviously from the West Indies or from London where like lots of West mm-hmm. Indies immigrants moved there in the in the late fifties sixties. We didn't really have that here, so it's not really part of our our thing. It's music I'm kind of curious, but I don't. I'm not a big reggae fan. I find I don't like the beat of it. Okay. And so I find, and I don't like. Um, yeah, it, just, it doesn't really do it for me. So uh, I've, there are some songs I like, but but yeah, I've often thought of doing like a top my top five reggae songs because but there's probably five that I like. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's uh, that's my feeling about Clipso or Very my good. thoughts on Clipso anyway. All right. Um... To connect uh, last week's introductory chat about gout, meaning tasty in French but having icky connotation. Goo. 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 Very good. <laughs> Connotations in English to the evergreen sneaky D topic of chococostalgia. <laughs> Cadbury UK ran a series of animated uh, cream egg commercials back oh, in those the are good. 2000s yes. with the copy Here Today, Goo Tomorrow. Uh, the series uh, feature the Ovid uh, confectionery joyously ending their lives in a variety of creative ways, and much like cream eggs, are both delightful and sticky. And there is a link there. <laughs> Thank you. Now, for our next uh, thing, I'm going to need you to go to uh, the page. Oh. Uh, and because uh, we've got a little back and forth. Oh, okay. Let me just uh, open, a ta- oh, open a tab on my phone. Go to Sneaky Dragon. Just give it a second, everybody. I will just uh, slowly read as we go. This is from Jonathan Bampton. He says, Greetings from Ashbury Park, New Jersey. Hey, that's my wife used to hang out there. She was born in Hoboken. 
Uh, all hail the new prize winners. <laughs> My favorite go-to joke is as related below. I'm sure it's a street joke that has existed for years and years in many different forms. But I'm not ready to Google its origins lest its magic over me uh, dissolve. May I suggest Ian as the producer and Dave as the insider? Oh, are you, are you comfortable with doing this read? The insider, I'll, I'll take. Isn't that uh, Russell Crowe? That's where the goo is, uh, and the producer is uh, is of course uh, Zero Mustel. <laughs> also, could be Gene Wilder. All right. Oh yeah, I've been super busy lately. That's so? Yeah, three massive projects are on the go. Glad to hear that. Anything you can tell us about? Well, I'm doing this one thing with Spielberg. Steven Spielberg? No, no, it's his younger cousin. Directed a few episodes of Parks and Rec. Uh, kid's got a great, uh, strong visual flair. He's definitely going places. Oh, okay, not bad. And, and the second project? Oh, just doing post-production on a sci-fi Netflix series with Brad... Pitt? Not quite. Oh. His surname is Grip, though, and he does look a lot like... Like him. We're banking on that. This IP is going to be huge. Right. And the other thing? Oh, we've got this really, really interesting uh, piece starring Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg? Yeah. Oh. I'm an absolute fan of the Goot and have seen every movie he appears in uh, before P.S. Your Cat is Dead and many thereafter. And yet, I adore love. Uh, I adore, I adore love the above joke. Oh. Have you seen uh, Rifkin's Festival? The recent Woody Allen movie. He's in that. Very good. The goot appears in there. So. It's also uh, Can't Stop the Music, the, uh, the uh, village people film. <laughs> That's kind of it. About a while ago. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, questions for Ian. What joke, segue, callback aside, have you had in your stand-up for the longest period of time, not suggesting that you use it often, but is there anything evergreen in the tank you can always rely on? Uh, what is the oldest? Yeah, it's a bit... Um, well, there's one... Okay. Uh, okay, the, the, one, of, one of the things that, that comes up the, 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 the most, I guess, is, uh, is a thing where I watched this in a movie, and it was um, uh, uh, an experiment they did where they had two vats of water, and in one vat of water, they wrote the word love on the outside, and the other, they wrote the word hate on the outside. And uh, the next day, they came in and measured the water, and the one that said love uh, was positively charged and had beautiful crystalline structure if you looked at it microscopically. And the other one, it was negatively charged and had uh, chaotic structure. And the, uh, the person who was doing the test said, isn't this amazing, the effect that words can have on water? Could you imagine the effects that they have on people? And I thought that is quite the discovery. But the bigger discovery is water can read. <laughs> so that's one that's been okay. That's good. Yeah, here's my here's my newest joke. All right. I'm actually gonna say it on the All right. Let's see it. Uh, it was like uh, people always talk about uh, going back in time, and uh, you know, if you had a time machine, would you go back in time, and would you uh, murder uh, a baby Hitler? Uh, and it's like, but no one ever uh, says. Would you ever like go back in time to young Hitler and buy his paintings? You know, because that would also do the same job. You know, just saying, hey, good job there. Uh, because people would rather uh, kill a child than support the arts. <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, second, yes. is there any joke you have that you have wrestled? Uh, yourself over on its appropriateness and ultimately decided it is justifiable or that the very dilemma is usually enough to nix it yes dave i <laughs> i'd love to i could i could do the joke but it's like it, it is one of those where like you gotta like sneak up on it 
you got to find a way into it. Uh, and also, uh, too many people kind of do jokes about that subject. Uh, that uh, if anyone like goes near it, uh, it uh, taints kind of things. It's a very delicate balance, and so I'm not saying like what it is right now. But uh, yeah, there's uh, and in fact, uh, the re- one of the reasons I'm not saying it is because there's about five jokes like that. So there you go. There you go, Dave. I'd like to hear your opinion on the band. Oh, the band. They were very good backing Bob Dylan. That's what I'll say. Um, I, my feeling about the band, you know, when if you're a music fan, you grow up and you hear a lot about the band from people because they were very influential. You know, I wouldn't say they were like incredible sellers in their day, but they were very influential amongst, you know, like George Harrison loved the band, you know, and, and he wanted to he wanted to be in something like the band, but which the Beatles weren't, and it was very frustrating to him. They were a band with three strong singers. I think three three strong stringers, right? Sorry, mm-hmm. three. Yeah, Levon Helm. Okay. Richard Manuel and the bass player, whose name of course escapes mm-hmm. me as always. Ooh. Anyway, he was very very. They, you know, they had. If this, I could help, I would. It's mm-hmm. fine. It's fine. Doesn't matter. Um, they they were all, but they're Canadian as well. You know, that's the important thing about the band. Oh, I didn't know we that. have to say that as Canadians. Oh yeah, as point Canadians. We have to identify. We have to identify fellow Canadians. You know, Robbie Robertson. You know, blah blah blah. Uh, so. The only one who wasn't Canadian was the drummer, Levon Helm, was, was an American. But uh, the rest of the band were Canadian, just so people know that. And my, you know, and they, they uh, so you hear a lot about them. And so you're like, well, I got to hear music from Big Pink. You know, it's the famous record. It was so seminal. And everyone loves it. And listen to it. And you're like, it's fine. All their songs kind of sound like it's being played in a skating rink or something. <laughs> like it's all... And it just feels like it's carnival music that's okay. p- kind of half-heartedly played by some people who are tired. Someone doesn't like a free skate. <laughs> and, you know, there's songs I like by them, like, you know, uh, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down is a great song. The Wait is a great song. I love their Christmas song. I played it for one of our Christmas things, but I didn't play the band version. I played a version sung by Levon Helm's daughter. Okay. Because I think her version is better than the band's version. You know, Mia culpa. Bow, bow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know, it's something, there's a, I remember watching a, I remember watching a class, sorry, so sorry, that's right, sorry, I remember watching a classics album uh, episode about their second album, the band, and there's a song there called King Harvest, and there's a live version of of it that recorded in the studio while they were making the album, and it's wonderful, and I love it, Hmm. and I loved watching them play, and I got the album, and I didn't love it. And I don't know why. I just oh. something weird about it. I just, this, I don't know. This, they just don't reach me for some reason. I don't know if it's they're taking uh, American musical forms and sort of, you know, play acting them almost. That kind of leaves me cold. I don't know. It's just it's weird because it's not different than the Beatles taking like American musical forms and sort of play acting them, but they transform them in a way that that the band don't to me. And I, I don't know. It's just. This doesn't do it for me. And, and okay. there's a precipitous fall-off after the band as well. The first two albums, you know, are very good, according to legend. I, you know, I don't... It doesn't reach me, I'm sorry. But it seems after that, you know, stage fright on, there's like a mm-hmm. big drop in, in quality. And, and there's a lot of, like, substance abuse and, and problems in the band that, that affected them and uh, kind of spoiled it all. That's my thoughts about yeah. the band. But thank you for asking, everyone. Uh, some of you asked about bands that I know. Some some of you asked about bands I don't know very well. So that was kind of uh, interesting. Very interesting. 
Alrighty, right. And that is the end of those. Now, do we have any uh, we do electronic have an e- mail? We have an email. All right. We have an email. This is from Brent Tannehill, who writes to us from... Uh, Jail. No. Kind of like it. Washington. Oh, okay. That's where they all should go. <laughs> oh, we're talking the state? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's fine. That's okay. <laughs> he says, hey, sneaks. I keep meaning hey. to write, but never get around to it. That's the same with me. Here's some answers to the questions of the week. Past, Ooh. present, and... Future. What? What? How that? Okay. <laughs> Creepy. Favorite time of the year, June 1st to 10th, where I live, which is called the Methow or Methow Valley in north central Washington. Mm-hmm. Those 10 days are the most amazing with all the spring flowers blooming and nature at its zenith. And my birthday. <laughs> Your birthday is also important. As summer progresses, we start hiking trails as at higher and higher elevations to enjoy spring for a few more months. Also in mid-October, it can be very nice here with the fall color, which is yellow. Okay. We have that too, Brent, because it doesn't, and I, I learned that, that it doesn't get cold here fast enough for us to get like the bright red colors and oranges of, of the back east, okay. where they have like kind of a quick fa- frost that suddenly falls yeah. upon them. They get startled and the leaves get embarrassed. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. They'll turn, they'll turn, they'll blush. <clears throat> Favorite thing to do at an amusement park. Mm. Roller coaster. My favorite roller coaster is the Giant Dipper at the Santa Cruz Boardwalk, which is the oldest wooden roller coaster in the country. Hmm. I wonder how old it is. That sounds kind of fun, actually, Santa Cruz. I've been to It's for. It was Santa uh, Monica, the period. 1924. Wow, that's older than ours. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's a designated historical landmark. And hysterical as well. Mm-hmm. Favorite cartoon when I was a kid. All Looney Tunes, including Foghorn Leghorn. I love all of them. A leghorn chicken is pronounced legern, but it doesn't rhyme with foghorn, so never mind. Have you ever broken a bone? Yes, my ribs. I went to the doctor, but he said there's nothing to be done about broken ribs. Well, there you go. That's a credit doctor. No, No, I've heard that as well, yeah. So for six weeks, I didn't sneeze or cough. Bands you'd like Dave's opinion on. Tau Chemical. It's a Santa Cruz band from the 1980s. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me know what you think of that band. <laughs> what, what do you think? Uh, let me look. Let me look them up. I'll talk about it next time. Sorry. Your go-to joke: the interrupting cow joke. Mm. He says, "I sent this to you once before, and you read it on the air." Knock knock. Who's there? Interrupting cow. Interrupting. Moo. Thanks that for is the stick. a rude cow. <laughs> rude. Brent adds, "Thanks for the sticker." There he goes. Well, I also got a thank you from, from Matthew. He got a sticker as well. So that's great. If your sticker arrives and you stick it on something, please send me a picture. I'd like to see. I'd love to see the stickers in the wild. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the wild, Dave and I are going to be, uh, hopefully, I think, uh, going to Ghent. Uh, <laughs> in um, in uh, October, uh, we're going to a Comic-Con there. And I should tell you... The uh, dates in case you're in Europe and then you should go. Uh, October 22nd to 23rd, we're uh, going to be there in Ghent. And I'm there with my lovely wife, Pia Guerra, and uh, I'll be there. I've mailed some copies of Sparks uh, to myself there. Will they arrive? I don't know. Did they cost a fortune to mail? Oh, yeah, they did. To the point where the guy at the post office was like, I'm going to give you two numbers. One is going to make you mad. <laughs> And uh, unfortunately, the one that made me mad was the one that I had to go with, because uh, it, it, that was the one that like the books would get there in uh, 13 business days, guaranteed. Mm. And then he went, it's not guaranteed. <laughs> and the other one was uh, they'd get there 
two to three months from now. So you might as well just attach them to some balloons and send them (laughs) over the sea and just hope for the best. We can't just throw all our clothes away and put them in our carry-on. You know, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. I just don't want to get kicked out of, uh, hey, you're bringing stuff. Oh, that'll... I don't know what's yeah, what. Yeah, garbage. Anyway, uh, so we're going to be there, and so is uh, Billy Boyd. So it'll be uh, me, Dave, and Billy Boyd. Dancing a jig. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we'll be doing that. And uh, Alfred uh, Enoch uh, from uh, Harry Potter, How to Get Away with Murder, and I believe his uh, father was uh, a companion on Doctor Who, I think. That's usually the way things go. You're going to meet like a Doctor <laughs> Who companion or someone Doctor Who right. related. Okay. That's what's going to happen. So we're going to be there. Then we're going to do our best to make it to uh, the Hergé Museum uh, if, we, if we can. Uh, and I think we can. Uh, we can. And then uh, see Hergé stuff. We can make it yeah. there. We're the strongest. <laughs> yeah. I told, I told the, uh, the guys running the con that. And they went, oh, it's hard to get to. And it's like, that doesn't sound real. It's hard to get to. Like, so do people don't show up at the museum? <laughs> yeah, it's a must-see. Okay, but it's hard to get to. Like, what? Uh, okay, so, you know, that's what we're going to be doing. Cool. We're going to make our way up there, and uh, and uh, David will be telling them facts about Tintin, and they're going to go, we know. We're a Tintin <laughs> museum. I'm not, gonna, I'm not that silly. Yeah. You know how it's really pronounced? Nit-nit. Because it was originally spelled backwards by mistake. It was a printing error. <laughs> so that's his real name. Neat, neat. Neat, neat. That's right. Neat, neat. Uh, so, yeah. If you want to uh, join us in uh, Belgium, uh, then there you go. Please do. Uh, and if, apparently, if you want to help us get to the Air Sheet Museum, let us know. Yeah, give us a, give us a hand there and uh, give us some instructions. It's hard we'd, to get to, appreciate it. How do you get there? Practice. What the fuck? How's that mean? <laughs> It's a Carnegie Hall joke. <laughs> and by the way, that would have been in the joke that you like the most. Today. Ah, forget it. Anyway, so we got to come up with some questions for next week, Dave. Oh, well, let's get some help from someone. All right. Let's go to the Wheel of Help. We're spinning the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it landing on, Dave? Uh, this is from Brent. Brent says, what movie have you seen more than any other? And how many times have you seen it? Oh, uh, I'm going to then ask as well. What movie have you, and this only counts for in a theater, have you only seen part of? (laughs) And why? And that could be because you went enough of this and walked out. It could have been there was a fire and you had to leave. Mm -hmm. It could be like me one time, I was watching Heat and realized I have to work and (laughs) had to to like leave. So I'm never sure how it ended. I watched them sit down for the meal and I was like, shit, I gotta go. So I had to go. Uh, so yeah, what movie have you seen the most times? And also, what movie have you only seen part of and why? Hmm, good questions. All right, everyone. So that, I think I'm wrapping yep. this up. Right. Sorry, I kind of misspoke there. No, you, you did. And so, stop it. <laughs> Settle down. Thanks so much for listening to us uh, talk for a long time. Um, uh, I'm going to check in with my family and see how everyone's doing. And uh, uh, we'll take any of your well wishes uh, and good thoughts uh, sent their way and uh, our mm-hmm. way. I uh, would appreciate them. Thanks so much. Uh, please contact us at, for questions and more, uh, at uh, Sneaky Dragon, which is uh, either going to sneakydragon.com, our website, uh, com and going to any episode that you want and then posting in the message area and you're like oh I posted uh, it's too late to post for that as clearly heard on this episode it's ne'er too late 
to post on past episodes. We will read your uh, older letters as well. Um, so you can do that. You can go to Facebook, where we also have a Sneaky Dragon page, and you can uh, post there. Or you can go to Tumblr, uh, sneakydragon.tumblr.com, or email style, as you just heard, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. That is sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. That's uh, where we is at. So uh, once again, uh, we appreciate your kind attention. I've been Ian. I've been David. Oh, and by the way, it was Rick Danko who played bass uh, in the band. And I also forgot to mention Garth Hudson, the keyboard player. There you go. Those of you that were going, come on! No, <laughs> you got it. The circle of life is completed. Oh. Uh... and say that's just Dave Mm -hmm. like my sitcom So now I'm not my way